This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Ah, that's the call to the starting gate for the 148th run for the Roses, Churchill Downs. Which, uh, at approximately 7 p.m. this evening, since we are now into Saturday, will be the most exciting two minutes unleashed of any sports event in the world. Two minutes. And you will see 20 thoroughbreds, if some haven't been scratched by then, because the track uh, has been subjected to heavy downfalls of rain all through the week. It's expected that it might actually rain in uh, throughout the day. But, you know, that's not going to stop the tradition from taking place. The mint juleps are going to be drunk like there's no tomorrow. Before the first races take place, people will be half in the bag. And I will tell you this. Uh, there will be activities galore at the Murano household tomorrow out there in the south shore of uh, Staten Island, I'm sure. A lot of illegal uh, gambling on the Kentucky Derby. As we all know that Frank Murano is a degenerate gambler. He can't pass up any opportunity to gamble. He even said so on his own, pro- his own uh, part of what we call the other side of midnight. Right? And this is another side of midnight, or as John Casamitidis, owner-operator of our parent company, Red Apple Media, describes it, the other, other, other side of midnight. A little confusing, but it keeps the synergy. And I'm hoping that at some point, Junior and Rusty, who have been our CIA agents out there, spying on uh, uh, Casa Morano, Well, let us know the traffic going in and out of some of those uh, well-known elected officials out in uh, Satan Island, a.k.a. the Forgotten Island, a.k.a. Staten Island, who will be schlepping into the Morano residence all day long to make their wages, illegal wages, I might add. There's no OTBs out in Staten Island any longer off-track vettings. Uh, You certainly can uh, bet now. But, you know, Frank Morano's going to want his own action. And I guarantee uh, they will probably see, uh, walking in there, Borough President Vito Fisella. We'll probably see Congresswoman uh, Nicole Maliotakis, Councilman Joe Borelli, a bunch of judges and other elected and appointed officials, all of them illegally wagering on the 148th run for the Roses. Could I hear the call? And I'll be running my picks uh, all morning long because I know some of you are going to want to get a sharpened number two pencil and pen and write them down. In the 32 years that I've been doing talk radio, most of it here at WABC, ABC, the acronym standing for Always Broadcasting Curtis. I have been accurate most of the time. People uh, will hear my choices and they'll say, what are you, out of your mind? Trust me. 
I've studied the racing forms. I've done the analytics. I've assessed the weather conditions because that can change the outcome. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean a horse who can run on dirt is the same as a horse who can run on grass. Is the same as a horse who can run effectively on a muddy track, a sloppy track, which is expected to be at 7 p.m. this evening, Saturday. Let me give you some of the background information, uh, hopefully before you down your own mint juleps. A lot of the ladies, they like to put on their spring dresses and their uh, Easter bonnets and sachet composé. Oh, yeah. Some of the guys like to put on their bowler hats. My God. An English style. But, hey, 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 come on. You know it's all about the money. 20 of the best thoroughbreds who will be lining up at the starting gate. One trainer will not be there. He has oftentimes been seen, he probably is best known for his white hair and his tinted glasses. I've seen him at quite a few of the races, Bob Baffert. He has been uh, made persona non grata, excommunicated for two years for drugging horses. I don't know if he was milkshaking them in the barn. By the way, our first trivia question of the day to see if our dischronificator is working, processing the AM listeners' phone calls as opposed to the spectrometer, which will be processing uh, the FM calls coming from WLIR, our sister station out in the Hamptons. What does it mean, the term milkshaking, as it applies to horse racing because it is illegal? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And also this will give us an uh, obvious ability to test out Our ability to engage all of you, because I will tell you, oftentimes when I'm listening to talk radio, whether it's WABC or other forms, uh, it is the host of the hostess just going on and on and on ad nauseum, or they allow the caller a feeble few seconds uh, to sort of interject on what they're saying, and if they're not happy with what the caller is saying, boom. Uh, they immediately exiled into the talk radio abyss. I don't handle talk radio that way. We will be doing six hours here. You will not hear from a guest. Not at all. I think that I have enough personal experiences to navigate some of the topics that we'll be touching upon tonight. Obviously, we're going to be talking about a subject I know well, Eric Adams, the uh, swagger man has no plan. He's proven that when it comes to crime. We'll talk about his uh, starstruck trip to La La Land in Hollywood. We'll also talk about Dave Chabelle, his attacker, who was originally from Brooklyn, and how all the Trendoids, Freakasoids, Jet Setters are outraged that he wasn't charged with a felony, but rather a misdemeanor. And I'm saying, welcome to the club. And naturally, we'll be talking about how the new... Uh, the new uh, legalization of the recreational use of marijuana has been working in New Jersey in its inception. It's uh, had uh, quite a few problems in its initiation. We'll go through that and what's being done to try to rectify that. Uh, we'll talk about Frank Morano's drinking habits. Uh, he uh, spoke at length at Lush about what he exactly likes to drink, what he wants to mix in his drinks, and how often he gets plastered, wasted, and he's half in the bag. 
I don't know why he'd be talking about that, but we're going to resurrect all of that. And then, of course, uh, we got to talk about that explosion at that hotel in Havana, Cuba, because I myself had an opportunity to go to Havana many years ago uh, as a result of an invitation from uh, John and Margot Katsimatidis, who were bringing out a Greek Orthodox delegation to christen a Greek Orthodox basilica that was being built in Havana with the blessings of Yastro and Raul Castro behind the sugarcane curtain of Cuba. We'll get into all of that, my experiences. And then, oh, that uh, killing that took place um, in the Ozone Park. A tarot card reader, I don't know if you call her a gypsy or Santaria priestess, ends up getting killed by a degenerate gambler from Howard Beach who said that she cast a spell on him and it brought him bad luck and he suffered a losing spree. Well, he's not going to be able to bet on the Kentucky Derby, but uh, I'm going to give you my picks. Please uh, get a pad and a pencil. You're going to want to write it down because I'm telling you, with the kind of run I've had with picks in the Kentucky Derby, you might as well... Take a reverse mortgage on your house with those hours that remain before 7 o'clock and the kickoff of the two minutes of most excitement in sports that could lead to a big payday or uh, just uh, turn in your 401k. That's right. Uh, Just quick, put your 401k on this. I guarantee it. You could become a gazillionaire. But you got to follow the logic here. First off, there's a guy, forget Bob Baffert, he's on the shelf. And by the way, nobody has yet, none of the degenerate gamblers out there, which I know there are many, because I know they listen to Frank Morano, you know, takes two birds uh, of a feather flock together. None of you know what milkshaking and thoroughbred racing means, why it's illegal, milkshaking. I'll give you an opportunity to weigh in again. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And uh, we have uh, our uh, crack dynamic duo here. We have uh, hmm. we have Broadway Bill, uh, who has uh, come on to us after being in retirement for many years, very famous. Came out of Cleveland, year of rock and roll. Worked at WCBS until 72, and then he cashed in his chips. I think he must be about 87 years old now, but he has decided uh, to come off the shelf and be our board operator. And, of course, there is Avery, who co-busted Frank Morano last week, told everybody exactly what Frank Morano was doing behind the scenes on the other side of midnight, unlike what we do here on another side of midnight. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So Bob Baffert, probably the most famous trainer in all of thoroughbred racing, the guy with the white hair and the tinted glasses, he's on the sidelines. Well, I remember last year he had his horse, Medina Spirit, win the derby, and then what was it, eight days later, Ixnay, after drug tests, you cheated, that's it for you. Oh, a lot of people were very upset. I think he's won uh, the Triple Crown twice. I think he's won the derby about six times. Well, he's on the shelf. So that's why I'm factoring in this trainer who has more wins than anybody else, Bob Baffert, anybody else, Steve Asmussen. 
He's he has he's been he's had horses in twenty three Kentucky Derbies, even though he's won more races than any other trainer. But he's never won the Kentucky Derby. So this is his year. Absolutely is his year. And his horse is the number three horse epicenter. Now remember, with twenty horses, there's a lot of horses bumping and banging into each other as they run out of those starting gates. And it's an only two minute race. So I'm picking Epicenter to finish first. That's the number three horse. Uh, second horse that will finish close will be uh, Taliba, not Taliban, Taliba. Has nothing to do with an extremist organization, ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Relax out there. The number 12 horse. Zandon, who is the favorite, the three-to-one favorite, though, because it will be a muddy and a sloppy track, will finish third. And White Aburio will finish fourth. Now, I'll be repeating these picks all throughout the early morning hours, especially because, you know, you're going to have degenerate gamblers telling you, oh, Curtis doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a loser. He's a loser. And that slappy, wet, muddy track will make a big difference, I guarantee you. In fact, some will be saying, oh, Messier, Messier will win because he runs well on a slap, a sloppy and muddy track. You couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. And then others will say, oh, Pioneer of Medina, it's a 30 to 1 shot, but oh, he runs on a sloppy track. But don't believe them. They know not what they say. And they're not going to apologize. Hey, you want to play your exacta, your trifecta, your superfecta, go for it. Knock yourself out. But if you want to know who's going to win, it's Steve Asmussen's horse. In 23 attempts to win a Kentucky Derby, he's never won, yet he's won more races in thoroughbred racing than any other trainer in the history of the sport. It's his time. I can feel it in the marrow of my bones. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Now go ahead, have a mint julep and relax and get ready to place your bet. I'm going to make you a lot of scatol, a lot of moolah schmoolah. And make sure out there, uh, Rusty and Junior, that you're keeping an eye on the Murano household. Uh, within a few hours, they'll be taking illegal bets on the Kentucky Derby. The crowd will be half in the bag on mint juleps before 12 noon, even though the race is at 7 and uh, I may have to call in a uh, tactical uh, tactical rate of the Murano residents and declare it to be a wirehouse uh, of the six families of organized crime, the Murano crime family. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Brian, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Brian. Hey, Curtis. I just want to say... Um the baking soda, uh, sorry, with the milkshake, it's the baking soda, baking powder, and the uh, water through a hose through the horse's nostril. That's right. So in advance of a race, the uh, trainers, uh, whoever uh, are taking care of the horses, might even be the owner, uh, they will insert that tube down the throat of the horse into the belly. And it will have a solution, a very simple solution. It's not a chemical solution. It's really just baking soda in water. And that will give enough juice into that horse that it may be the difference between finishing sixth and maybe third. Not third, but maybe first. Uh, It's illegal. You can't do it. 
and uh, generally before the big races, uh, like the Triple Crown. So you have uh, this race that starts it all, the Kentucky Derby. Uh, and then you'll have the uh, Preakness uh, outside of Baltimore. And then you'll have the Belmont Stakes right in Long Island, Queens. Uh, they'll have to quarantine the horses uh, uh, for about 24 hours to make sure that they're not being tampered with by the trainers, the groomers, or anyone else. But you are absolutely correct, Brian, in describing what milkshaking is. Curtis, could I, uh, I don't want to disclose too much, but I used to work for Naira. Ah, you used to work for Naira. Okay. And, uh, and I don't want to say too much because I was... Uh, <laughs> I'm an, I'm an, well, I just got to be careful what I say. I That's the whole thing. But I'm an admirer of you and your wife, the animals. I'm a cat man myself. Yes. And uh, I used to take, I still I take care of cats out of Belmont. And something happened where I was, uh, let's say, released from my job. <laughs> oh. As a peace officer. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. Well, that's one thing. Let me tell you something. I've been in the back stretch in the horse stables uh, where the uh, horses are maintained. They could use a bunch of cats in those stables because of all the rats. But you know what? Some people don't take when they when they want a trainer who owns a cat. When they go on to another barn or another to train somewhere else, they sometimes leave the cats behind, and they don't continue to take care of the cats. That is that, so that is true. By now, yeah, we take and they kind of looked at me like, "What's this guy doing taking care of all these cats?" You know, so they kind of held that against me. <laughs> Not against me, but they kind of thought I was a little bit weirdo with the cats. Uh, there's a few other people that helped me too, but, uh, you know, and I got close with a lot of them and I tried to help as many as I can. I mean, there's a lot of good people out there, don't get me wrong. And they would help the cats, but there is a, there's a lot of cats out there. And, and people do take care of them, but um, sometimes they do leave some behind. And they don't uh, always feed them. They yeah, and not only that, not only that, but the cats will keep the rats away and the mice, which sometimes will spoof the horses in their stalls, which can cause the horse to get injured or lose their stability. And here it is, you have sometimes millions of dollars that have been invested in some of these thoroughbreds, and it's simply the appearance of a rat or a mouse in a horse stall that can rattle the horse. And you know you know how fragile the horses are. Yeah. But I'll tell you something, because they, they're not so bothered by the rats. They kind of get used to them. Because I, I used to patrol the ponds at night, in <laughs> the midnight shift. It's, it, and some ponds, some of the, some of the, you know, some ponds that are older, there's a lot of rats, uh, they don't, uh, they crawl into their hay where they're sleeping sometimes. Uh, the newer ponds they build, they kind of control the population with the rats controlled it a little bit but uh yeah it's true though i can go on forever with this it's uh it's uh i'd love to talk to you again and, and again with your wife with the, with the cats and everything oh yeah now, uh, now brian a uh, question here uh because you were on patrol at night in the uh back uh back stretch where the uh horse stalls are the horse uh, barns are or was your job to make sure that nobody was messing with those horses ginning them up uh you know yeah that was definitely a part of it um, definitely was, yes. You know, yeah. all of a sudden a vet showing up at 3 o'clock in the morning with a hypodermic needle? Yeah, I, I you know, sometimes they would, do, I didn't see too much of that. I never actually gave a ticket or any, anything other people did. I wasn't really looking to uh, get people, but um, 
I didn't see too much of that, but you know, that's due to up throughout the early morning hours. Mm. But they would have treated another horse. Mm. Mm. But you don't know if that horse is close to the horse that was running that day. Because I did the pre horse, uh, I don't want to say too much. I would kind of check on the horses that are going to race that day, for that race day. Well, I certainly do appreciate that, Brian, giving us a little bit of the overlook of the backstretch. How many of you uh, fans, degenerate gamblers, Having to the backstretch to watch the horses uh, be uh, taken out for their warm-ups. Oftentimes, it's uh, young lady riders, believe it or not, who are the ones who take out the horses uh, to warm them up. Or then there are those that are the hot walkers, the groomers. No, I don't mean in a sexual sense. Uh, We're not talking about grooming uh, the horses for sex. Uh, But there are all kinds of roles that the staff plays in preparing the thoroughbreds. And the one thing you have to be aware of is the cheating. And that's what Bob Baffert, the uh, famous uh, trainer with the white hair and tinted glasses, you won't see him at the Kentucky Derby because he's on the shelf for cheating. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Michael, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Okay, couple of thoughts. Number one, I think I'm going to uh, put my money on the number five horse. You know why? Because I didn't, I didn't have that horse to win, place, or show. No, don't, no, don't saddle yourself with a problem. But um, um. No, because he's a mutter, and uh, his mother was a mutter. Ah. Uh, Thank you, Kramer. Ah, uh, I see. Um, so that means uh, just for the non-cognoscente, a hey, horse... Hey, hey, don't go after Italian people. Oh, well, you know, let's face it. They're the ones trying to fix the races. Uh, but you also said, oh, you said cognoscente. Yes. I, I like the non-cognoscente oh, people. Oh, I see. Well, you know, uh, that's the, why I listen sometimes to the callers on, uh, what's his name? The guy that you're replacing tonight? Oh, you mean Morano? No. Who are you the talking guy about? before him. Oh, my God. That's like the prehistoric ages. That's so far ago. No, 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 the guy in the 12 o'clock hour, I'm having a brain freeze. Yeah, well, that comes with your age, pal. Well. You know, look, look, our president has one every day. Well, two things. Number one, you just reminded me of something. By the way. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, Mike. Hold on. Hey, hey, Avery, what's going on with these phones? We're getting all this cackling and crackling. And is there some form of subterfuge, sabotage taking place? That's the second call in a row, if you notice. A lot of crackling, a lot of cackling going on there. Uh, let's... You know what? Yes, go ahead, Michael. Maybe you had a lot of coffee, so you're wired. Mm. You mean wired like a Christmas tree? When you do have chance for a vacation, I think you should go to Southeast Asia. Ooh. And why Southeast you know why? Asia? Because Catman do. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, you're talking Mike, to the east side punster. I, I know that, Mike, Mike. Mike, you're off your game tonight. You're off your game a little bit. You have to admit, you're not. You're not as. You're not as cogent as you normally are. You know why I'm off my game? Because I didn't have any chicken 
tonight. Oh. So don't make any paltry remarks. Don't cook tonight. Call Chicken Delight. They ain't kosher. Mm. So in any event, Curtis, it's always a pleasure for you to speak with me. And uh, I will let you go. By the way, what does, uh, um, well, previous to this week, what did COVID and President Biden have in common? What, pray tell? They were both on the decline. Oh, God. He's really off his game, Michael. I notice uh, there's a lot of crackling and cackling out there, which might indicate that our crack uh, chief engineer, Dan the Man, out there at Bada Bing, a.k.a. Satin Dolls, the strip club right next to our Tower of Power, 50,000 powerful watts of sound, reaching 38 states, parts of Canada, a strip of Europe, and, yes, the Bermuda Triangle, that he has not sufficiently made adjustments to that tower. We may have to uh, get him out of the back room where he may be experiencing a lap dance and a, um, what can we call that? It's words that I really can't use to describe that, or we might get knocked out by the FCC. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Eileen, who's calling uh, from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eileen. I mean, good morning, Curtis. I would like to weigh in on the Kentucky Derby. Well, of course. Uh, of course you can, Eileen. I have one thing to say about it. The Democrats who pick their horses, and if their horses don't win, they're probably going to de- blame Donald Trump. Oh, God. Oh, back to back, belly to belly. I think it's time for us. To move off of my picks, remember, if you have scrambled through your number two pencil, sharpen it up. It's uh, Epicenter, the number three horse to win. Taliba, the 12 horse, will finish second. The favorite, Zandon, though, will finish third. That's the ten, ten number 10 horse. And number 15, White Abario, will finish fourth. So if you're playing your exacta trifecta, super effecta, knock, you, knock yourself out. And be a winner, not a loser like Frank Morano, who will be hosting a Kentucky Derby party tomorrow in which he will be taking uh, illegal bets, um, informing the authorities as we speak. It will be a wire room. Consider it at least for one day, the sixth family of organized crime, the Morano family. 1-800-848-9222. Yeah, I wonder where our mayor, Eric Adams, is tonight at Zero Bond Club. Because crime is out of control, and yet he did the bird, essentially for three days. He was at the Met Gala, and then immediately flew the coop to Hollyweird, to uh, Beverly Hills. And all of a sudden, to give aid and comfort to Dave Chappelle, but not the victims of crime here, the ever-growing number of victims. In fact, uh, Eric Adams said, it's not about fighting crime, it's all about the swagger. Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> uh, could I hear that again? Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> what is it with this guy? Everything is swagger, swagger, swagger. Well, guess what? Crime has never been worse. 
Ha! Remember, in eight years of Bill de Blasio, it's never been worse. And this guy, can I hear that one more time as he defines his mayoralty? Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> and they're all laughing. They're, oh, it's all about the swagger. Swagger, man, you have no plan to fight crime. It's four months into it. Almost every major category of uh, crime is skyrocketing in the subways and the streets, shoplifting, you name it, just right across the board. And you're doing nothing. You're doing nothing. But proving that you're the mayor of nightlife, sometimes here and sometimes over there. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So then the mayor at the... Uh, at the uh, the huge gathering there at the museum. It was the Met extravaganza with all the rich, the famous, uh, the millionaires, the billionaires, the hedge fund monsters, the crypto Ponzi schemers. He said it was a night of celebration, but he had to get back to work. And it's about focusing on the celebration tonight, but then we have real work to do tomorrow, and we must stay grounded in that. Yeah, real work to do tomorrow. And he was off to Los Angeles for two days. Canceled his trip back so he can hang out with the Trendoids, the Freakasoids, the Jet Setters. So now he had to uh, confront the press uh, earlier on Friday. And he was all angry, saying, hey, my cops, it's always my, my, you know, my cops, my teachers, my city. My, 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 I, I, I. That's the kind of uh, guy he is. Well, anyway, he was all angry at the media because he would dare ask him, what the hell were you doing in L.A.? We got problems here in New York City. When you look at the number of arrests of dangerous people that we are doing, and then you look at the other side, they go to court, and judges are letting them out. So the police officers are catching the guns, catching the bad guys, and by the time the police officers get back on patrol, they see the guy that they just caught. Well, that's true. But you've had an opportunity to address that as mayor of the city of New York. I lost to you. It was considered a mayoral election about law and order. You were the law and order candidate. I was a law and order candidate. More people chose you than they chose me. But if, in fact, the DAs are cutting them loose... Why did you say this about turn them loose, Alvin Bragg? Um, oh, boy, it's cold out. How cold is it? Well, I mean, it's no, cold no, no, out. No, 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 so- yeah, clearly, clearly. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Got to reconfigurate here. Uh, hold on. We may have to reconfigurate that. I'll make sure that you are on the right uh, schedule path there. That was Frank Morano once again bogarting this program. Always interfering with it. Oh, my God. Sounded like Frank doing, uh, like, really bad comedy. My God. Mm. We'll have to reconfigurate that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Bruce. Who's calling all the way from Belize? Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bruce. Hey, Curtis, how you doing, buddy? Good, good. Tell us what it's like down in Belize. Oh my God, seventy-five is a beautiful breeze, like a palm tree's on the island, sipping a beer at the bar tonight. I heard it's like forty-five degrees in New York in May. What the hell? 
Yeah, well, it's raining. So anyway, it's... Reason I, called, I heard the Mets got rained out in Philly. The Yankees rained out. How about the Mets last night, brother? Seven runs in the top of the ninth. Buck Showalter is a genius. We have a manager, and we finally have a real team. Now, that? I mean, you're a Yankee fan, right? Of course. But now, Bruce, how long have you been a long-suffering Met fan? Well, I was at Game 5 of the 1969 World Series, so I'm pretty old. I'm in the back nine, as they say. I've been a Mets fan my whole life. My dad was a Yankee fan, the old Valentine Blast, you know? Oh, sure. I became a Mets fan because I lived right next to City, right next to Shea on Long Island. So that was my team forever. I'm not a front runner. You stick with your team. You don't, none of this. But in New York, you know, everything comes to the event. If the Rangers have a run, like you did in 94, then all the front runners come out. You know that. All the people, they don't know how many minutes in a hockey period. They just want to be seen. You know how it goes. It comes in events. So you do acknowledge that it was because you lived in Long Island that you were a Met fan. And it was always my contention that because the Long Island Railroad had a link uh, to the old Shea Stadium and obviously uh, the closest right. stadium to drive to was Shea Stadium that just naturally by birth, by region, by geography, people who lived in Nassau and Suffolk uh, had a preponderance to be Met fans. It's probably true. Hey, listen, how's Chris doing? Oh, Chris, called, that's right. He, uh, Chris was having. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Bruce. The guy with the COPD. Yeah, the guy with the COPD and the breathing problems. I emailed you, uh, my doctor, the pulmonologist. How's he doing? Yeah, well, uh, we do appreciate you offering uh, your assistance and guiding us in the right direction. He's uh, finishing up uh, some of the uh, therapy he's had to do at uh, Queens, Queens Hospital. Uh, and, and then we'll be uh, we'll be trying to set up an appointment once we have all of his uh, uh, all of his background details, all of the tests results, because uh, that's what a doctor is going to ask for anyway. So we're almost we're almost at the end of the line. He we purchased him a backpack with an oxygenator so that he can actually walk around. Right. Now he's able to walk uh, and uh, right. inhale oxygen while doing so. Got the two little things in his nose. Yep. They're called, they're called oxygen concentrators. They're amazing. Um, you know, I'm a respiratory therapist. Um, well, I guess, okay, so listen, when he gets fixed up, if you need to email me, you know, and I can, you know, see if I can help you out. Oh, definitely, and I appreciate and boy, the... Have... Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. And then, um, let's face it, Ranger and Yank. I mean, I know it's way early, but the Yankees are in first place, and DeGrom's not even pitching. Our best pitcher, we got Scherzer now. So if you have a billionaire owner who spends money, you can't charge $150 a ticket and have an $85 million payroll in New York, especially in New York, as you know. It don't fly. Old George used to spend money like water. You sign a bad free agent, you dump them, you eat like they did Cano, they ate $35 million. You think Steve Cohen gives a crap about $35 million? Bruce, uh, I'm letting you rant yeah. and rave because this is generally what happens with Med fans early in the season. <laughs> they have dreams of oh, getting into the playoffs. It's a, and... team. Curtis, it's a different team. We have a manager. We never had a manager. Buck built the Yankees. You know that. He's the real deal. 
Oh, no, no, no. You You see, Bruce, I disagree with you. I remember, I believe it was 1996, Buck Showalter was the manager before he was replaced, thankfully, with Joe Torre. Uh, we were playing the Seattle Mariners. A uh, Aroid at that time was uh, young, aggressive, scrappy. He had a very good team. They were playing the Yankees uh, in the early round of the playoffs. And I remember Buck Showalter uh, would not take David Cohn out after he threw 136 pitches. He was virtually uh, going to collapse. He had Steve Howe in the bullpen who, who had had a drug problem. He didn't believe in using druggies. Then he needed a pinch hitter late in the game that uh, might have ended up uh, causing a Yankee victory over Seattle Mariners in their home ballpark, which was more like a coffin and a mausoleum. And Daryl Strawberry was languishing on the bench again. Uh, Buck Showalter, I'm not going to use a druggie. And the Yankees lost. He got fired, and thank God, George Steinbrenner came to his senses and hired Joe Torre. Well, I guess we agree to disagree, whatever that means. Um, all right, buddy. So um, nice to hear your voice, and uh, good luck with everything, okay? Do appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. See that? Even got Met fans down in Belize. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for the first trivia prize, and trivia always leads to further conversation, what is the national language of Belize? It's down near Mexico. El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. It's in Central America. What is the national language of Belize? And why do so many ex-American patriots end up moving to Belize? I mean, we know many move to Mexico. We know many move to other parts of the world. But why do a significant number of Americans choose Belize as the place to retire to? Like our uh, delusional Met fan there who's thinking, oh, did you see? We beat the Phillies. We came back. Oh, it's destiny. It's destiny. Stephen Cohn, the hedge fund monster who should be in jail, the owner of the Mets. He'll spend anything. Oh, he just wrote a check for Bobby Cano and said, guess what? Go back to the DR. We don't need you. Oh, it's like, oh, we finally got an owner. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bill, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Bill. Yes, hello, Curtis. As most of you know, there's a a group of miscreants that want to attack our Supreme Court justices. And in a fit of uh, productivity, I wrote a three-stanza poem. I'd like to recite it here. Hold on a second. You uh, have written a poem? Yes. Wow. And had you ever written a poem before, haiku, anything along those lines? Yes, in college. Uh, I was pretty good at it. Then, of course, I took a nice long hiatus, and my brother-in-law published a book of poems. Oh. So I thought I'd show him up, and I can't show him up. Oh, so but now, uh, so this, how many years you wrote your last poem? Oh, about 50. And the reason I ask this is because tomorrow, same time, same place, we're going to be uh, playing some of the jokes that Frank Morano told on his show during the week, which was so lame, so really bad that, you know, let's face it, they uh, they wouldn't have even made uh, open mic night at a comedy club. But anyway, it's been 50 years since you wrote your last poem, Bill 
We're going to give you the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to, to, to elicit it. Thank you. I'm honored. And this is for that group. Ruth sent us as we marched to houses of justices on the right, Gorsuch, Brent, Kavanaugh, dare not put up a fight. For Ruth sent us, indignant in a righteous cause, to threaten, mock, accuse you till you bend your will to ours. Ruth sent us an ominous and warning bell as we lead our legion and we just came up upon the... Now I know why I never allow poetry on the airwaves. After 50 years, he should have kept his poetry writing in retirement. Oh, my God. It's almost as bad as Frank Morano and some of his callers trying to tell jokes. Oh, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, in 24 hours, it was maybe the worst performance I've ever heard. And I've heard a lot of bad comedy in my life. Horrible. I can imagine. Checky Green, Pat Cooper. <sighs> Listening, they're both still alive. They're in their 90s in Vegas. I can imagine them seeing Frank Morano and some of his callers uh, uttering that lame comedy. In, a, in fact, uh, try that one, uh, that one that you played there, uh, that 11. Try number 11 here. It was obviously misidentified. The one you, you just played and I, I stopped you. Play that. Go ahead. Um, oh, boy, it's cold out. How cold is it? Well, I mean, it's cold out. It's so cold that, um, you know, Politicians are sticking their hands into their own pockets. I mean, it's cold. Wow. (laughs) It was maybe the worst hour of radio I have ever heard in my life. And I got to tell you, I've heard some really bad radio talk radio in my lifetime. And he wouldn't stop. You know, it's like somebody you need the Sandman to come up on the stage and, you know, yoke him off. And then that just encouraged other callers to do bad comedy. And it was like the only time I've ever turned off WABC, to be honest with you, it was that bad. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Pete in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Hey, Curtis. I was at the game Tuesday night, the Ferry Hawks. I saw you and your beautiful wife, and I actually met Roger Clemens by the uh, latrine, by the bathroom, and we were talking. Oh, oh so you... Said, Are you going to ask me for an autograph? I said, no, I was a stagehand. I never asked for autographs. Just having the pleasure of saying hello to you is great enough. So wait a second. And, Let uh, me get this straight, what? Pete. You're in the men's room there. You're rolling out your schlong. He's rolling out his schlong. And you're having this kind of very friendly conversation. You sure he didn't have interest in you, Pete? No. Have you seen how I look? Who the fuck? Um, who would have interest? In oh, oh, we got to get oh. Gee, Pete. <laughs> Pete. You had too many beers that night at the Staten Island Ferry Hawks game. Oh, yeah, that was Pete. He, he thought that Roger Clemens was coming on to him because his son was playing for the Ferry Hawks. You know, I hate Roger Clemens with a passion. And to be honest with you, I hate anyone who ever played for the Red Sox who became a Yankee. And I know many of you say, oh, you hate Babe Ruth? No, that was the first. Uh, that, that put the curse on the Red Sox for decades. Until 
<sighs> Who was it that broke the curse with the stigmata on his uh, socks against the New York Yankees? He shares something in common with me. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Danny in Long Island. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Danny. Oh. I have to answer your question about Brazil. It's English, the official language. Ah, very good. The official language of Belize, even though it is surrounded by countries whose official language is Spanish, Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, uh, is, you are absolutely correct, English, Danny. Have you ever visited Belize? No. Uh, okay, well, I want you to stay on the line. And Avery, this is the first of what I hope will be many to come uh, in these wee hours of the morning. The first winner of the Curtis Lee will booby brides don't ask, don't tell because we're so cheap, or I am, that I throw nickels around like manhole covers. Normally, if it was up to me, you would get my belly button lint. I would hermetically seal it in an envelope many times with scotch tape and send it to you, COD cash on delivery. Our owners and operators of Red Apple Media will not permit us to do that. So instead, you will be getting a WABC hat. You can rock that hat, style and profile it. It's got the WABC iconic logo, and then it says the Curtis Sleewa Show. So you're covered. Danny is the first winner. Hopefully Avery uh, got his information, and we can do due diligence. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, so I want you to go to number 19, 19 Broadway, Bill. And you brought some swagger tonight. Uh, yes, yes. You know, I walk around with swagger in my pocket because I like to share it. <laughs> oh, God. That's Mayor Eric Adams again talking about swagger. Can I, can I hear that again? Can I hear and that? you brought some swagger tonight. Uh, yes, yes. You know, I walk around with swagger in my pocket because I like to share it. <laughs> and they all laughing there, too, uh, at the Met. All laughing. Let me give you a... Uh, Little uh, hour-by-hour two-day idea of what our mayor was doing in La La Land, Hollyweird, and Beverly Hills. As you know, he went to the Met Gala, said it was uh, the most exciting thing he's ever done in his life. And then the very next day, boom, he was gone to L.A. to the Milken Institute Global Conference speaking on digital transformation. What the hell he knows about digital transformation is news to me. Never spoke about it during the campaign. But on Tuesday, he also attended a billionaire's a fundraiser. Now, who is that money for, Eric Adams? Right there in Beverly Hills, at uh, not far from Chateau Malmont, where all the trendoids go. And then apparently from there, he was in the audience of the Dave Chappelle show, which we'll be talking about in the next hour. Yeah, yeah, he was there with Jay-Z, Beyonce, Elon Musk, Jimmy Fox, all of them. Yeah, he was there. He wasn't here. And then he had a red-eye flight back, and all of a sudden, oh, well, they canceled it. Well, wait a second. They have multiple red-eye flights back. I've flown back from L.A. many times. If you can't fly on Delta... You know, there's another. 
You go on World Airlines here. You know, you go on People Distressed. There's always red-eye flights. That was that was a weak excuse to stay over another day. Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the swagger, ain't it? The swagger man never had a plan. Did you folks listen to me when I said this swagger man does not have a plan to fight crime? Oh, no, he's a former captain in the NYPD. He knows. He knows who gots. He knows bupkis. Anyway, let's go to John in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John. Oh, that's Tom. Hey, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Hold on a second, Tom. We're having some problems with our... Discronificator, you called on the AM line. Uh, okay, I think we've straightened it out. Go for it, Tom. In the strip club over there, right? It's a, it's a discrepancy that the people would protest in churches and outside the uh, outside the justices' homes where they have their children and their family there. You know, it's a shiza. It's a shiza. You know, I, and uh, I wanted to say I got I haven't gotten my uh, my swag. I thought you were going to send me um, your belly button lint to withdraw the red line. Wait a second. You have not gotten your baseball cap yet? I didn't ask for a baseball cap. You're going to send me a belly button. I sent it, man. It's going to be valuable one day. I want some of that belly button. It's going to be valuable. No, hold on a second, you pervert. Uh, I already sent you. It takes me at least six days to get enough belly button lint to actually put it on a litmus paper and send it to people six days to cultivate it, to harvest it. It's not hydroponics. We'll be talking about that when we talk about marijuana and the sales of the legal uh, recreational use of it in New Jersey coming up. Man, this guy's a freak. The freaks come out to play at night. Oh, this was the theme in uh, 1982, best rap song ever, The Message. One of the group members of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Kid Creole, just got 16 years for killing a homeless guy. Oh, man, did he hit hard times. Anyway, let's go to Clint, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Clint. Hey, Curtis. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm Clint. From, uh, I'm from Long Island, by the way. Uh, say that again, please. I'm from Long Island. Oh, Strong Island. Which part, Nassau or Suffolk? Uh, Suffolk, Center Reach. All right, okay. Now we've established geographically where you're from, Center Reach. I, uh, I, you're the best, man. I wish you were on every day. Um, you know, I've been listening to you for years. Um, everything you do for the city, I appreciate. I wish you were on from 12 o'clock all day. You know, always be broadcasting, Curtis. <laughs> but now, because uh, that's not in the plan, uh, I take what I get, which is uh, almost always broadcasting on the weekends. Clint, if you miss any of the time periods I'm on, for instance... I go 12 to 6 now, Saturday morning. Then in a few hours, I come back with Anthony Weiner. He does an hour solo at 2. I join him at 3, 3 to 4. Then I come back, do it all over again early Sunday morning, 12 to 6. 
It's the other, other, other side of midnight. Then so nice, I come back to do it again with Chris Hahn. Left versus right, 3 to 5 in the afternoon. And then I finish up the uh, weekend uh, activity of Always Broadcasting Curtis from 9 p.m. Sunday night to 11. And then it's uh, the most listened to, most called in segment of all the segments that I do on the weekend, the Animal Welfare Hour with my beautiful wife, Nancy. That's on from 11 to 12. And then it's Dominic Carter who acts as a buffer so that I cannot submit Frank Morano to an inquisition. And if you can't hear it live, appointment radio, just go to WABCRadio.com. You'll hear it in podcast form. See, my job is to keep you all awake until 6 in the morning. You're all insomaniacs suffering from insomnia to begin with. That's why you're listening in the wee hours of the morning. Or you're coming off of a swing shift 4 to 11. Haven't been able to deprogram yourself yet, or you're working that graveyard shift. I know. I've done all of those things. But I, like so many of you, am an eternal insomaniac. I believe there'll be enough time to sleep when we're all dead. Remember, the moment we drop, there's nothing else to do. It puts you in a cardboard box, give you a half suit, half shoes. It's ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and then all of a sudden you sleep. You go to sleep. It's like you're sleeping with the fishes. So might as well squeeze out every minute, hour, day that you can without wasting it on sleep. So if you're amped in to 77 AM WABC, on the other, other, other side of midnight, there's no chance to pause, to relax, to close your eyes, because even if you do, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to work on your subliminal. That's right. You could be parallel to the ground. You could have that earbud in right now, hoping that your partner or whoever you're sleeping with uh, won't be woke. Woke. Uh, Because they probably wouldn't be listening to uh, talk radio if they were woke. Woke. You don't want to wake them up. So then all of a sudden you... Cut a few Z's, and then you wake up, and it's like 4 or 5 in the morning, and you can remember some of what I was talking about because it works on your subliminal mind. And you'll carry it around with you as if it's etch-a-sketched in your medulla and cerebellum till the ends of time. You're not going to be able to get rid of this. And, oh, we're going to talk about a crowd of people with enormous bad habits who had assembled out at the Hollywood Bowl, if any of you have ever passed by. It's a pretty big facility where a lot of performances have taken place over the years, concerts, comedic uh, presentations, theatrical presentations. It's a well-known facility. And Netflix chose it as the setting for one of um, Dave Chappelle's comedy appearances. And all the trendoids, freakazoids, the jet setters were there. You had to be there. Front row, right? Had to cost a lot of, lot of, lot of cheddar, a lot of money. You know, you're not going to be getting any freebies in that crowd. So up front, front row, Jay-Z, Beyonce, right? Jay-Z, Beyonce. And actually, they're there with their security, all off-duty cops. You know, as much as these people hate the cops, and they really do, Jay-Z has done raps uh, vilifying the cops. 
And he really does hate the cops. Coming out of the Marcy Projects, uh, Marcy Avenue Projects in Williamsburg, Beyonce out of Houston. I don't know what her perception is about the cops, but I certainly know what his is. He hates them. But every time he's on tour, every time he's visiting someplace, he wants off-duty cops. Wow. They hate cops, but they want off-duty cops. And they'll pay a premium price. But your 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 level of success is assessed by the number of security officers you have with you. So they're sitting in the front row. Also sitting in the front row is uh, supposedly the richest guy in the world, owner of Twitter, Elon Musk, and his entourage of security. Then actually you have Eric Adams. What the hell was he doing there? The mayor of the city of New York with his police security, because naturally mayors, they have to roll strong. They need a lot of police security. And you better believe a lot of the police, they want that kind of duty. Oh, we get to travel with the mayor. We get to go see Dave Chappelle uh, at the uh, Hollywood Bowl. And there were other freakazoids and trendoids and jet setters there. There was uh, Jamie Foxx with that stupid bullwinkle hat on. What the hell is that? He's always walking around with that bullwinkle hat on. And he's always like, you know, amped up, amped up. And then there were other freakazoids, trendoids, and jet setters. So they're all there, and they're here to hear, they're there to hear Dave Chappelle. And so he's doing his comedy routine, and you've all seen the video endlessly, in which uh, a young black guy gets up on the stage and bum rushes Dave Chappelle, attacks him, sort of knocks him to the stage ground. Dave Chappelle scurries to his feet. The guy is running around the stage because, like, 20 monsters who are on Dave Chappelle's security squad. And they gave him a beat down and a half. And then you notice Dave Chappelle comes in and starts kicking him in the back. It's all there on film to see. So they drag this guy out. He's got knots all over his head. They broke his arm. And everyone said, yeah, kill him, kill him, kill him. This is the same, you know, this is the same... (laughs) The same crowd, you know, uh, no to police brutality, no. But it's okay, you attack, oh, Dave Chappelle, you're going to attack him. You should die, die. So the most amazing, fake, phony, fraudulent, and fagacy things emerged out of this. So the DA of L.A. who will release you without any bail for almost every crime other than murder, and even then he hesitates, decided that this guy was not going to have any felony charges attached. It's a misdemeanor charge. They had essentially said bail, but he'll be released within hours. What's his name? Well, it's a person of no consequence. 40, excuse me, a 23-year-old guy who's actually come out of Brooklyn. And right away, I say to myself, well, you're 23, you're Isaiah Lee. You've been living in shelters in Los Angeles ever since you left Brooklyn. You're clearly emotionally disturbed. How the hell did you get in to the Hollywood Bowl in the front row where you're next to Beyonce, Jay-Z, Elon Musk, Eric Adams, Jamie Foxx, and every other freakazoid? Oh, Madonna was there. 
They were all there. How the hell did he get into the front row? And he had a facsimile gun that had a knife in it. And so they beat the living crap out of him, <laughs> broke his off. Dave Chappelle goes into the back. You see him stomping on the guy's head. The guy's head is bouncing off uh, the ground. My wife, Nancy's watching. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, come on. Guy's on the ground. Let's say cheap shots. There's 20 of you monsters surrounding this guy. You could tell the guy was emotionally disturbed without ever, ever having any words come out of his mouth. And yet everybody's so out. They're not charging him with a felony? Why should he be so different than anybody else in L.A. or Chicago or St. Louis or Minneapolis or Cleveland or Baltimore or Washington or Boston or New York City or Philadelphia where DAs are not charging people with felony crimes who commit crimes of violence? That was a crime of violence. There's no doubt about it. Whether the guy's emotionally disturbed or not, he clearly is. He should have been charged with felonies. But they're all outraged. It's like, you're the ones who wanted DAs like this. You're the ones who elected DAs like this. This DA is under a recall. Do you know that this DA used to also be DA of San Francisco? He left San Francisco to take care of his mother in Los Angeles, where he originally was from. And guess who he was assistant police chief to in L.A. before he was elected D.A. of L.A. County? Commissioner Bratton. How the hell did Commissioner Bratton have this guy as his deputy police chief in Los Angeles? It doesn't matter what you do in L.A. There's no bail and you always get charged with a misdemeanor. And if you kill somebody in cold-blooded murder, it's on tape, videotape, and you acknowledge it, then he's got to take a day to just think about it. So Dave Chappelle tells a story that he actually requested to talk to his attacker at the Hollywood Bowl. He said, I needed to talk to him after they beat the living daylights out of him and dragged him waiting there for the cops. So Chappelle said he asked the young man, the 23-year-old Isaiah Lee, why you did it. And the attacker launched into a story about how his grandmother had been forced out of her Brooklyn neighborhood because of gentrification. And he figured... If I attack you on the stage, that'll shed light on her dire situation. Uh, Dave Chappelle said that Lee, his attacker, who two years ago put out a rap song named after Chappelle, appeared to be mentally ill. It took Dave Chappelle to have a conversation with the guy to figure out he was mentally ill. I could have told you that from the moment he jumped on the stage. Meantime, Lee's older brother, Aaron Lee, revealed that his sibling struggles with mental illness and takes medication. Surprise, surprise, surprise. He said Lee, a Brooklyn native, relocated to California when he was young after their grandmother had died. Lee had been in and out of Los Angeles homeless shelters for the past decade, his brother added. The 23-year-old pled not guilty on Friday to four misdemeanor charges. And uh, 
will probably be released from jail at some point today. I ask you a simple question. You would have thought all the reporters would have asked you, how the hell did this guy get into the front row of the Hollywood Bowl with all these Trendoids, Freakazards, with all their off-duty police uh, officers who are their bodyguards, with Eric Adams and his NYPD police contingent, there were more security at the Hollywood Bowl than there were people watching the performance. And remember, Dave Chappelle, he had his own security on the side there. You saw those, those 20 mo- monsters there. How did he get in? How did he jump on the stage? How did he be able to, how was he able to jump at Dave Chappelle? And remember, they found him with that facsimile gun that had a knife in it. It wasn't a real gun, but it sure looked like a gun if you happen to be the person who uh, was intended uh, for his attack. But I sit back and I say, (laughs) now you know what average everyday people have to live with. DAs refusing to prosecute, judges refusing to remand emotionally disturbed persons into uh, mental health facilities. It's just endless. And so I have a great belly laugh. And then tonight, the uh, lawyers for Dave Chappelle are outraged that he wasn't charged with felony crimes. Well, welcome to the club. Uh, maybe in the future, Dave Chappelle and some of his comedic uh, acts will reflect on how crazy the laws are that are not being enforced. I've never heard him say that before. If anything, he's oftentimes taking shots at the cops. But I got a good belly left. Nobody bothered asking how this 23-year-old mentally ill Guy originally from Brooklyn, Isaiah Lee, got into the front, the front row, where you had Madonna, you had Jay-Z, you had Beyonce, you had Eric Adams and his NYPD security, you had Elon Musk, you had them all. Jamie Foxx with his Bullwinkle hat on. How the hell did he get there? Did you hear anybody ask that question, ladies and gentlemen? That's the simplest question to ask. How did he avoid getting through all of those security checkpoints and all those security officers, mostly off-duty LAPD guys, who were staged all around these, quote, celebrities? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Michael calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hey, Curtis. Listen, Seeing the photo with Eric Adams and Travis, I'm uh, not Travis Scott, um, ASAP Rocky and Floyd Mayweather, it's like, oh, you know, just eight years ago when I was in high school, like ASAP Rocky, all he got famous of literally just talking about drugs and you know, fornicating and all of this, and it's like I think of like for that. If he was just going to be in the nightlife all the time and be taking pictures with all of these, um, you know, menaces to society, almost spreading all of this bad stuff, he just should have took all of that money for the election and just done something, became like a celebrity and do it and just let you become mayor and just have you, Rudy and Andrew, just all, you know, 
doing the better for this city because this guy, I feel like he went into the wrong profession almost. No, look, 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 Michael, he was very clear. He said he wanted to be the mayor of nightlife. He is probably right now over at the Zero Bond Club. He's there every night. That's where you go to do business with him. Out of sight, out of mind, whatever. These are these are uh, private clubs, they call them. You have to pay a fee, a yearly fee, and then there's membership fees. And the whole point of belonging to a private club is that whatever happens in a private club stays in a private club. And so you can go up there and negotiate deals with him. God only knows what happens in the back rooms. Uh, he's aware of that, and yet he continues to do it time and time again and surround himself, as you said, with people whose whole reputations uh, are based on the fact that they promote law-breaking. They have broken the law. In fact, ASAP Rocky just got arrested. He was coming back, I think, from Bermuda with uh, Rihanna, uh, who's his girlfriend, who he got pregnant. I forget what the charges were. But they wear that like a badge of courage. So naturally, you would say, "What the mayor? Why are you taking pictures with all these degenerates here? If you're supposed to be fighting crime and they're promoting crime, exactly." And then you know, this guy's the mayor of the nightlife. And then you look at real mayors like Giuliani, who, whenever something happens and people ask him for evidence or anything, he's always he sends everything first. He's always sending everything to the Supreme Court or this court, that well, court. Well, I, I will, I will tell you this, Michael. I, let, me, let me straighten the record out on him, Michael. Rudy Giuliani is Michael Buttigieg, but he was a real poo-putt when it came to nightlife. I mean, this guy was a combination of the uh, Puritans uh, and the Mormons. He closed nightclubs. He would send cops out to do noise abatement. If they were one meter over the allowed noise limit, he'd padlock the club. You could be at a cabaret or a bar, and if you put 25 cents, well, gee, that was long before Rudy, 25 cents. Let's say you put a dollar a quarters to play a song in the jukebox and you wanted to get up and dance with the girl that you were with. He said that was illegal. He banned dancing in cabarets and if you just went to a restaurant or a bar, you wanted to get up and dance, arrest them. No, 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 no. We don't want to be like Mayor Eric Adams, who is the modern version. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, another trivia question. Because unlike Frank Morano, who says he doesn't do trivia because it doesn't lead to further discussion, it always does. Who was the mayor, maybe a hundred years ago, who himself was best known for nightlife. A movie was made about him, in fact. Who played his role in that movie? A very unlikely choice to play him. And whatever happened to this mayor who, a hundred years ago, was the mayor of nightlife in the city of New York? I mean, they're like kissing cousins, Siamese twins. Uh, There's no doubt about it. Their complexion is different, but other than that, They're following the same path. They're nightlife mayors. Eric Adams, and who else am I talking about 100 years before? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bob in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Bob. Hey, Curtis. I got the answer for the Boston trivia question. 
which is going to lead into another Frank Morano story of promising somebody that he would send them something in the mail, and it never happened. Wow. First of all, the answer to the question is Kirk Schilling. Yes, excellent. I will never forgive Kurt Schilling. Schilling, it was a night like this. Let me tell you where I was. It was a night like this. It was drizzly. It was cold. It was the playoffs against the Yankees. He had stigmata. He was bleeding, remember, in his ankle, his foot. Yeah. Um, and he beat the Yankees, and they went on to beat St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. I will never forgive Kurt Schilling, although, to be honest with you, Everywhere he pitched, he was a great pitcher. There's no doubt about that. He should have been entitled to be in the Hall of Fame, but they decided because he was a bit of a wackadoodle with his politics, he couldn't be in the Hall of Fame. What the hell does that have to do with being in the Hall of Fame? He was a great pitcher. And now the story about Frank Morano uh, promising something about Maybe eight weeks ago, oh, this is I called up and I was asking him about that song that comes on four o'clock in the morning by the, uh, I think it's the Swan Silver Silvertones, the old gospel song from the 40s. Yes. Uh, I asked him if I can get a copy somehow. So he asked me if I can download. I said, no. He goes, you got a CD player? I go, yeah. He goes, all right, call back after two o'clock and tell the person your name and address and a situation and give me about two weeks to send it there. And also, he said that he stole that song from you because you used to have that on your on one of your programs or whatever, if you remember. But um, so two weeks go by, four weeks go by, five weeks go by. He had a Monday night show for two hours of any questions you want to ask. So I got on the phone. I think Molly answers. She says, what do you want to talk about? So I explained to her what Frank Morano said. He was going to send me a copy on a CD of that um gospel song. She started saying, no, 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 they can't do that. That's illegal. We can't do anything like that. I said, listen, just please let me talk to him, and then you'll understand. She goes, I can't really uh, believe that you were on the uh, radio with him and everything, blah, blah, blah. So then she got off the phone, and I got blocked from his his program because I just wanted to what? confront him. And, he he, yeah, sen- I, I he can, se- censored you? Well, it seems that way, my friend, because nobody will ever answer because all I want to do is say, you told me you were going to send a CD to me. Just mm-hmm. the first, just that only song by that um, by the gospel group. It's called uh, I'm Not Tired Now. I'm Not Tired and Yet now, to Swan Silver, uh, yeah. Silvertones. That is correct. And he did. Yeah. He, he yeah. did tell the truth, Bob. He did steal that theme song from me. So at least on that point. Yeah. He was telling the truth. He is a nefarious thief, a purloiner. Uh, God. But the situation is, is, you know, they they blocked me from even trying to call two, three weeks later. <sighs> Tonight's the first night I was able to get on the radio. Avery, Avery, Avery hold, hold on one second. Uh, Avery, Avery, you make sure every time that Bob from New Jersey calls that we make sure we get through the block that has been imposed upon him. The technological block that Frank Morano has imposed upon our call screening program, and we make sure that Bob gets in every time, right, Avery? How, how do you like that? that? Censorship. Frank Morano guilty of censoring our callers. You didn't curse. It's not like he had to drop no. you. You made a a a, no. a a logical request. He volunteered 
to burn a CD for you with the Swan Silver Tones, I'm Not Tired Yet, that uh, classic uh, spiritual, and he's yet to do it. He's a deadbeat. He's a slacker. Yeah, and then, like I said, five weeks later, the lady Molly answered the false screening. Yes. She said, no, we can't do that. You know, it's uh, against the law. I said, let me speak to him, please. Now, now you no, see, Bob, Bob what I would him. do, what I would normally do is like Sundays, it used to be when I would finish doing the animal welfare hour from 11 to 12 with uh, Nancy, Frank would come on and I would ask him questions. And they decided uh-huh. that the questions were too tough for him to handle because he's the golden oh, child. Oh, he can man. do no wrong. You know, he's the untouchable. So they now put... Dominic Carter in as the buffer. So I don't even get to ask Frank Morano these. I swear to you, if he was still coming on at 12 midnight, early Monday morning, and I was handing off the torch to him, uh, I would be asking him that question. Why did you screw Bob over, Frank Morano? Uh, I appreciate that. I yeah, know well, you'll well, be able to see him. Yeah, well, not, I'm going to make it personal now because he did steal that song, the Swan Silvertones, I'm Not Tired Yet. He admitted that, but now he's got to do right by you, Bob. This is that, that, We don't practice censorship here at WABC. It's all, the whole point is it's your turn to be heard. You're, you're able to exactly. say it. As long as you, you don't curse, you should be able to say it. Yeah, I was polite and professional. Now I want know? to I want to apologize to you, Bob, on behalf of our ownership, our management, every person here, the maintenance woman who cleans out these studios at night, everyone, <laughs> Broadway Bill here on behalf of Avery, on behalf of uh, his uh, his phone screener Alex. And on behalf of Matt, uh, who we're going to be talking about later, who took my belt and went into the bathroom, and you know what he does when you take a belt, I, I apologize to you on behalf of all of us here at WABC to you, Bob. Mrs. Sliwa, I really do appreciate that. And did I get anything for getting the um, trivia question? Yes, of course. I Avery, call us to go. Avery uh, you make sure. We can't get you the CD because, remember, he stole it from me. He stole the, the only recording of its type, the Swan Silvertones. Uh, I'm not tired yet. So he's he's the only person with a copy now. So I'm going to really have to put the pressure on him to burn you a copy and send it to you. But in the meantime, Avery, you take good care of Bob. You make sure you get a hat to him with Curtis Lee on it. Not Frank Morano, because you would never wear that, right, Bob? You you would never no wear way. a Frank Morano cap, right? No way. I would never wear that. Okay. So it, it will only say Curtis Lee. And then I will put pressure. Now that we'll have your address, I'll say, Frank, burn the CD since you're the only one with the last surviving copy of the Swan Silver Tones. I'm not tired yet. And I will send it to Bob. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no, we we have to, we have to, we have to right the wrong. This is, this is what happens when they build you up here. Ownership management. Oh, he's like God. He's, 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 he is the future of talk radio. He's an untouchable. He's the golden child of talk radio. You see what I got to deal with, Bob? Here, 32 years in this business. This guy, hey, this guy, you say, hey, Frank. Where's your shine box, Frank? Hey, now look at him. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, on that. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll rectify that. But please, Avery, please treat Bob first class, not even business class, not steerage. Get all of his information. We got to make sure we get him that hat. Frank Morano has the only copy of the Swan Silver Tones. I'm not tired yet. He stole it from me. He admitted to him that he stole my copy. He has it. I know he, he's a clutterer. He never throws anything away. So I got to figure out how to finagle that from him so I can burn a copy for Bob so he can play it over and over and curse Frank out till the day he dies. Doesn't that make sense? Communist National Network. Although Putin is not a communist, he's a czar. Not a communist, but I had a, I had a belly laugh. They're, they're airing it live. It's like, really? They're crushing the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians are fighting back better than anyone could have anticipated. But airing it live? Hey, might as well have RT, Russian TV. Anyway, you want to get your pads and pens out, because momentarily I'll give you my choices for, uh, in a few hours, the Kentucky Derby running off at uh, 7 uh, o'clock this evening. It'll probably be in the rain, but it has not changed uh, my opinions. I've had a very good track record in the last years calling the Kentucky Derby winner followed by the Preakness uh, winner and then the Belmont Stakes winner, the Triple Crown. So you may want to go with the hot hand. Yours truly, Curtis Lewa. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Jerry, who's calling from Manhattan. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jerry. Hello. Uh, it was Mayor Jimmy Walker. And the movie was Boat James. It starred Bob Hope. Yes, and could you uh, explain to our audience, some of whom obviously they weren't around when Jimmy Walker yeah. was mayor, although eh, a few of them were, uh, who he was and why we're, we're declaring him to be the spiritual twin of Eric the, Adams. Uh, uh, Bo James, uh, everybody loved him. He was a, a party goer. A uh, gentleman, Jimmy Walker, uh, he was going with Betty Compton, who was uh, George Gershwin showgirl. And, uh, you know, he went to parties and Broadway openings and uh, let New York uh, descend into crime. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, he was finally, uh, there was the Seabury Commission was established in Albany to root him out, but he quit, resigned before, you know, he was convicted, and he fled to Europe. Right, he took uh, an ocean liner to, by all the heiresses at the time. Uh-huh. He he loved Paris, he loved the nightlife. I, look, I, I think when you, uh, and I suggest to everybody, you do exactly uh, what Jerry has suggested, and look at the name, and look at the movie starring Bob Hope, who I felt did a really great job portraying uh, Jimmy Walker, the former yeah, mayor he, of New York City. He was miscast, but he did a good job. Yeah, yeah. but he really touched upon the corruption, uh, the oh, nightlife, yeah. uh, all the illegalities going on, and how this guy was beloved by a lot of people. The people loved Jimmy Walker. He could yeah. he could steal them blind, and they would still love him. 
nothing has changed. Well, <laughs> well, in this case, it may move a, a lot quicker. Uh, I get rid of it. this one who changes clothes five times a day. <laughs> Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> All about the swagger. He changes clothes. Yeah. You know, that's oh, yeah. all he does. He, well, he now, does the parties and change clothes. Now, uh, let's take it back to uh, the guy <laughs> that he role modeled after, David Dinkins. David Dinkins always oh. dressed uh, very dapperly, uh, like Charlie Wrangle, like Percy Sutton, like Basil Patterson. Those were the four horsemen from Harlem. Uh, they were the black leaders of Harlem. All of them dressed magnificently. But David Dinkins would sometimes change suits two, three times a day. A guy I knew, Arnie Segura, was his man Friday. He was always with him. He would always have the, the suit bag with him. Uh, and Arnie had been a street organizer, Puerto Rican guy, great uh, great ball player. He could play handball. Uh, he could play uh, stickball. He, I played him in basketball at Madison Square Garden. They cheated. He won. But uh, that that was Arnie Segura's role, which to carry the suits of David Dinkins, who in some instances would change three times a day. Well, this one changes four or five times a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. And re- remember... When and it go co- to Saks. Right. Uh, you find them in the afternoons at Saks Fifth Avenue on the Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> it's all about the swagger. All right, well, stay on the line, Jerry. Jerry nailed it. Avery, got to take good care of Jerry. He has won a Curtis Lee with Booby Prize. Don't ask, don't tell. Uh, he has proven Frank Morano wrong because trivia does lead to further discussion. Some of you had no idea what I was talking about, about Mayor Jimmy Walker. About a century ago, uh, he would dress a very dapper guy, like uh, David Dinkins, like Eric Adams, a suit a day, customized, never off the rack, never a men's uh, wholesale outlet, uh, no way. No, it's customized. Uh, with Eric Adams, it's Ferragamo shoes. Uh, with Jimmy Walker, he'd always wear a fedora. That was fashionable back then. That obviously is not fashionable now. Uh, but uh, it is, uh, look, this is what people elected. They said, oh, we're going with the law and order guy. Sorry, Curtis. Uh, you know, he was a captain with the police department. He, he'll, he'll know how to get control of crime. He hasn't done anything. He's the swagger man with no plan to deal with crime. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Al calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Yeah, Curtis, listen, after this phone call, I'm going to be blocked from your, your radio station. Listen, I got two things to tell you, but I just want to start off saying Nahama, Nahama. I'll get to that in a minute. Listen, Curtis, I was the one the other day. I called up Frank Miranda. You mentioned the comedy show. I called up. I called up for one of my stupid jokes. I tell you, I came in third place. They were almost going to give me a hat, but somebody else from Queens took over. It was it was a pretty good joke. But listen, let me tell you what happened today. Wait, wait, wait. So, hold on. So you said it was a pretty good joke. I have yet to hear you tell a good joke. So why all of a sudden did you save your best stuff for Frank Morano? Well, this well no, it wasn't no no no. I wasn't taking any sides. It just happened that night. 
it turned, I do have, you know, everyone, I don't talk to you a lot, but every once in a while, you do have a, I do come out with a funny. All right, well, now, I want you to, I want you to grade Frank Morano. Listen for a second, I'll let you come back. Listen to Frank Morano's attempt at comedy. Um, Oh, boy, it's cold out. How cold is it? Well, I mean, it's cold out. It's so cold that, um, you know, politicians are sticking their hands into their own pockets. I mean, it's cold. What do you think, Al? Courtesy, never make it as a delivery, delivering pizzas. Delivery is terrible. Just the delivery itself. The delivery and, you know, a joke can be bad, but if delivery is good. But anyway, let me just uh, two, uh, let me just quick. Uh, this guy, um, this guy goes to the doctor. He has a very high pitched voice, so he's embarrassed to be in public. So he goes to the doctor. His doctor, I got a high pitched voice. What can you do? He says, take your clothes off. So he looks. He's very well endowed. He says that's your problem. You remove half of it, you'll have a normal voice. But he says you must have a lot of girlfriends knocking on your door. Yeah, he does. They ring up my bell, call him. Week later, he has the surgery. Comes back. He goes, doctor, I got my voice back. I'm so happy. But the thing is, the girls ain't calling me up anymore. Is there a possibility you could reverse the surgery? And the doctor goes, I don't think I could do it, Doc. And I said, I don't think I could. But wait, Curtis. (laughs) Well, what are you? uh, You're almost as bad as Frank. Almost as bad, Al. Um, Oh, boy, it's cold out. How cold is it? Well, I mean, it's cold out. It's so cold that, um, you know... Politicians are sticking their hands into their own pockets. I mean, God. Yes, yes. Listen, I'm in. I'm in a makeup for now. This really happened to me today. I'm walking down the. I'm walking down the street. I hear a woman holler. I look up four stories up. Next thing I know, I see this thing coming down. It was a prosthetic eye. It was a prosthetic eye. It fell out of her eye socket. She says, "Could you bring it up to the fourth floor?" So I bring it up. She brings it into the house. She takes me to the bedroom, makes passionate love to me. So after the lovemaking, I said, look, I'm an average-looking guy. You're beautiful. What are you making love to a guy like me? What's so special? She says, you caught my eye. Oh, God. Oh, God. You and Frank, you know, you ought to go on tour. Um, Oh, boy, it's cold out. How cold is it? Oh, God. You're not giving me any inspiration, Curtis. Now, you know something, Curtis? Just one last thing. You know, if, you know, like, if I could, like, a hundred of your callers, if I could have their, you know, if I was able to react to hear them on my phone, if we could hook it up like a hundred, everybody's probably, some of them are cringing, some of them wait for me to get off the damn phone. But most people like my jokes. I, I think I'm a pretty funny guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you keep practicing, Al. You keep practicing. I heard. I think it was Thursday morning, or maybe Wednesday morning. The worst comedy I've ever heard, and I've heard some really bad comedy at comedy clubs. Remember in high school, people were trying to do comedy, you know. Part of his really bad stuff. Frank Morano was the ringleader. And then he had his callers calling in, like Al, although Al was not one of them. I, I can't blame Al for that. I think uh, I'm going to revive some of that in 24 hours just so everybody can realize 
uh, how you'll never get that hour back in your life again. And I was waiting for some nuggets, waiting for an opportunity to laugh. Not able to. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to John in Brooklyn. You're trying to be heard here at WABC. Johnny. Hey, good to talk to you again. And as always, it's always a pleasure, whether it's here on air or in person, Curtis. And I I must say, I am sorry you're not uh, questioning Frank, because I I have a couple of issues with Frank I'd like to mention to you. Well, let's say, you know what what I should do is this should be the Frank Morano confessional line, right? People, this way I can garner them up tape them and have him and his staff get constructive criticism because I know he doesn't like that, John. So I'm going to do that for you and all of our listeners. Go for it, John. First of all, most people don't realize this, but on his Facebook page, he has never posted any pictures uh, supporting the, the Ukrainians. Something happens to a Russian, though, whether they're banned from Wimbledon or the band from Carnegie Hall, the Metropolitan Opera, he will complain. Or if, uh, and unfortunately, it was a war atrocity, uh, some Ukrainian shoot a badly wounded Russian soldier. But he, he never does that. And to top it off, he says he wants new voices on his program to discuss Ukraine. And yet every virtually every single guest he's had on is anti-Semitic, and an anti-Zionist, and is a supporter of Putin, who says that the government of Ukraine is not legitimate. It's not a legitimate democracy. Uh, the president is a clown. He shouldn't be shouldn't have been elected in the first place, and that the Russians will eventually destroy Ukraine. Now, are you suggesting that Frank Morano will be doing a live broadcast from the victory parade of uh, Vladimir Putin on Monday, along with CNN in Red Square in Russia? Might as well. Oh, God. The haters are coming out. The haters are coming out. Oh, look, it's uh, Junior. Junior has responded. Uh, Junior, we need to be able to do surveillance on Frank's house. He's holding this huge party tomorrow uh, in honor of the Kentucky Derby. Uh, You know, people are going to be half in the bag by the time uh, the day's activities get started and be probably taking illegal action while serving those mint juleps uh, would you be able, you and Rusty, your dog, to monitor that since you've been really good neighbors there? Good morning, Curtis. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yes, loud and clear, Junior. All right, thank you very much. Um, I never thought I'd see what I saw in 66 years in this world, but uh, I'm glad I saw it, Curtis, because now I can go to my grave and say I saw everything. Uh, as we speak, we have an ongoing situation here on uh, Frank Morano's block. Uh, it appears all the neighbors are outside. Uh, they're in groups. They're pointing. They're talking. They're whispering. Some are on the sidewalks, the streets, and in the lawns. And nobody's been injured, so um, I don't want you to think I'm going there, but 
they're all pointing at Frank's house, and it's a pretty serious situation. Um, let me tell you, I came around the corner with Rusty, and when I seen all the people outside, I became very nervous because I thought, I don't want these guys describing me and Rusty to Frank the following day. So we tried to make our way down the other side of the street on the sidewalk in a bit of a hurry. But um, when the screams came from Frank's house, uh, Curtis, Rusty started snarling and growling, and he yanked me off the sidewalk across the street right up uh, Frank's front steps and onto the porch. And I'm thinking in my mind, if I can save a life, um, maybe I'll be on the front page receiving a certificate and a giant hug from Frank. So let's go for it. But when I got up on the front porch and looked in the picture window, I couldn't believe my eyes. Uh, there was Frank in the middle of the couch with no shirt on them gold chains hanging down in his black chest hairs, and he was wearing some uh, uh, black dress, dress slacks sitting in the middle of the couch, as I say. And across to his lap, uh, Curtis, was a poor little white man midget. Um, and don't hang up because it's not going to get any worse than this, but well, well, well I, I will totally tell I will tell you this, Junior. There was an episode about this, and I I refer to everybody. I don't know if anybody has ever seen the uh, Twilight Zone. The monsters are due on Maple Street. If anybody ever saw that, sounds uh, like Junior and his dog Rusty came across a scene right like that. The monsters are due on Maple Street. But it's okay. It's okay. We've got to move on. And in fact, uh, in the next hour, we're going to be discussing uh, what has happened and transpired in the state of New Jersey that just uh, put into effect the legalized uh, recreational use of marijuana. There have been uh, quite a few setbacks, uh, unexpected delays. And a lot of families are wondering uh, how it's going to affect their teenagers uh, in the household and the teenagers that they go to school with and the way it's changing their minds uh, about the uh, use of marijuana. And it's interesting because it all comes down to not in terms of what's in the best interest of the community, but uh, at the state capitol in Trenton, they're belly aching because they don't have enough marijuana. They've run out of marijuana. So many people have come across the state lines from Pennsylvania where recreational use of marijuana is not legal. And uh, here from New York where it is not dispensed yet from state licensed facilities. It is still illegal to sell marijuana in the state of New York. Although you never know it going in Times Square. My God, they're setting up card tables. They're dealing out of trucks. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's one big bud. You go into Times Square, it's like you go every few feet. Somebody else is selling marijuana openly. And the city is not doing anything about it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
Also, tomorrow we got to talk about uh, Mother's Day because it is interesting for every story you hear about a great relationship that people had with their mothers. And then you hear a horror story about the same kind of situation that emerged from Mother Dearest in which people just hate, they despise, they loathe their mother. Which is a very difficult thing to say because, let's face it, you can say, I hate, I loathe, I despise my father, daddy, whatever, pops. And it will be uh, better received than if you said, oh, my mommy was brutal. My mommy didn't take care of me. My mother was uh, over the top. Oh, we'll deal with that. Well, also, deal. I don't know if many of you realize that there is a shortage of flowers. A shortage of flowers. That's right. I have a feeling that the growers, the sellers, the wholesalers, the retailers have purposely limited the supply. Uh, and it will raise the price of flowers if you can find it. You know, if you can find the roses, if you can find the other flowers that are part of the tradition of uh, Mother's Day. Uh, if you can find the deathbed lilies that sometimes have been sent to me by my enemies, which is a signal that they'd like to kill me. Uh, but apparently, there's a shortage of flowers. <laughs> you know what that'll mean? You're going to see people visiting grave sites and taking flowers off of grave sites and repurposing them and wrapping them up in paper and then giving them to their mothers or grandmothers uh, for Mother's Day, which is part of the tradition. And then another update, and this is something that you could have seen coming down the pipe. The Food and Drug Administration imposed new restrictions just the other day on Johnson & Johnson's coronavirus vaccine, saying the risk of a rare and life-threatening blood clot syndrome outweighed the benefits. So if you're 18 or older, they don't want you getting J&J, even though it's a, it's a one shot as opposed to Moderna, two shots as opposed to Pfizer, two shots. So if you got J&J, they're telling you not to be worried. There's about 19 million doses of the J&J vaccine, the single shot that had been administered in the United States, compared with 340 million of Pfizer, 217 million of Moderna. But they're telling you, ah, don't worry about it. You avoided getting coronavirus. You avoided getting any of the variants. You avoided uh, getting COVID-19. And speaking of variants, apparently we're in the midst uh, of a fifth variant that is going to be floating through our areas in heavens to Betsy. Hopefully we do not impose any more mandates and any more lockdowns. Now, all the elected officials are saying, no, 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 we'll never do that again. But somehow, I just do not trust them. I don't trust them. And then lastly, who would steal a wheelchair? A 96-year-old Holocaust survivor on the west side went for a doctor's appointment. And then this uh, animal, this enemy of society, this cretin with chromosome damages, was seen driving away in this motorized wheelchair of a 96-year-old Holocaust survivor And I'll ask you later on, uh, what should his penalty be? Because nothing's going to happen to him if he gets arrested in Alvin Bragg land. He'll be given a disappearance ticket. He'll slip through the cracks. 
only to do it again and again and again. <laughs> Little street justice would be in order here. All that and more as my mission is to keep you pumping and jumping. Keep life going through every vein and artery that you have and making sure you make it with me until the 6 a.m. hour right here on the other, other side of midnight. Oh, yeah, degenerate gamblers, get your pads and pens and your number two pencil sharpened. I'm going to give you my choices for the Kentucky Derby coming up. And I generally picked, uh, have picked winners over the 32 years that I've been broadcasting and talk radio, not just for the Kentucky Derby, which has 20 horses running, but also then for the Preakness, which follows and the Belmont Stakes, which completes the Triple Crown uh, in Long Island. But what we're going to talk about now is the buses that are going in and out of New Jersey at a regular basis, across from Easton and Allentown and Bethlehem and the Lehigh Valley, where many of you are listening to me uh, as we speak, into Phillipsburg, one of those locations that have been chosen uh, for the state-licensed facilities that can sell both medical marijuana and the legal use of recreational marijuana. But they're coming in from Philadelphia into Camden County. They're coming uh, in all different ports of call in order to be able to purchase legally marijuana in the state of New Jersey. And you can do that. You can do that if you happen to be a resident in a Delaware, which they voted against legal use of marijuana, or uh, Pennsylvania, or Connecticut, or anywhere else, as long as you have a valid ID. And it's almost reverse osmosis. Think about what happened uh, when you go into Pennsylvania to those Walmart-style uh, fireworks shopping centers. You can buy fireworks in Pennsylvania. Yeah, you can buy them uh, and take them anywhere. Your problem is when you get into a state where fireworks are not legal and then you might be stopped by the state troopers or the local police and then you have double trouble. But now it's in reverse. People are going into New Jersey to legally purchase the recreational use of marijuana and then transport it to their states of origin. And all you have to do to purchase it in New Jersey is to show a legal ID. So first and foremost, we want to find out How is it working out in New Jersey? New Jersey is the first. New York is expected to follow uh, at the end of this year in uh, issuing those licensed uh, locations that vendors can sell uh, recreational use of marijuana. They can sell medical marijuana now, but not the recreational use of marijuana. Now, you never know that in the streets of New York City and in parts of New York State where it's openly sold, it's openly smoked, It's openly dealt, but people don't realize it's still illegal to sell that in the state of New York. Uh, They're waiting for the state-licensed approval system to go into effect. So then you'll only be able to buy it from vendors, supposedly legally. But based on the taxing situation of the product, there's no doubt there will be a burgeoning black market. But I'd love to find out from all of you in the state of New Jersey, how is it working so far? It's been in effect for a few weeks, the legal recreational use of marijuana. How is it working out if any of you have actually purchased it? If uh, you're in a town in which uh, the sales are made from it? And whether you've noticed any difference whatsoever 
in the state of New Jersey in terms of how life proceeds now that you can legally buy recreational use of marijuana and obviously medical marijuana, which you've been able to do for quite some time. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But let me give you some updates. A number one, the state of New Jersey has had to acknowledge that it is run out of uh, enough marijuana product to sell. It just doesn't have enough legal marijuana to sell. That is the main product, product problem that they have right now. They first must address the requirements for medical marijuana. And then anything that's left over can be sold legally uh, for recreational use. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And remember, when it's legal in a state, it has to be grown and harvested in that state, whether it's done outside or it's done through hydroponics. It has to be done in the state of New Jersey. You can't purchase it from another vendor or from another state. So, so far, people have waited in line in Phillipsburg uh, before it's even opened its door to recreational cannabis sales. And the state Senate is now going to hold a hearing on how the state agency regulating the new multi-billion dollar pot industry has dealt with the opening sales. They have, now get this, a Cannabis Regulatory Commission. It has declined to issue licenses for recreational weed to New Jersey's medical marijuana dispensaries at its March 24th meeting after previously missing a late February target date. These delays are totally unacceptable, said the uh, state Senate uh, president and that it was failing to fulfill what he said was a constitutional mandate, an initiative and referendum that had been uh, voted on by the people of New Jersey by a two-to-one margin. The Cannabis Regulation uh, Regulatory Commission said it delayed issuing licenses in March over fears that there would not be enough supply of marijuana for both the medical and recreational markets. So the commission has stressed social equity as it issued conditional licenses for small cultivators and manufacturers, many of which have diverse ownership. So the problem there is, by by having to abide by this social equity situation, they're not finding enough people who qualify to get the license to either grow it and then sell it to the distributors who would have the license to sell it. And it could take up to a year for over 102 smaller operations to begin selling wheat. Meantime, the black market continues to operate, and it is able to sell it at less of a price, although in New Jersey they indicate that sales have reached $2 million from over 12,000 customers who are over-the-counter, and the state gets its cut from the legal weed uh, from a sales tax that's 6.6%. The problem is, again, that they cannot have the supply of medical marijuana run out. They just don't have enough marijuana to continue to sell. The legal legal recreational use of marijuana 
Our numbers are open, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. If you happen to be in a town where marijuana is being sold openly and legally, if you happen to be a user, what's the difference in terms of buying it on the legal market as opposed to the black market? And what, if any, differences has this made in the life of New Jersey residents, especially for teenagers? And let's uh, let's delve into that, that subject of teenagers. Because this is a question that I'm most often asked by parents. They feel that, in many instances, that for their teenagers, if they begin to utilize marijuana, it's a gateway drug into utilizing uh, more dangerous forms of drugs. And I know a lot of you um, have called in the past that you started to use marijuana in your teenage years, whether in high school or college, and that it had little, if any, impact on your lives uh, in a negative sense. And then others of you have told me uh, that you've used it, and it was very detrimental, uh, that it led to uh, abuse of alcohol, it led to abuse of other stronger forms of drugs that you feel to this day you might not have indulged with if you hadn't engaged in Puff Puff Pass. So with the number of kids, the young adults, who clearly now are using it because they feel it's medicinal, this is uh, what they've been told, this is what they see in terms of some adults' uh, use, and what they feel is a sign of the times. I, I think a lot of parents wonder what the hell they can do to try to get their kid on track if, in fact, they end up having a problem with marijuana. How do you deal with that? For instance, if you're a user yourself, if you use marijuana or its many products, how do you deal with uh, then trying to prevent the young adults in your family or extended family or amongst friends or relatives to not use themselves, especially if they know that you yourself indulge, that you yourself either use the edible products uh, or the smokable products or you vape? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then when you're in your adolescence and you're trying to figure out who you are and how you fit into the world, you know, it's kind of normal uh, and expected that teenagers are going to experiment with almost everything at certain points as they try to establish uh, their own mold, their own uh, way of dealing with life. I remember as a teenager, and I'm sure this was true of many of you, you're searching for a purpose in life. You're trying to develop your social, your communication, your relationship skills uh, that, let's face it, you got to hone in order to be as successful uh, as an adult, whether you go into business, whether you end up having to work, which most people are going to have to. They're not born independently wealthy. They can't live off a blind trust put aside by their grandparents or parents. But um, how do you just dismiss substance use and say that it's just a normal part of adolescence experimentation? Because for some, it may inflict some, some damage, developmental damage, or it may cause addiction. 
Because let's face it, there are a lot of folks out there, if you look at their genetics, they come from families in which there has been tremendous uh, alcohol or drug uh, abuse. And then it seems they fall into that trap a lot quicker than anybody else. And adolescent substance use will almost always manifest itself in some kind of family discord. You're going to have an argument at some point in that house. It could be because of failing grades or you've decided uh, the kid decides uh, quitting sports or hobbies that they once enjoyed. It's now uh, been marked by a change uh, in the friends or the crowd that they're hanging out with. Or now they're trying to cover up uh, those times that they are using edibles or they're smoking, so they're consistently lying about where they are and what they're doing and all the signs that something may be wrong. What do you do as a parent? Because the worst thing to do as a parent is nothing. But do you become overly protective? Do you let the child just go through that circumstance in their life of experimentation? Uh, Do you do an early intervention? Or do you just allow itself to play out? And then hope that with your guidance or suggestions that the kid just works it out of their system. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Carol. Who's calling from uh, New Jersey? Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carol. Hi there, Chris. Yes, Carol. Um, Carol, yeah, can I you come? Uh, can you come closer to the phone? Closer to the phone, Carol. Am I closer? Oh, that's much better, Carol. Much better. Okay. Um, I saw that film with um, Bob Hope as Jenny Walker, and I thought he was great in that film. But a lot of comedians are very good actors. That's my opinion. Yeah, well, that when Bob when Bob Hope played uh, Jimmy Walker, the former uh, mayor of New York City, who was uh, mm-hmm. constantly chasing uh, females, drinking, carousing <laughs> to the wee hours of the morning, hell raising. Uh, I thought he did a great job. I I never anticipated, expected uh, it to be such a good acting job. Yeah, but you know, Don Rickles was a good actor too. Because he was in uh, Requiem for a heavyweight, and he plays the coach, you know, whatever the person is that that handles the person. I thought that Don Rickles was a good actor. A lot of comedians are good actors, actually. Hmm. I'm trying to think myself of other comedians who unexpectedly uh, performed really well. Robin Williams. Robin Robin Williams, Williams. that's true. That's true. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I'll put it out there for those of you out there uh, who uh, are listening. Is what uh, comedians that you saw appearing in a movie uh, actually did a hell of a lot better than you ever thought they would uh, in a serious role. In a serious role, because a lot of times comedians, you would anticipate that they would be funny. And then all of a sudden you see him in a super serious or a semi-serious role and you would say, wow, this, this man or this woman has talent. Yeah, Jerry Lewis was a very good actor also. Yeah, well, Jerry Lewis, yeah, but it, it would always come down to comedic. It would always come down to comedic. So yeah. he, he would yeah. always be making jokes. I mean, they still, to this day, love him in France. He was like an iconic uh, performer in France. I don't ever quite understand mm. that. 
but yeah, at no, one time, <laughs> in one at one time, Carol, he was the number one box office star in all of America. Yeah, by That's himself, right. by himself. Mm-hmm. Had quite a casting couch, also, Carol. Uh, many women who had worked with him said that uh, in order mm-hmm. to get a job with uh, Jerry Lewis to appear in his shows. You had to submit yourself to the Jerry Lewis casting couch, which I don't know if it meant you had to listen to some of his stale, corny jokes or you had to have him perv on you. Right, right. Oh, I wanted to mention about Dave Chappelle. How did that guy get there? Did he buy a ticket to the Hollywood Bowl? I mean, how? How did that Isaiah Lee, whatever his name is, yep. how did he even get in there? Well, Isaiah Lee, 23 years old, apparently homeless, has been living in homeless shelters in L.A. for quite some time. No known uh, means of income. Uh, you're asking the same question that I asked. Apparently no reporters are asking out there. Is how the hell did he get into the uh, front, the front row? I don't know of the uh, Hollywood Bowl where you had Jay-Z, Beyonce with their security. You had Elon Musk with his security. You had Madonna with her security. You had Jamie Foxx with his security. You had the 20 goons that uh, uh, Chappelle had with him on stage. If you notice, they were on stage. You had the uh, security that are hired by the Hollywood Bowl normally. You had Eric Adams and the NYPD. And yet this guy was able to make it up on the stage. All I know is that when I went to any kind of event, and I went to see many things, even in England, I had to buy a ticket. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way I got in. I had to buy a ticket. That's right. But anyway, Carol, uh, you brought up a great movie, Requiem for a Heavyweight. Who is the star of that movie? Let me give you a hint. The star of this movie uh, would also go on to uh, sometimes attend in the Celebrity Pew, we'll call it the Celebrity Row, the trial of John Gotti Sr., downtown Brooklyn, Eastern District, on many an occasion. Who was the star of Requiem for Heavyweight, in which Don Rickles was the manager? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jim in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Hey, Curtis, how's it going? I, um, with the marijuana thing, I looked into it. I'm the guy who bought the farm upstate New York at a restaurant. You know, the, the money that they want for licenses and jumping through hoops. You know what? Most people don't smoke marijuana. As far as kids, I don't think it should be in their hands. You know, I mean, I grew up with people just like you. Some of them turned out great. Some of them just, it's just how they, you know, it's, it's addictive personality is going to be addictive personality. You know, the the pot they got today is way stronger than the pot that we were kids. You know, I'll be and I'll be honest with you, my wife, I buy her gummies. You know what I mean? And she takes them at night. You know what I mean? Just almost like a nighttime, you know, uh, drink. Instead of that, she'll have a piece of a gummy, and that helps her go to sleep. You know what I mean? She's not eating gummies all day. And I'd like to try one, but I drive a tractor trailer and I get drug tested. Now, a lot of people can't use marijuana today because of their profession. They get, you know, they have drug tests. And it's not as profitable as you think long-term. A lot of cannabis companies don't make any money and go out of business because the more that come online drives the price down, and the regulations are so strict. You know, I mean, like, like 
when it first was legal out in Colorado, it was a gold mine. They could only make enough. But a lot of everybody got into it. A lot of you know companies got into it. A lot of them went out of business. Yeah, well, that's the other problem is that remember, if a state decides that the recreational use of marijuana or medical marijuana is okay, and in 37 states, medical marijuana is okay. I think 18 states, recreational use of marijuana is okay. They can only use marijuana that is grown and produced in that state. So you would think, like, wait a second. (laughs) There's a huge market out there. This is capitalism. You would figure that they could bring in strains from California, from Hawaii, from Mexico. They're not permitted to do that. Right. But that's it. This is something also people can grow themselves. Most people ain't going to make whiskey at home or beer, but they can grow pot right in their kitchen in a, in a planter. You know what I mean? My, my wife, my mother-in-law, she's 80 years old. She smokes pot to this day. When I met my wife, she had a farm. Her mother had a, a big trailer out back full of pot plants. You know what I mean? To this day, you'll, You'll see her smoking a. I'll go. I'll go down to her house. She'll be up on her roof barefoot, fixing shingles at eighty years old with a doobie hanging out of her mouth. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it depends on the person. You know what I mean? I know I could get a lot more trouble drinking whiskey than I can smoking a joint. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a bad combination. I'm Irish, French, Canadian, and Blackfoot Indian. You know what I mean? So the Irishman likes to drink and fight. The Indian can't can't handle the booze. <laughs> now let me ask you a question. Your mother-in-law is how old? She just turned eighty years old, Curtis, and she still smokes pot. And and she's totally functional. She raised eight kids. She you know they have a small farm, not like not like a commercial farm, but she smokes pot just like look at Willie Nelson. Yeah. I. I I don't think it's, you know, it's just like anything else. You know what I mean? Do I want to see kids walking around stoned out of their mind? No. Are they going to get their hands on it? Yes. You know what I mean? But I don't think, you know, to me, I don't want to see kids doing it. But if somebody wants to smoke a joint, you know, at the end of the day at home instead of having a glass of wine or whatever, I don't think it's a big thing. You know what I mean? And I said, a lot of people can't do it because they get drug tested. And then once more comes online, like I said, the price drives down. The regulations are so strict. See, Hochul... She's trying to run Cuomo's playbook, you know what I mean, you know, with the um, the licenses for people who had marijuana convictions, people of color. Cuomo pandered to people of color because there's a huge voting block down in New York City in five boroughs. He knew if he could get that voting block, he was guaranteed to win. So she's doing the same thing with the marijuana licenses and all that. But like I said, eventually down the road, it's not the cash cow you think it is. People could grow it at home. More comes online, it drives the price down. I buy marijuana right now in in New York at these some of these Indian delis. They got it right up. They got it right on the counter today. It ain't even legal yet. Yeah, no, no. Even though it's uh, illegal, there's no enforcement to uh, prevent anybody from selling marijuana. And even if they're selling uh, a lot of weight, if they're selling bales, there's no uh, there's nobody out there preventing them from doing it. No. But your uh, mother-in-law. Uh, she grows your own product? Yeah, sure. They get it from Oregon because they're originally from Oregon. And, uh, yeah, she don't sell it or anything. She grows it for her own use. 80 years old, still functioning. Just turned 80 the other day. I mean, she don't walk around and doobie hanging out of her mouth. But I've literally gone down there you know, and seen her on the roof, barefoot, fixing a shingle 
with a doobie hanging out of her mouth. Like, what are you doing up there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, I, you know, you see during a crack epidemic, you know what I mean? People just lose their souls. You know, I, I had cousins that were dead that from, uh, from Jersey City, you know, ended up, ended up there clean cut, good looking guys, you know, turn, turn to drugs, turn to heroin, catching AIDS off a bad needle. And they died from that. I see people lose their soul. Clean cut white kids from the suburbs lose their soul with you know, cocaine and crack. You know, now I, we talked about this. I was out and about the day. Every, cocaine was everywhere back in the eighties. Wasn't my thing. You know, it was, I respected my parents too much to turn to that. And as far as it being a gateway drug, marijuana, it's a gateway drug when it's illegal. When you got to go to the drug dealer to get it, and he turns you on to other things. You know what I mean? If people could buy it in a dispensary or in a deli or whatever. They're not going to go hunting down crack and heroin. They'll stay with their pop. If they go to a drug dealer, you know what I mean, and already, ah, hey man, you know, turn them on, turn them on the heroin, you know, whatever he's got, you know what I mean. So I don't, I, anything's a gateway drug. Beer could be a gateway drug to to whiskey and anything. I see people, kids growing up, take one drink and become total alcoholics. Rest, you know what I mean, total alcoholics. And other people, you know, they're casual drinkers. Me, I barely drink anymore because I don't. I, I go seven days a week, and I can't afford the hangover. Or I can't afford to have it in my system. I'm going to track a trailer now. If I, you're allowed zero tolerance with alcohol or anything like that. If I get in any type of accident with injuries, they automatically, you know, blood test you. Yeah, no, no, no. You're absolutely right. And when it comes to marijuana, uh, it can stay in your system for close to 30 days. So even if you did take a blood test, it really wouldn't be relevant to. Uh, the uh, situation uh, that you found yourself in at that moment when an accident took place. So they've yet to determine a accurate test for the use uh, of marijuana. And uh, that is what law enforcement is struggling with because uh, law enforcement at this point uh, has only the measure to uh, have you get out of your vehicle and have you walk uh, a straight and narrow path. They can't use the same mentality, the same methods that they would use if they thought that you had had too much to drink, a breathalyzer. Breathalyzer has nothing to do with uh, your ingestion of any marijuana product or your inhaling or vaping of any marijuana product. And that's the problem, the dilemma that police have when thinking you're impaired behind the wheel, possibly having used marijuana. But the interesting thing is in New York State, you could have marijuana in the car. You can't stop the person if you smell the marijuana product. You can only stop the person if you smell the burnt product. Now, how they made a determination like that in the legislature is beyond me. So if I can actually see and smell plants in the back of the, uh, of the car, I can't do anything as law enforcement. Only if I can smell the burnt residue of marijuana. Now, how stupid is that? But then again, a lot of things that come out of the legislative process are stupid. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC.
This is the Cheech and Chong uh, anthem. Low Rider by War. Let's go to the phones, and it's Troy in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Troy. Coach, how you doing? Pleasure to speak to you. Uh, first yeah, off, well, you got to understand, Troy, there are rules and regulations here in the Curtis Lee Show. I don't know about for other hosts or hostesses. They're just happy to get anybody to call them, so they'll let anything slide. There are Robert rules of order of engagement with yours truly. Never ask me how I'm doing. Because I'm going to be telling I've had better days. Kabish, Troy, Kabish. Yes, sir. All right. Go for it now, Troy. Now, let me tell you something. The reason why uh, marijuana's been illegal for years is just to uh, give, like, uh, give uh, people a reason to vote back people in jail and want to employ as many um, white, uneducated races as possible. That's the straight reason. They uh, want to- Troy, you got to slow it down. Say it again so that it's decipherable. Okay. They want to put as many black people in jail as possible. And the reason why they want to do that because they can employ as many white races as possible. So they want to put as many people in jail as possible, you said? Yeah, they want to fill up their prison, private prisons. They have private prisons for years, but then they started low social as the slack cost said, well, what are we going to do? Let's throw the marijuana in jail. But they're not putting marijuana users in jail, Troy. Well, thank you. The legislature is caught up with everything. No, no, I understand. But right now, I could be sitting outside on five bales of marijuana the size of bales of hay. Police officers would drive by, and they would do nothing about it. Yeah, but then uh, the, other, the other big cartels, they could do something to you. When the police are not around, that's the that's thing about it. Hmm. Now, have you, Troy, yourself, have you used marijuana? No, I haven't used marijuana, but I've been doing it for 30 years. I know about the club scene. Um, all those people use coke, uh, crack heroin, uh, things in the clubs. Did you I, Did I, you yourself indulge, uh, Troy? No, I didn't. I was supposed to have that. It was an alcohol because... I had someone. I had to have someone clear how to play the music. So you were like you were able to avoid using the drugs, but you used alcohol. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, hey, look, you got a strong, strong constitution there. In that kind of a world, you're surrounded by. It, you sometimes dabble with it. Doesn't mean you become a user. But it's kind of hard to do an Nancy Reagan and do just say no. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Alfredo in Newark. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Alfredo. Yes, Curtis, good evening. Um, I am listening some, a lot of people are, agree with the marijuana use and also legalized marijuana, and I am against. Uh, I have a question for you and also a comment. When you were trying to be a mayor, uh, you agree or disagree with that, with marijuana possession and marijuana smoking? And my comment is that uh, I try a couple of times in my life different kinds of marijuana, and uh, I was in a very bad situation, so I don't think marijuana is right for some people. Well, for instance, under what circumstances, Alfredo, did you try marijuana? Just have fun with one of my friends. Okay. Uh, and what was your experience? 
Oh, the first time that I tried, I was 17 years old, like uh, 40 years ago. And uh, I couldn't move. I was like uh, sitting down for 30 minutes, I guess, without moving. I didn't know what was going on around me. Did you ever try marijuana after that? Yes, a couple of times more. Uh, the second time, or the third time, I remember very clear. It was in New York. I tried, I don't know, what kind of marijuana, and uh, I was very bad. Uh, I, I, I see the lights, like, for example, the, 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 the lights on the post, they were like a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and smaller and smaller, 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 you know, like that. Things like crazy things happen in my brain. And it was marijuana. It was no other thing. Ah, so you uh, you had uh, some negative effects from uh, using marijuana. Yes, sir. So I don't think I am the only one. Well, it'll be interesting to find out from our listeners, because uh, uh, for every one person who says they had a negative uh, effect, like yourself, Alfredo, since you've used it a few times in 40 years, there are others uh, who would claim that they're using it every day, and it doesn't affect their uh, ability to perform, to work, to think, to function, uh, to exist. Yes, sir. I know a lot of people, they drive better than me, and uh, they use uh, a lot of marijuana every day, and they're in a very good shape. I understand that. But my point is, like, uh, you cannot generalize. I don't think everybody is the same. Now, Alfredo, where are you originally from? Peru, Lima, Peru. Ah, Lima, Peru. Uh, uh, how long since you've been there? Uh, uh, what, my last time that I was there? Or... Yes. Oh, I was there in uh, 2007, so 15 years ago. Now, I know in a lot of those countries in South America, Central America, they use uh, marijuana. Did you see that when you were growing up in Lima? Oh, yeah, a lot. Since I was a kid, it was prohibited, but a lot of people used it. And, you know, very weird that uh, they went to jail because it was a small amount and uh, the police didn't say anything to you, you know. So it was very easy to get out also from jail in the same day. You got some money, uh, but a lot, a lot. Well, uh, you were there when they had the Shining Path, the Radicals, and also when they elected the uh, Japanese guy to be your president. Yes, sir, I was there. And what describe it. What was that like? Because you had revolutionaries up in the hills uh, attacking your electricity plants. You'd have, all, you'd have blackouts all the time. And then you had this Japanese guy who was, like, cracking down on them. Uh, yes, uh, I can write a book, uh, you know, too many things, bad, bad things, like uh, you didn't have light, as you said, for two, three days in electricity in the houses. Uh, for two or three days sometimes, uh, a lot of uh, terror, like uh, bombs everywhere, even though you went to a concert, for instance, and it was a bomb, so you couldn't go to a concert. Uh, of course, I didn't see that because I live in a very nice area, but you, you read the newspaper and you listen to the, 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 the TV and, uh, you know, you saw that, you know, so, uh, but it could happen anywhere, even though in a good areas. I remember now, I live in a good area, and uh, that happens 
close to my home, yeah, it was an, a bomb uh, close to like a one kilometer away. And uh, they were dead, like uh, 100 people. So it was a very bad, very bad experience for me. Well, I think uh, we have no way to re relate to that, Alfredo. Uh, not having that kind of revolutionaries functioning uh, amongst us, uh, terrorizing the average people, and then uh, having to have a government uh, that was so oppressive that it would uh, violate the rights of average citizens in their war against uh, the radicals who were trying a, a coup d'etat, a total revolution as Shining Path was. And boy, they were about as evil a group of revolutionary uh, warriors as you could imagine. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bobby in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Hey, Curtis. I really like the show. It's entertaining and very informative. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Bobby. You're welcome. You're welcome. Listen, what about you? Maybe I'm be talking about com comedians and stuff. How about Bob Saget, you know, uh, he was a little uh, risque on on the comedic stage, but he was very demure. And uh, when he was on the TV show, especially one with the, the father of the uh, the four daughters, it's called Four House. Remember that? I never, to be honest with you, I really wasn't uh, a follower of Bobby Saget. Uh, whether on the stage, I know uh, he uh, would make off-colored remarks. Or in all the straight oh, yeah. uh, shows uh, that he appeared in, which you, you would never know was the same guy. Yeah, exactly. You would never know. I, I heard his, his show, and I'm like, that's not the same guy that my kids were watching the show, you know, the TV show with. That guy's very, uh, you know, he's older. That was very interesting. But, um, yeah, I'm going to say rest in peace anyway. Don't curse PC Peter out at the Crummy Gates. That's, oh, man. That, what were you talking about? That's, you were talking about before, right? What, what are you, suffering a little Joe Biden uh, reaction? You can't even read it. I mean, it, it's spreading around here. Whatever Joe Biden has, it's spreading around with our audience tonight. It must be all the, all the cannabis that everybody's using, huh? I think so. I think I, it's either that or it's, you're, you're getting that, you're getting that to the, you're hitting that 80 mark like Joe Biden. Oh, my God, has he had a bad week. Oof. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Diane in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Diane. Okay. Um, as far as the comedians, Jerry Lewis was in this great movie called King of Comedy. Did you see it? Oh, yeah, the King of Comedy. One of my favorites there. You had uh, Robert De Niro. <clears throat> That's right. Who, who kidnaps Jerry Lewis. And right. I'll never forget that line in which he said, Hey, Jerry, it's me. You don't know me anymore. I'm a person of no consequence. Hey, Jerry. Ha, I use and that line all the time. But he played a straight part in that, Jerry Lewis, and he was really good. Oh, the, And that one, you're, you're correct. I, I amend that because uh, I hadn't even thought of that. But that was such a great movie. Most people have never seen The King of Comedy. Oh, I love it. But well, that also, was Jackie, brilliant. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Jackie Gleason was a great actor. Oh. He was in, a, he was in that one with Paul Newman. He played that Paul Hustler. Yep. And Jiggly. And, yeah, he was great. And also Art Carney was in some films. Yeah, that is correct. And they uh, really were outstanding Although I am a little disappointed, Diane, in uh, 
and our and our listeners who normally hit these trivia questions. I asked them what I thought would, uh, was a very simple question. Who is the star of the Requiem for a heavyweight? We had heard that Don Rickles was the manager, the agent, correct. And they weren't able to figure out who is the star of the Requiem for heavyweight. Wasn't that, um, oh, my God, I can't think of his name. Um, Let me give you a hint. No, he was really handsome. He he, he played, um, oh, yeah, Stella, Stella. You know, Marlon uh, Brando, wasn't he in that? No. No, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Oh, I'm thinking of something else. Well, let me give you a hint. His uh, country of origin, his birthplace was Mexico City. Mexico City. And I can't believe that everybody out there does not know who the star of Requiem for Heavyweight was. And in fact, he had the celebrity pew at the John Gotti Senior Trial, downtown Brooklyn, Eastern District. He, Jimmy Kahn, who's that other guy? There's a whole bunch of them. How could you not know this? 1-800-848-9222, but... It's time for me to give you the racing picks for the Kentucky Derby that'll be running off in just a few hours at 7 o'clock. All right, degenerate gamblers. I do know that Frank Morano will be taking illegal book uh, on the outcome of the Kentucky Derby and the races that lead up to it at Churchill Downs. A 148th run for the Roses. Uh, they're uh, going to be having a party, a um, Kentucky Derby party at Frank Morano's house. They'll be serving mint juleps. And the ladies will be wearing their spring dresses with bonnets. But uh, apparently they will be taking illegal book. It will be a wire room. At least that's what I've been told. And these are the choices you should make. Get your pad in a pen because you got winners here. In fact. If I were you, I would take a reverse mortgage, El Rapido. I would raid my 401k before 7 o'clock and place your bet. Whether you can do it legally or illegally, it's a winner. Now, even though it's going to be a sloppy, wet, muddy track, no doubt about it, it's been raining in uh, Churchill Downs, Louisville, all week. And the prognosticators, the so-called experts, have picked Messier to win the number six horse. And have said there's a possibility that the number 11 horse, Pioneer of Medina, a 30-to-1 shot, may be able to uh, take it uh, in the end. And I know a lot of you, you like to do these exotic bets. You're exactus, trifectus, superfectus. Uh, knock yourself out. I'm going to give you the winner. I'm going to give you the win, show, and place. Number one will be the third horse epicenter. Remember, there will be 20 horses running, at least 20 as of now. And the reason I'm picking epicenter, even though it'll be a sloppy, wet, muddy track, is that Steve Asmussen has had more wins than any other trainer in the history of racing, but is 0 for 23 at the Kentucky Derby, and I believe he's going to break that curse that has haunted him. And second position will be, uh, not Taliban, the number 12 horse, Taliba. And in the third position will be the favorite running at 3-1 uh, to one odds, Zandin. 
But Zandin will not be able to overcome Taliba and Epicenter because of the sloppy, wet, muddy track. You can take that to the bank. Those are my uh, derby picks. And in the past, in 32 years of broadcasting, mostly at WABC, I've been extraordinarily uh, good in picking winners at both uh, Churchill Downs, the Kentucky Derby, with 20 horses. In a few weeks, the Preakness will kick off at Baltimore, and there'll be far few horses. And then eventually the Triple Crown comes to Belmont Stakes out in Long Island, Queens. Now remember, take that reverse mortgage. Raid your kids' college education or grandkids' college educational fund. I guarantee you got a winner. And knock yourself out with all the exotic bets, the exactus, trifectas, and superfectas. Anyway, let's go to Rick in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. Hey, Curtis. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, that, that movie, at least the 62 of Requiem, was Anthony Quinn, but this, also Jack Palance has played the part, too. That's right. Anthony Quinn was magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. I think he either won an Academy Award or he was uh, nominated for the Academy Award for that part. Uh, Don Rickles was in that. That that was just well cast. It was, uh, you know, you you were inside those old-style arenas. It was magnificent. It was magnificent. really done well. In fact, Rick... uh, By the way, by the way, I wanted to mention, if if I could, uh, you were were asking about uh, comedians that, you know, have done... Good jobs in acting. I wanted to bring up Adam, Adam Sandler and in Uncut Gems. Yep, and, an excellent movie. And in fact, it, it touches right on what we're talking about with the, you know, lead-in drugs and so on. The guy, he he's basically, you know, he's a habitual user. I mean, from the gambling to the drugs to the cocaine, um, he he played the best I've ever seen anyone that, you know, showed that had that kind of a problem. You know, we actually, in the movie, could you know, you could feel for the guy, you know? Appreciate that. In fact, Rick, stay on the line, uh, Avery. Uh, do your fiduciary duty and make sure we take good care of Rick that he's going to get uh, the WABC iconic hat with the name Curtis Sliwa on it. Uh, you can multitask with that. And if you ever get surrounded by thugs who are threatening to smash your brains into smithereens, you rock that Curtis Sliwa part of the cap. And you let them know, I know Curtis Sliwa, and vengeance will be mine. And see if that has a paralyzing effect, Rick. Anyway, interesting, Anthony Quinn, uh, probably best known for his appearance as Zorba, Zorba the Greek. He's been in so many other great movies, but he was from Mexico City. And he was told early on that uh, you're too Hispanic. Uh, you can't make it. Although I never thought he was Hispanic growing up, to be honest. Uh, I thought he was either Italian or Yugoslavian or Albanian or Serbian or something. Great actor. Although he paid tribute to John Gotti Sr. at his trial where Sammy the Bull Gravano testified and they played the Memorex tapes. It was... Um, Jimmy Kahn, James Kahn, who came in the celebrity pew. It was um, uh, obviously Anthony Quinn. It was the guy who was in the Pope of Greenwich Village. Who is that, ladies and gentlemen? Who is in the Pope of Greenwich Village, uh, that movie? 1-800-848-9222. 
And the other one was in good times, believe it or not. African-American, he lived in Teaneck. He was the father uh, in good times. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Joe Giuseppe calling from New Jersey. Your turn to BBC, Giuseppe. Hey, Curtis. How you doing? Um, yeah, John Amos. Is that the guy you're referencing from Good Times? That is correct. John Amos, John Amos. Uh, who would actually go to the John Gotti Senior Trial, downtown Brooklyn. And a lot of people would say, gee, what the hell is he doing in that celebrity pew? I don't know if he ever got a uh, what we called a mob scholarship uh, that enabled these guys to go to method acting class. Uh, but... Um, uh, he certainly was there. He paid tribute to John Gotti Sr., as did Anthony Quinn, as did Jimmy Kahn, and one other, the Pope. He was in the Pope of Greenwich Village. And right now, if he had another facelift, uh, it would snap like an old rubber band. <laughs> so I have a couple of comedians for you that, that sort of did some serious stuff you may like. So the first one is Bill Burr, who's actually hysterical. And he was in the, the uh, King of Staten Island, and he played a, a fire, I guess not a fire chief, but he was uh, you know, part of the um, Staten Island Fire Department. He was amazingly great as a serious actor in that role. And then another couple of guys who were kind of surprising was John Lugaziamo, Lugaziamo I, I think I'm pronouncing his name incorrectly, but he was amazing, absolutely amazing as Benny Blanco in Carlito's Way. And uh, he also he's done other roles as well, like Spawn. He was actually the clown in Spawn, which you'd never know because he was in full makeup. Well, actually, it was all CGI, but that was his voice. So he's a pretty capable actor, that guy. And then the last one, someone already said Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems, but the last one I was thinking about was a guy named Eric Bogosian, who did a lot of funny stand-up in the early 90s, late 80s, and then went on to do talk radio, with, which is a fabulous movie, which you know relates to what you're doing. But I don't know if you ever got to see talk radio, but that that's that was a very serious role for him. He usually did a lot of stand up. Anyway, just wanted to give you a couple of other names. Yeah, Joe. No, I did see talk radio. Uh, it was a very dark piece, uh, very well done, as you pointed out. Um, I think uh, that it featured on Bob Grant, the king of all talk radio, who was my mentor, who was at the height of talk radio at that time. The movie came out. Uh, but I'm not necessarily sure, pretty sure it was based on Bob Grant, although the actor, as you said, the comedian who did it uh, was no fan, uh, I believe, nor were the production people of Bob Grant. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we continue on. Oh, we're going to talk about my night taking my wife Nancy to the Staten Island Ferry Hawks opening game in Staten Island where I met Frank Morano, his lovely wife, Rachel, and yes, the young Carmine, who might as well be called Big Boy El Jefe, because he is 36 pounds. Imagine, birthed on Thanksgiving to a midwife provided from Mount St. Laredo by Vinnie Ignizio, a 92-year-old nun, and Nurse uh, Ratchet at Richmond uh, Hospital. That boy, that bouncing uh, big boy, El Jefe, Carmine, is now 36 pounds. Maron Ama. Ano does. 
We have no idea how old he really is, but has to be the oldest guy I've ever heard on talk radio. Rudy Bally, Brother Can You Spare a Dime, Al Jolson, part of the uh, many songs that he uh, uses as entry points and exit points. In fact, tomorrow night I have to, uh, we got to play some of that uh, so-called comedic uh, routine of not just Frank Morano, but some of his callers, which was so low budget, it would have been booed off of a high school uh, talent night stage. It was so bad. But let me get into um, having uh, been at the uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawks game opening uh, night. Frank Morano eventually showed up. Uh, Frankie Five Burroughs from Staten Island with his lovely wife, Rachel, and Carmine, his new son, who was birthed in Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day, or approximately around then. I remember that. And it's amazing because um, uh, he was so big, the kid, 13 pounds at birth, he had to be delivered by a midwife provided by Mount St. Laredo. Uh, Vinny Ignizio was in charge at the time. Had a midwife um, nun come over and assist um, Rachel uh, along with Nurse Ratchet there provided by the hospital. And I would have thought that they would have put um, El Jefe, big boy, uh, Carmine, on a diet. Nope, 36 pounds. And that reminds me, now that I saw Carmine the other day uh, for the first time, because naturally I was not invited to the christening. I was not invited to the baptism. I still haven't been told why I'm suddenly persona non grata. But I wasn't invited. But thinking of big boy, how many of you remember... Bob's Big Boy Restaurants, or as that I think officially was known, Big Boy Restaurants. The reason why I mention that is when I saw young Carmine, he looked like that figure in front of the original Bob's Big Boy uh, Restaurants, you know, that had that six rolls of uh, fat protruding where his shirt and his pants meet. You remember Bob's Big Boy? And by the way, what was the predecessor to the Big Mac? What was the specialty that was served at Bob's Big Boy Restaurant? Believe it or not, I went to a Bob's Big Boy Restaurant in TJ, Tijuana, Mexico. Yeah, they had one there. I'm sure some of you have been there who served in either the United States Marine Corps or the United States Navy when you were taking your excursions into Tijuana, south of the border, and Ensenada. There was a Bob's Big Boy right in TJ, and the place was always packed. Because naturally, Mexicans are so tired of eating tacos. Remember, they don't have burritos there. That's not a Mexican item. That was created in America. Just like Cinco de Mayo is an American holiday. It's not. You say Cinco de Mayo in Mexico. What? What's that? Burrito in Mexico. What? What's a burrito? It's all an American creation. But how many of you remember Bob's Big Boy Restaurant? I think the headquarters was either... In Cincinnati or Warren, Michigan, right outside of Detroit. That iconic figure of Bob's Big Boy 
existed long before Mickey D's, Ronald McDonald, long before Mickey D's. You would have thought they would have been everywhere in the country. They would have dominated the market. But they had their original burger. What was it called? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But speaking of Frank Morano, I was amazed, amazed, because he's got, he acts like he's 80. He acts like he could have been in that uh, TV program, Mad Men. Remember about the advertising agencies in the 50s and 60s where all they would do is have a liquid lunch? Uh, Frank, Frank Morano actually has a liquid lunch. I don't know of anybody who exists in life any longer that has a liquid lunch. It used to be the tradition in business, you know, they'd be sober before 12 and they'd come back half in the bag and you might as well forget the rest of the day's activities. These are the mockers, these are the muckety-mucks, the shot callers, the decision makers, the white-collared workers. Here is Frank Morano describe his normal lunch. The three martini lunch is the epitome of American efficiency. Nowhere else can you get an earful, a bellyful, and a snootful. And I've always tried to go along with that. And I try to have these days. I don't really have lunch because uh, I'm asleep at lunchtime. But when I was having lunch, I would try to have as many three martini lunches as possible. The hell, three martini lunch? He's like smashed. And by the way, what was that noise he was making? What was he fidgeting around with? All right, Broadway Bill, let's play that again and try to figure out what was he doing? What was he fidgeting with when he was talking about how smashed he used to get? you imagine being able to even stand after a three-martini lunch? The three-martini lunch is the epitome of American efficiency. Nowhere else can you get an earful, a bellyful, and a snootful. And I've always tried to go along with that. And I try to have – these days I don't really have lunch because uh, I'm asleep at lunchtime. But when I was having lunch, I would try to have as many three martini lunches as possible. What the hell was that noise? Can anybody decipher what that noise was? Uh, he seemed to be rolling something around on the console. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Then naturally he had his preferred martini. I am a martini drinker. If uh, you've been out to to dinner or drinks with me, especially during the spring and the summer, my go to drink is a Bombay Sapphire Martini straight up with a twist. Oh my God! He smashed. By the way, uh, can you play that one more time, uh, Broadway uh, Bill? I am a martini drinker. If uh, you've been out to to dinner or drinks with me, stop. Especially stop it right there. During the- if you've been out to dinner or drinks with Frank, you're going to have to pay the tab because he's got alligator arms. You never see Frank Morano's arms go into his pockets to pay for a bill if you're out. Having dinner or drinks with Frank Morano. Just let me remind all of you listeners out there. If you go out with Frank Morano for lunch or dinner or drinks, know he has alligator arms. He has never picked up a check. He's known to be uh, frugal. He will be kind to Frank. 
since he is the untouchable. He's the golden child. He can do no wrong here at WABC. As the suits, the mockers, the muckety mucks describe them to me as the future of talk radio. Madonamai. Now he's going to give everybody instructions on what to do when you order a martini. You say what kind of liquor you want, meaning gin or vodka, and if you have a brand preference, uh, give me a Stoli martini, right? Then you say whether you want it straight up or on the rocks, and then you say whether you want it with olives or a twist. So you might say, give me a Stoli martini on the rocks with olives. Uh, So I'm a Bombay Sapphire martini straight up with a twist. That is my go-to drink for six or seven months out of the year. Man, you are lush. There's no other way of describing it. You are a lush. You are a booze hound. Wow. Uh, let me hear that very short. Short and sweet what he is. Short and Bombay sweet. Sapphire Martini straight up with a twist. That is my go-to drink. Uh, can I hear that again? Bombay Sapphire Martini straight up with a twist. That is my go-to drink. He's a lush. He's a booze hound. Uh, he's got rum roux soon, uh, and he'll be doing a Jake Lake. Does anybody know what a Jake leg and rum rouge is? 1-800-848-9222. Coming to a, a town near you, Frankie Five Burroughs, uh, Murano, who will be having rum rouge and Jake leg. Explain what that is, listeners. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But back to the reason for me going out to Staten Island with Nancy my beautiful wife, the other night, to take in the opening night of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, owned and operated by John and Margot Katsimatidis. They're part owners of the franchise there. They revived it. It used to be the Staten Island Yankees, a minor league team. Then the Yankees uh, no longer continued minor league baseball at that level. Uh, John and his partner came in, and they revived baseball so that you haven't on Staten Island. But here's Frank Morano, such a good thing, and he's kvetching. He's kvetching. Curtis has started this rumor that I'm throwing out the first pitch on Tuesday. I am not. I am not. At first, And you heard Wiener. Wiener, who should know better because he listens to Curtis for at least two hours a week. Wiener believed him. And so then who's on Saturday night? And Vinny Madunio. And Vinny Madunio believed Curtis. And my question is, why do people keep believing Curtis? I just got an email here uh, earlier. Oh, you know, congratulations on throwing out the first pitch on Tuesday. I, I'm not, I have not been asked to throw out the first pitch on Tuesday. I would imagine probably the mayor is going to throw out the first pitch. Or if not the mayor, maybe the Staten Island Borough president or the owner of the team, who happens to be the owner of our radio station, John Katzmatidis. I would imagine one of them could throw out the first pitch. I'm not. Uh, I'm not throwing out the first pitch. But a kia down. He wanted to throw out the first pitch so desperately. Frank Morano. He was lobbying for that. He mentioned Eric Adams. He knew Eric Adams was away in Los Angeles. You know, we talked about that. The swagger man had no plan. He was uh, out getting more swag in L.A. He Listen, knew- you know, and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Frank Morano knew the mayor wouldn't be there. And he knew that uh, Vinny Fisella was not going to be thrown out the first ball. Uh, Frank Morano was the golden child. He was the one selected, and 
he showed up late. Uh, that's the reason he wasn't one of the many who were throwing out the first ball. He showed up late. But he won't let you know that. Oh, no, he won't let you know that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to... Um, Let's go to Rick in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. The original Pope of Greenwich Village. But Mickey Rourke was the actor in the movie. Yes. You couldn't be more hopelessly correct. Thank you, sir. And, uh, Rick, uh, you'll you'll stay on the line because uh, you're entitled to your Curtis Lee Booby Prize. Anyway, uh, so... For the John Gotti Sr. trial, the last time he was on trial before he went away, triple life uh, without parole to Marion in Illinois, then died of throat cancer and went straight to hell without an asbestos suit, thank God, Um, there would be this celebrity pew up in front. And oftentimes you would have Anthony Quinn come to pay respects. You'd have Jimmy Kahn. You would have, uh, uh, as was mentioned before, the father in good times, uh, who is from uh, Teaneck, New Jersey, and Mickey Rourke. And I got to tell you, Rick, I don't know what Mickey Rourke did to his face, but one more facelift and it'll snap like an old rubber band. I agree. It is kind of scary. Don't know why he did that. Yeah, I, I, for, the, for the life of me, I cannot understand. You know, we had the cat lady, remember? Uh, she had like uh, 38 facelifts. I don't understand. Mickey Rourke was a handsome actor who really didn't have to do that. But I guess some people, they look at themselves in the mirror and they say they see things we don't see or they start the process. And, you know, all of a sudden one side droops where the other side has been straightened out a bit. And then they start going back and forth. And before you know it, they look like uh, something out of a sci-fi movie. That's correct. But you, what can I say? you were correct. Um, let's make sure we take good care of Rick here. We take good care of all of our trivia winners here on the other, other, other side of midnight. Unlike the many calls we get, oftentimes complaining about Frank Morano not delivering on his promised booby prizes. Ah, uh, it doesn't matter. We'll 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 correct that right here. So Avery, uh, please. Take good, good care of uh, Rick there in New Jersey. Uh, let's Thank go. You, Curtis. Oh, no problem. Anytime, anytime, Rick. Uh, we appreciate the fact that you are so quick on the draw. Like Quick Draw McGraw, you got that uh, answer lickety split. Let's go to another Rick in New Jersey. Who knows? Maybe it's the same guy. Your turn to be no, heard here. I was Oh, well, hold on. How do we know you're the original Rick as opposed to the secondary Rick? Because I just said it. Uh. <laughs> but go for it. Go ahead, Rick. <laughs> okay. Look, real quick, Curtis. Uh, a little note on that. Uh, you know, last week you were talking about the guy borrowed your belt to go into the bathroom. Remember? Yes, that's uh, Matt. Uh, right. Matt Blaze, right. who is the board operator and defender of Frank Morano. Yes, you're correct. Right. Okay. Well, just something you know. I think last Monday it was a guy. He he takes a call or call or Frank does, and he goes in. It's, 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 I, I forget the name. Like Joe from Mississippi, and the guy goes, "This is Joe, but I'm not from Mississippi. I, I don't know what's wrong with your guy." 
he sounds like he's asleep or something. I'm from Brooklyn. And so I guess you're not the only one. I mean, if this, the board operator now is like, you know, I don't know, man. What, does he have a problem or something? Hmm. That's interesting. In fact, what I'm going to do based on uh, you're ratting him out and eating the Parmesan cheese. I'm not ratting him out. If it's, if it's out in the open, it's not ratting him out. I'm no, no, but this is good know? because, remember, I'm the biggest rat that eats Parmesan cheese in the world. <laughs> and, Rick, I'm encouraging all of our listeners to listen to Frank Morano five days a week from one in the morning to five and to take meticulous notes when they hear things that I should know. This is important about Matt Blaze because he did borrow my belt and go into the bathroom, and I've yet to know what the hell he was doing in there. Yeah, and this guy and this caller goes, I don't know what's wrong with your board operator or your call screener, but he sounds like he's half asleep. And, and he kind of just played it off like, oh, well. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there's something very strange going on between Frank and Matt Blaze and uh, uh, their phone screener. Uh, they protect one another, you know, like it's a little cabal. So uh, I know, I, I appreciate you bringing this to our light. I've taken a detailed note about that, and I will surface that tomorrow, uh, and then we'll we'll deal with that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank, thank you, sir. And ladies and gentlemen, please, I know a lot of you, you don't like being called a rat. You don't like being called somebody who drops dime on somebody. We need that. It's the only way I'll know what Frank and his crew is talking about when he refers to this show. So you got to listen. One to five, Monday through Fridays in the morning. And if you can't, you got to go to the podcast. It's all in podcasts at WABCradio.com. That's WABCradio.com. It's important because he's a kakyaran, a prevaricator. He'll deny everything. Uh, Frank Morano. So that's why we have to bring it to his attention. In fact, uh, same time tomorrow, we're going to expose to everybody the bad comedic ability that he has and so many of his callers had. They basically used up an hour of valuable broadcast time on the number one news talk station in the nation, WABC, heard at this point in dusk in 38 states, parts of Canada, sliver of Europe, and uh, right down at Davy Jones's uh, uh, locker uh, between uh, Bermuda and uh, Bahamas. But I just want to give a little sample of Broadway Bill of how bad Frank Morano was in trying to do comedy and encourage his fellow listeners to actually call in and do bad comedy like him. Um, oh, boy, it's cold out. How cold is it? Well, I mean, it's cold out. It's so cold that, um, you know, politicians are sticking their hands into their own pockets. I mean, it's cold. God, that is so low budget. Anyway, let's go to uh, Michael in West Virginia. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Curtis, how are you doing, man? Your your show is awesome. And you know what? I'm a combat vet. I don't sleep good at night. But you know what? I sleep worse now on the weekends because of you, but that's cool. Because I get a lot of stuff out of your show, man. Anyway, I think it's pretty cool. You know, Frank Buster ball's real bad, man. And I hope your people tell you, you know. Yeah, no, 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 they do. They they, 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 they ride them out. And, in fact, I appreciate you joining. I'm going to form 
a federation of insomaniacs because I'm like that. I can't sleep uh, uh, very few hours a day and especially overnight. So I think I'm going to call it maybe the insomaniac brigade, all the men and women out there who can't sleep. Uh, and then they end up listening, uh, at least uh, to my program, 6 o'clock Saturday morning yeah. till 6, and then uh, likewise Sunday morning. Yeah, well, you come in loud and clear down here. But anyways, and that's on the radio too, right? I turn my radio off. I'm just on the phone now, but I can get you on the AM radio real good. Anyway, uh, so I was a member of your organization in Rochester, New York, and I think it was like 1997 or 98. And I was real proud to be a member of your thing, you know. Oh, yeah. I did that for like three or four months, you know, in Rochester, New York, right? You've been up there. Oh, God. You know? Back then, we before there walk, were... We used to walk down by the river, right? You know, the river, all them bars and all that stuff down there. Oh, yeah. Before there was yeah. global warming and climate change. Uh... Yeah, right along the Genesee River. The Genesee River's there, man. Home of Genesee beer, Rochester, New York. But anyway. And you, anyway, f- you freeze uh, your tuchus off there in the winter. That in Buffalo. Oh, my God. You had to be Frosty the Snowman to uh, patrol in Rochester and in uh, Buffalo uh, in the winter, Michael. Well, listen, I'm not going to keep you long, man, but you're awesome, and you're rocking loud and clear down here in Athens, West Virginia, and uh, you're cool, man, and you just keep on doing what you're doing, and I don't mind staying up to listen to you. Now, that other guy, right, the other one, the other, the, the opposite side, I don't really spend no time listening to him because he don't make sense most of the time. Yeah, well, look, look, uh, but but you can do me a solid. You served in the military, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, oh. combat vet, man. Oh, so you got the cred. Just imagine, I'm fighting, bro. Just I'm a- still fighting. Actually, I'm still fighting. Yeah, but imagine Literally, you're a you're a scout for the Curtis Lewis show. You're scouting out the enemy, and in this case, the enemy is Frank Morano, Matt Blaze, Alex, who is their phone screener. Do everything to thwart, thwart this show, everything. Whereas I only try to enhance Frank Morano and Matt Plays and Alex. I just, I raise up for them their ratings. Let's face it. Prior to me running for mayor, Frank Morano was doing overnights. He was doing very well, but he didn't set record-breaking ratings. I, I never remember hearing any of those promos. Then five days after uh, I lost to Eric Adams, fair and square, and I did my concession speech five minutes after the polls closed, uh, I was invited to come back to WABC by John Katsimidis, Marco Katsimidis, owners of Red Apple Media, our parent company of WABC, and was told that uh, I had a lifetime contract, you know, 30-year no-cut contract. Uh, yeah, like I'm going to live to 96 with the kind of life I live. But, hey, John thinks I'm going to live to 96. Let's hope he's right and I'm wrong. But the point being is, all of a sudden, I started to do the uh, Friday to Saturday morning, the Saturday to Sunday morning, and the ratings, like, zoomed up for Frank, and now he's taking all the credit, where it's a seven-day situation. When you hear the promos that air on this show. It says, The Other Side of Midnight with Frankie Morano, and then Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lee. And then you hear me, I'm loud, I'm boisterous, I'm confident. And then he's like nebbishy, schlubby. He's like, hmm. Do you have that, you have that promo, uh, Broadway? Up all night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Weekdays, listen to Frank Morano on the other side of midnight. And weekends, listen to Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Stay up all night with me, Curtis Sliwa. And stay up with me, Frank Morano. If you don't want to be alone at night, seven days a week, 77 WABC will keep you company. See that? You know, it's the confidence in my voice. Whereas Frank is very, very nebbishy, very schlubby. And uh, he won't give me credit for his ratings rise. Uh, look, he does five five mornings. He does the bulk of it. We assessed it to be 20 hours. He does 20 hours. I do 12. So I do uh, two-thirds of what he does. But you would think that the overall rating would include me, right? Oh, no, I don't care. Oh, no, absolutely not. It's my number, my number. See, this is what happens in this business and other businesses. You come from nothing to something. All of a sudden, you missed the big shot. Who do you think you are? He's now the golden child, the untouchable. You can't criticize Frank. Oh, my God, you criticize Frank, you go to the back of the line. Yeah, the back of the line. And uh, won't give me any credit. Now, look, I'm not responsible for the uh, super spectacular ratings number, but I've contributed to it. But we got to talk about what I saw on my way to the Staten Island Ferry Hawks game. I suggest that any of you who uh, haven't really seen baseball of late with the lockdown and the pandemic, and obviously it's so expensive to go see a Met game at City Field, a Yankee game at Yankee Stadium, you got to take a reverse mortgage and uh, basically cash in uh, any stocks or bonds you have just. Uh, to pay for one dirty water hot dog that you got to put under an electron microscope. It's not the way it is at Staten Island Ferry Hawks uh, uh, games. You should really take it in. It. Or if you're coming from the city, you can take the ferry right there. The regular ferry it costs you ubats, ugats. It costs you bubkis to come across on the ferry. You walk right over to the stadium. Watch a nice game. It's good family entertainment. And uh, who knows? Maybe you'll see uh, Frank Morano there trying to mooch. You know, what is that? The dry martini? Can I? Well, uh, what is his favorite martini there, uh, uh, Broadway Bill? I mean, he talks about it. Uh, you can give me the short one. I am a martini drinker. If uh, you've been out to, to dinner or drinks with me, especially during the spring and the summer, my go-to drink is a Bombay Sapphire Martini straight up with a twist. Yeah. Bombay Sapphire Martini straight up with a twist. Yeah. That is my go-to drink. And he, he ain't paying for it, I tell you that. He's got alligator arms. You, you, he orders it, just know you're going to be paying for it. When we come back, though, I'm going to tell you what it was like coming to the game on the Manhattan side. And what I showcased for my wife, Nancy, who had never seen uh, that area near the battery. And what I saw in statues and symbols that sort of coincide with this whole battle over possibly the United States Supreme Court reversing Roe v. Wade. And how some historical figures in history have been rejected if they're pro-life, even if they're very liberal and progressive on all other issues. Bombay Sapphire Martini straight up with a twist. That is my go-to drink. 
What song is this, ladies and gentlemen, and who is singing it? I know some of you old-timers out there, you old codgers. You know right away who sang this classic. And it fits Frank Morano. This is, uh, this is dedicated to Frank Morano. What's the song and who's singing it for your Curtis Lee Booby Prize? Don't ask, don't tell. I throw nickels around like manhole covers, remember. But you're going to get a great Booby Prize. For some of you old Altacacas, you were probably s- singing that in your sleep for years. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So let me tell you what happened. I took my wife, Nancy, uh, to the Staten Island Ferry Hawks game, opening night. Great crowd. A lot of WABC listeners there. And a lot of people who voted for me uh, to become mayor of the city of New York. Uh, I could have been dubbed mayor of Staten Island. There's no doubt about it. I won a tremendous uh, number of votes, probably about 75% of the vote there, but lost the general election. So we took... A uh, speed ferry. We had a meeting at 34th Street. We jumped on the speed ferry at 39th Street off the West Side Highway near the pier. My wife freaked out on the speed ferry. That's the small ferry. And she said, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. And I thought she wanted to sort of go to a Mayday celebration. Uh, You know, maybe uh, go down to uh, uh, 14th Street, Union Square Park there, and have a May Day uh, celebration because, you know, she supports Bernie the Altacaca Sanders. But, no, I could see she was getting sick. She needed a barf bag, and she she wasn't able to deal with it. So the next stop was Battery Park. So I said, tell you what, let's get off the speed ferry, and we'll walk over to the regular Staten Island ferry. It doesn't cost any money, thank God. When my Cumbadicic Rudy Giuliani was elected mayor, along with borough president Guy Malinari, uh, it no longer costs any money. It's a free. And it reminded me of the ongoing battle that's taking place now that we believe that the United States Supreme Court, because of an initial report, will revoke Roe v. Wade, and then it may go back to the states to determine whether they will legalize abortion or not. But the issue that I was focused on is as I was walking through Battery Park and I was showing Nancy what she had never seen before, and to be honest with you, most uh, residents um, of the tri-state area have not been down there and they have no idea. So as we approach the most southern area of Battery Park City. Uh, You have the Holocaust Memorial Museum on the left side. And on the right side, where the Hudson River is, you have the statue to Mother Cabrini. Mother Cabrini's statue, if you remember, it became the focal point of the debate when then-Mayor Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor of the Dope from Park Slope, and his wife, Charlene, were choosing... Uh, monuments that would represent female achievement, you know, building statues. And the first one was unveiled in uh, 
Central Park. Uh, it was in honor of the suffragettes. But even though they had taken a plebiscite, uh, solicited suggestions from the public, the one who got the most votes was Mother Cabrini. And it was Charlene McRae who did not and would not allow a statue to Mother Cabrini to be dedicated and paid for with city funds. And I knew right away what it was. It was the fact that she had been in her life pro-life. And I had seen this before with Mother Teresa on what would have been her 100th birthday. Mother Teresa from Albania, very pious, very chaste, uh, had developed her order in India and Calcutta first, and then had had developed uh, nunneries all over the world. I mean, they had convents all over the world. I remember seeing uh, Mother, excuse me, I remember seeing Mother Teresa's nuns in the South Bronx, tending to the poor, the impoverished, the indigent, the needy. And in order to celebrate the 100th anniversary of what would have been Mother Teresa's birthday, uh, Catholic League uh, Bill Donahue had summoned, oh, a whole block full of people all along 34th Street. It was blocked from 5th Avenue to 6th Avenue in honor of Mother Teresa. The Empire State Building was going to bathe its tower in blue and white, which were the colors of Mother Teresa's uh, order. Well, the owner-operators of the Empire State Building said, Ixnay on that, we're not honoring uh, Mother Teresa. Now, how could you not honor Mother Teresa? And I figured it right out of the box. She's pro-life. They're not going to honor her. And it's interesting because I saw that happen with other things. Now, you couldn't be any more radical than Dorothy Day. I was brought up and I was taught about Dorothy Day, who was a socialist, an anarchist, founder of the Catholic Worker newspaper, uh, liberational theologists who are to the extreme left, uh, but are members of the Catholic Church, some who are nuns, some who are priests, some are some who are lay workers. Uh, some of them uh, were actually readers of the Catholic Worker newspaper when I was growing up. And before AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, developed the Green Revolution. Dorothy Day, decades before that, was pioneering the Green Revolution through the Catholic Workers' Movement. Again, very radical, very much to the left. They encouraged conscientious objectors during the Vietnam War, saying, Don't go to Canada, just be a conscientious objector. They supported Cesar Chavez of the United Farm Workers. But Dorothy Day, as radical as she was, and she was about as radical as you could get, socialist, anarchist, was pro-life. And so the left rejected her because of that one issue. She disagreed with them on one issue. She couldn't have been more of a hardcore socialist anarchist than any of the others. She had all the pedigree of being a radical. But they rejected her because she was pro-life. And then uh, the aforementioned uh, Cesar Chavez, head of the United Farm Workers. It was interesting because Cesar Chavez was also pro-life, hardcore Roman Catholic, rejected by some on the left because of that. 
And he was opposed to illegal immigration. As we talk about the rolling back of Title 42, he did not want illegal aliens coming into the country because he said it would be taking jobs from his his union members at the United Farm Workers. And it would also cause all farm workers to receive less pay because there'd be more supply than demand. All of them have been rejected by those on the left wing. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they're pro-life. So now that some people are going to strike back at what they feel is a repeal of Roe v. Wade, they may go to judges' homes of the United States Supreme Court. They may protest outside of churches. They may desecrate churches. I guarantee you, they'll probably desecrate that Mother Cabrini statue in Battery Park, except nobody will know where it is. You can't find it. It's out of sight, out of mind. Cuomo, to his credit, built it with state funds as part of a UFA to de Blasio and his wife. But it really needs to be in a prominent position, seen by many more people. It reminds me. Some of you, if you know where the Merchant Mariner statue is, it's in the harbor. You barely know it's there. I remember when my father, Chester, a merchant seaman for 54 years who served during World War II, bringing supplies across the Atlantic and Pacific, and he spoke to me about how many men lost their lives, more per capita per person than any of the other services, more than lost their life in the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force in World War II, that's saying a lot, per capita per person. Because when a uh, cargo ship would go out with a fleet of 40 and try to get through the submarines that were laying right off the coast, uh, the Nazi submarines, and once those subs would strike one boat, if that boat went down, the other ships could not turn around, could not stop to pick up the survivors. And oftentimes those survivors went down to Davy Jones's locker. That's how so many merchant seamen ended up meeting their demise, their end. And yet you can barely see it. So why did they put these statues up where people don't go, where few, if any, people know that there are statues honoring people or honoring institutions? one 800 That's one 800 wabc Let's go to Max in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Max. Yes, Curtis. The singer is Paul Robeson singing Old Man River. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, and when did you detect that that was Paul Robeson, Max? Well, I'm a big Paul Robeson fan. He's a Rutgers Phi Beta Kappa, Columbia Law School, and uh, he couldn't get a job as a lawyer because he was black. That's the whole story. And remember, he was an All-American football player, first African-American I ever think, I, I think uh, that became All-American uh, added to the NCAA football squad. That's correct, and he was hounded by the, by the Justice Department for being a communist because he wanted to have equality for blacks in that time, which is unheard of. Yes, but also remember he was very sympathetic to Joe Stalin at that time, the Bolshevik Revolution. He went over there. He had a number of Jewish friends uh, in the Soviet government when he went over there to visit. Uh, he, he was told that, well, they were away. They weren't there. They had actually been executed in the gulags by Stalin, who was all paranoid about people wanting to take take uh, the government over from him. Uh, but he never mentioned that upon his return. He was always an apologist for Joe Stalin and the Bolsheviks there. So that really, um, that scarred his reputation, Max. 
it did, but he was a uh, he was unbelievable, just an unbelievable person. And uh, it, it said at the end that uh, the CIA he he became bipolar and uh, paranoid at the very end. And it said that the CIA in his book by Martin Duberman, it said that he was uh, injected with drugs to make him uh, paranoid and just completely out of it. I wouldn't doubt it. I've always said, Max, that the CIA, the acronym is uh, Criminals in Action. Uh, it was, uh, in fact, uh, at the time, a, a movement in the United States Senate led by Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who was always half in the bag by 12 in the afternoon with that white wine. But he said exactly what I said, that the CIA were criminals in action. They had an unlimited checkbook. They walk around with satchels full of cash, accountable to nobody. It was a rogue operation. It was part of our government, but completely uh, on their own, and that they needed to be eliminated. And unfortunately, nobody listened to Moynihan on that issue, but they are. They are a part of our government that completely operates as they see fit, not as the laws uh, say you can operate, nor uh, as the leaders of our country uh, know that you should operate, because in many instances, they're part of what that many people will call that deep state. That's correct. Yeah, but it's uh, when did you learn about Paul Robeson? Uh, Martin Duberman wrote this, uh, I think, a note, uh, this book on Robeson, a biography, like 600 pages, and uh, it's anybody should read it because it's just fabulous. Yep, yep. Uh, That was a period of time in which uh, tomorrow I'm going to play a song uh, that has to do with the lack of flowers and not enough flowers for Mother's Day, which I I think is not so much uh, blaming it on Putin or blaming it on Biden, you know, because of inflation and the war in uh, the Ukraine. But rather, I believe that growers uh, at the wholesale and retail level, limited supply, uh, so the demand would increase and they could get more more uh, per rose, uh, more per sunflower, more per flower. And the person who is, uh, sang uh, the song that is going to introduce that segment uh, was himself an embattled individual all through that time, a colleague of uh, Paul Robeson uh, and a target of uh, our United States government. So you got to be listening tomorrow, Max. Same time, same place, and maybe you'll get that trivia, too. Uh, let's make sure, uh, Avery, we get Max's information, uh, and let's make sure that he gets a uh, Curtis Sliwa booby prize from WABC, the WABC hat uh, with the uh, Curtis uh, logo on it. That's Max in the Bronx. Boy, we've had quite a few winners uh, this early morning hour. A very adept, very astute, very cogent, uh, very connected to uh, everything I've been saying. Uh, I guess a lot of the Frank Morano listeners must have gone to sleep because uh, I know when they're listening, oh, my God. It's like special ed. It's like, whew. Can, can we uh, somehow uh, increase the curve at all? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to John on Governor's Island. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, John. Great show tonight, Curtis. Really, uh, really enjoying it. I'll be listening tomorrow. I just wanted to say hello from Governor's Island. 
Oh, by the way, John, it was interesting when I was taking uh, Nancy over on the Staten Island Ferry for the Staten Island Ferry Hawks uh, opener. The ferry uh, is just within walking distance of the stadium. Uh, We were uh, passing Governor's Island. I was explaining to her what Governor's Island was because she didn't know the former Coast Guard compound. Now it's a park. Told her there was a nine-hole golf course there. Uh, you would be surprised how many people who reside in New York have no idea whatsoever what Governor's Island history is, uh, what it, uh, how it functions. Now, nothing at all. They're never taught in school. Now, nobody ever takes them over there, not on field trips, nothing, John. Yeah, it was, uh, it was always that way. But when, when I was there, like I say, nine years, you knew very little about the Army and all the years that the Army were there. People just, you know, weren't interested in history then. I think they are now more so, but it's uh, it's sad. That's all All we could say is it's sad. Yeah, it is, and how uh, our elected officials uh, with uh, the schmuck to putz, Chuck E. G. Schumer, they not only chased out the Coast Guard uh, up to Rhode Island, uh, but they also uh, chased the Navy out from Stapleton, because it was uh, the schmuck to putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer and Jerry the Whale Nadler, congressman who said to the Navy, do you store nuclear weapons in the Navy boats that come to dock at Stapleton, right there in Staten Island in the shadow of the Verrazano Bridge? Naturally, the Navy does not answer those kind of questions. So... Uh, the Schmuck to Putz, Chuck E. G. Schumer, and Gerald the Whale Nadler decided that the Navy had to go. And they pushed out the Navy. They got other congressmen and congresswomen, Democrats, to say, Ufa, you got to go. Uh, and eventually the Navy, uh, they, their attitude was, well, if you're going to give us the bum's rush, we'll leave. Then in the after, aftermath of 9 11, well, who jumps up and down and starts screaming, Where are the planes? Where are the planes? Where are the planes? Remember what was that? Uh, what was that movie there with uh, Khan, uh, Ricardo Montalban, a little tattoo? Remember a little tattoo? The plane, the plane, Fantasy Island, the plane, the plane. There was Gerald Nadler asking the whale, "Where are the planes? Where are the planes?" Well, schmuck, you and Schumer chased out the U.S. Navy. We had aircraft carriers, battleships, cruisers coming to port at the port of Stapleton. I'm not saying that there would have been aircraft on an aircraft carrier there. I had no idea of the berthing there. But you're the one that chased the Navy out. You would have thought he would have said, well, maybe we need the Navy there. No, we chased the Coast Guard out. They're up in Rhode Island. We chased the Navy out. What protects the port of New York? I ask all of you. You see the old forts there that protect the port of New York. You see, like, uh, Battery Park. You see the old fort there. You see the fort on Governor's Island. You see the area was always protected by cannon in fort many, many years ago. What protects the port of New York now? Nothing. There's no Navy. Limited Coast Guard. It's not like it had been at the height when you had the Coast Guard in Governor's Island. And then uh, you had the uh, United States Navy at the port of Stapleton. 
Shame on us for chasing them out. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Lou in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lou. Yes, good, good evening, uh, Curtis. I remember as a child, uh, my uh, uncle was a retired lieutenant colonel in the Army, and he had privilege to Governor's Island, and it was like a gem. And I was amazed at how huge it was, how big it was. Yeah, and remember, I realized it, it was a huge fortress. Lou, it had a nine-hole golf course right there. Well, I didn't see that, but, <laughs> you know. I mean, imagine, with rank. I don't know if they let the... Uh... Oh, no, yeah, it was, no, no. Well, he was up there, but retired, and uh, he had PX privileges, and uh, I got my first uh, nice camera through the PX through him. You know, a lot of perks. <laughs> yeah, but you love Governor's Island, right? What happened to Lou? What happened? No, I said, Lou, you love Governor's Island, right? Oh, yeah. I, I went there a couple of times as a kid, but it was a treat. You know, like you had to dress up, and it was all prompt and formal, you know. Well, let me tell you a story you know. about Governor's Island. Uh, Bill Clinton was the president uh, at that time, chasing Monica Lewinsky around the White House. Uh, tell me he defiled Governor's Island. No, he actually did a good thing. He sold it to New York for one dollar, one freaking dollar. And Pataki, that, yeah. right, and Pataki and Giuliani battled over it. That's when they weren't getting along. That was before nine eleven. When they came together, put aside their differences. But generally, mayors and governors have been at odds. This goes back to Lindsay, who was mayor, uh, Rockefeller, who was governor. Then you had uh, Giuliani, who was mayor, George Pataki, who was governor. Even though they were from the same parties. Even though Lindsay and Rockefeller were from the same parties, they were at each other's throats. So Bill Clinton did a great thing, sold it to us for a dollar. And then Pataki and Giuliani kept fighting about what should be done with it. And I would say right now they have a little educational facility out there. It's a park. But it could be so much better utilized for the population and for tourists and for so many more. And it's not, Lou, because of government bureaucracy. No, it's a, it's a, it's a pristine place and it should be kept that way. And I wonder if you think the same about Plum Island. Ah, slowly I turn step by step out to Long Island, Plum Island. And you know, there's talk that that was a laboratory for the experiments like Wuhan of biological weapons. Well, but it is a pristine habitat. It is. No, people. I I have, I have, I have, I have family members that went there and they had to be cleared with. You know, passports, not passports, but this and that, you know. And, you know, you can only go in certain places. You're not allowed to traipse all over the island. It's like pristine, and it should be kept that way. There was a ferry also that went out to Plum Island, and, in fact, for many, many years, you would see the skull and crossbones. Beware. Don't trespass. Experiments were being done on Plum Island involving weapons of mass destruction, biological weapons, and experiments on animals. That's no longer the case out there. We think 
But when it comes to our government, as you know, oftentimes they preach, teach, uh, excuse me, they uh, they actually treat us, the sucker taxpayers, as if we shouldn't know. No transparency. I've always said I want to know what's going on in Plum Island. Anyway, up next, we got to talk about Cuba, a place that I've actually been to. And I'll reminisce with all of you because I know some of you have been there when it was legal to go, when it was illegal to go, and even recently. And we'll all compare notes right here on WABC, your place to be. And you don't want to miss my Kentucky Derby picks coming up before the 6 o'clock hour. Ah, vacation, vacation, vacation. What was that, the Go-Go's? Now think of it. A lot of people, especially for spring break, where do they go? They go down to Mexico, West Coast, East Coast. Whether the old haunts of Acapulco, Puerto Vallarta. So many places to go that advertise. They're cheap. They're convenient. They're easy to get to. You got to worry about the narco-terrorists because sometimes they act up in the areas. But generally... Those tourista areas are kept clean and they kept crime free because uh, it is so incredibly important to the uh, the whole business atmosphere of Mexico is getting Americans to come down there, particularly youngsters, uh, young adults, those who are college age and spend dollars. And so they make a particular pitch uh, to Americans And they put together all these travel packages, and it's incredible. That's why I was amazed with uh, Cinco de Mayo being celebrated this past Thursday. You go down to Mexico, and they don't even know what the hell you're talking about, Cinco de Mayo. It's not really a holiday down there at all. Their big holiday is Mexican Independence Day. That's when uh, they uh, threw, threw Spain right out of Mexico. I think it was a uh, priest, Miguel Hidalgo, who gave these uh, fire and brimstone speeches back in the early 1800s. And the uh, poorly trained and poorly armed Mexican peasants uh, threw out the trained uh, conquistadores of Spain. And that's when uh, Mexico won its independence. You know, way back to 1810. When it comes to Cinco de Mayo... You know, it's a battle in which uh, the Mexicans beat the French. They call it the Franco-Mexican War, the Battle of Puebla. But it's not a holiday that's at all celebrated in Mexico. I I can tell you, I've spent time in Mexico. I spent time down on the border, both sides of the border, in Mexico, Tijuana, Ensenada on the West Coast, uh, Nuevo Laredo in Texas, which is the largest port entry for trucks, 18-wheel tractor-trailers, Uh, And then naturally Juarez, uh, the entry point into uh, El Paso, the western uh, tip of Texas uh, before you hit New Mexico. Been in Mexico City, have guardian angels in Mexico City. When I say uh, Cinco de Mayo, they look at me like, huh? When I say burrito, they look at me like, huh? These are all American creations. In fact, Cinco de Mayo was probably created by Anheuser-Busch just as a reason to sell beer. But then there's also, in Mexico, a day of the dead. 
That's right. A day that actually celebrates death. Can you imagine having that in the United States? No, there's no way. The Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. And it grew, and it's all over Latin America, but it's most famous uh, in all of Mexico where they have colorful skulls and skeletons. But it's not Halloween. It's near Halloween. I think it's in the beginning of November, but it's not Halloween. Anyway, uh, our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Wondering if any of you recognize that Cinco de Mayo is not a holiday that is at all recognized south of the border in Mexico itself, with Title Forty Two or repealing Title Forty Two. It's just not a recognized holiday. And although there are a lot of American expatriates who go there to retire because the cost of living is very cheap, and in certain of those uh, retirement communities, the quality of life is very good, still, it's not a celebrated holiday in uh, Mexico. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And also, I'd be very interested in knowing how many of you have actually been to Mexico, whether recently or in the past when you yourself were teenagers uh, getting out of high school or going to college or going there on business or traveling or when you were in the military, particularly if you were at the base in El Paso, the Air Force Base, and you'd end up going over to uh, Juarez, Uh, Or if you were in the Navy or the Marine Corps and you were based uh, right up in the San Diego area, uh, and then you make the run down to Tijuana and Ensenada and compare it then to what it is now, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But the story of the day does not have to do with Mexico that we have easy access to. In fact, uh, talk about easy access. Always easy to get into Mexico, not easy to get into the United States, especially now. Sometimes you're online for a month of Sundays to go through the checkpoint Charlies. But I remember when we were down at the border in San Ysidro Canyons that separate uh, Tijuana, Colonia Juarez, uh, which is a very poor and impoverished area, Carolonia Libertad, which is closer to the Pacific Ocean, again, a very impoverished, destitute area. It's where the uh, illegal aliens would come, some, some of them traveling hundreds of miles as they do now, and wait for nightfall and then make the mad dash through uh, the San Ysidro Canyons and try to make it up to uh, Los Angeles. Interesting because they gather up in this soccer field in uh, TJ, Tijuana, and then make the bolt uh, at uh, when dusk would occur. Oftentimes you'd have the uh, Limigre, immigration and naturalization uh, agents, uh, in their lime green trucks waiting to tackle them. Tackle them. They had to tackle them. The fences were poor and porous at that time. And they'd have helicopters in the air that would uh, basically point uh, floodlights in the direction of the coyotes and the illegals coming across. But they came over in droves. Came over in droves. I remember we were sitting in a burger joint. We were just so tired having been in those canyons preventing the border bandits from raping and ripping off the illegal aliens and the coyotes from leading them into a a certain trap. That we were sitting at this burger joint and then all of a sudden 
A truck pulls into the parking lot. The back doors open up, and coming out of the uh, hedges uh, on the opposite side of the uh, burger restaurant, it must have been like uh, 100 illegals just running through, tripping over one another, jumping into the back of that truck. They closed the back door, and next stop, they were heading towards Los Angeles. This is like the wee hours in the morning. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. So we flipped the script from Mexico, where I know many of you have gone uh, to vacation uh, to enjoy yourself over the years, or when you were serving uh, in the United States military and your bases were uh, near near the uh, borderline, so you'd end up uh, spending a lot of your R&R south of the border uh, in Juarez, uh, in Tijuana, in Ensenada, and into other areas. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that at all. There's a history, a whole history of that. Uh, They discourage that now because obviously so many problems have occurred on the other side of the border with the uh, narco terrorists and the uh, uh, total, total criminality that sometimes exists. Uh, When I've been uh, across the border in uh, Laredo, from Laredo to Nuevo Laredo and from uh, San Diego to Tijuana, uh, the cops there, the Mexican cops, uh, they have on uh, all kinds of masks. They don't even want to be identified by the narco terrorists who walk side by side with them in the streets of the city. You know who? You don't know who's more crooked, the cops or the narco terrorists. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Dylan, who's calling all the way from Ontario, north of the border in O Canada. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dylan. Hey, Curtis. Uh, where are you calling from in Ontario? Cochrane, Ontario. It's in northern Ontario. Huh. What's the closest city? Timmins and Sudbury. Okay, you're way up there. Yep. How far, f- how far from um, uh, the Hudson, Hudson Territory? Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't think I've ever been up there. All right, and uh, you can hear us crystal clear, Dylan? Yeah, on the AM, but when it starts going like like the static, I go onto the app. Yeah, no, that's uh, advice to everybody. You've got the app. You can hear us crystal clear. You can get us streaming on your computer. But imagine at times Dylan is listening on his uh, his uh, his normal radio that we all grew up listening to. And you can hear us uh, crystal clear at times on the AM band. Yep. Wow, that is amazing. That shows you how powerful the 50,000 powerful watts of sound of WABC are. Yep. And, and, I know, and, I know, and I know one rule of your show. Never ask how you are because you always give the same answer. I've had better days. Excellent. Wow. You are a lifer. You have been listening, Dylan. When did you first discover WABC up in Ontario, Canada? Well, I first discovered it back around 2021 when I was like listening to Frankie Russo. And um, and then uh, like I heard more about WABC and then I heard and then I heard that commercial promo ad come on in go 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 with the cousin brucey and i'm like oh cousin brucey's on here and i was like i thought he was at sirius xm and then i found out he moved back to wabc and that's when i started listening listening more to wabc 
And, of course, I listen to Frank Morano. But I know a lot of people say your show's the best. No, no, no. They're all good. They all do different things. Uh, Frank Morano is an excellent interviewer. That's his claim to fame, and he's earned that. Uh, whereas I don't do interviews, uh, I do more talk uh, with uh, just uh, normal callers like yourself. Now, Dylan, why do you choose to listen to WABC and let's say uh, not any talk radio programs coming out of TO Toronto? Uh, I just don't. I just find they're not as good as WABC. I mean, I don't know. It's just how I am. You know, it's like I feel that WABC has great programming especially with music programming, including the Cousin Brucey, which I'm going to be listening to later on Saturday night, and uh, I'll be sure to request a song on there. Oh, yeah, you got to listen before Cousin Brucey, his protege, Vinnie Meduto. Uh He's actually a teacher. I met him at the Staten Island Ferry Hawks game uh, in Richmond, Richmond High School. Uh, he's been there for a few years uh, he's uh, sort of, he, he idolizes Cousin Brucey. Cousin Brucey is on from 6 to 10, and then followed uh, by Tony Orlando from 10 to 12, and then I do it all over again from 12 midnight to 6 in the morning. Yeah, and no, I, I, mi- I missed the times when you were on Mondays at midnight, but I guess they switched it around. Yeah, that's a sore point, because they wanted to put a buffer in there to keep me from... Uh, uh, doing an inquisition of Frank Morano, so they put Dominic Carter there for that 12 to 1 o'clock hour. But let me ask you, what's been happening in Canada, especially uh, because so much of what happens in the United States, uh, we sneeze and then you get the uh, you get the uh, sort of, uh, what can I call it, uh, you get the pneumonia from our sneeze sometimes in uh, Canada. Yeah, Canada, it's been pretty crazy, but it's mostly quiet for what I know, but yeah. Now, are you happy with your leader, Trudeau Jr., in uh, your capital, Ottawa? Uh, I don't really follow up on him, but I, I've i heard he's not that good, but yeah. And how old are you, Dylan? 26 years old. Wow, 26 years old, and you listen to WABC from up in Ontario. You love yep. you love the music, especially in a few hours with Vinnie Meduno uh, and then Cousin Brucey and then uh, Tony Orlando. Wow, you are special. That that is that is rare, Dylan. Yeah, and you know I've been trying to buy some of your merch on WABC's store, but I don't know if they ship to Canada. I believe they do. You what, Dylan? I'm going to keep you on the line, Avery. We want to send uh, his information to our merch guy. This way, he, uh, we can find out if he can actually purchase the merchandise if we're going to be able to ship to uh, Canada, which I believe we'll be able to do, Dylan. Thank you, because I would love to buy some merch of your show, like a coffee mug, a shirt, all that good stuff. Oh, that's great. And do you know if there's anybody else in your neck of the woods of Ontario who listened to us here at WABC? Uh, I'm not sure, but... I know there's a person named Gordon who calls in, and I think he's in Canada and Ontario, I believe. Oh, yeah. Quite a few. Uh, I've had calls from Mississauga outside of Toronto, which is the world's largest flat suburb. Uh, I've had calls from uh, T.O. itself, from uh, Cabbage Town uh, Regent Park. Uh, yeah, Guelph, where you have the locks. 
uh, Hamilton, where you have the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I've had uh, quite a few calls from folks in Ontario. Cool. All right, so you stay on the line, Dylan. Uh, Avery, okay. uh, you want to get all the information to Dylan? You want to send it to our promotions department? He's interested in merch. Any of you, uh, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested in merch for this show or any of the other shows, you go to uh, wabcradio.com. That's wabcradio.com. Uh, follow the advisories. You'll be able to get your merch. The other thing is uh, you can also get all your podcasts. So if you uh, aren't able to listen to a program at its uh, afforded time, you can always catch up to it on the podcast at wabcradio.com. And uh, you can get to specialized podcasts like I have with my son, Anthony, my oldest son, who's 18. It's called The Father and Son, Anthony and Curtis. You just go to wabcradio.com. Anyway, let's go to Eileen in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Eileen. Yes, hello, Eileen. Oh, oh, no. Don't tell me the dreaded sleep. Oh, no. Remember that was Juan up in Boston, who originally was from Bolivia, fell asleep on me to add insult to injury. There's nothing worse that you could do, Eileen, than to fall asleep on a talk radio show host or hostess. God! This is so embarrassing, so humiliating. Look, there's stuff going on in the back, and Eileen is oblivious to it. We could be doing a home invasion of Eileen right now. She'd be snoring away, peeling that, uh, peeling that wallpaper off the wall. Wake up, Eileen! Wake up! my God. Maybe I've lost my touch. Maybe it's time for me to hang it up. Maybe it's time for me to move to the sixth borough of the city of New York, Boca Raton in Florida, and get a job hanging wallpaper. God, this is the second person in a row in a week that I put to sleep. First, the guy, Juan, in Boston. I'll never forget that. The humiliation, the embarrassment, the degradation. Formerly from Bolivia, he called back, he apologized. He was then, like, uh, all amped up. We haven't heard from him since. But, there yeah, see, we can hear her. Eileen. 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 Oh, God. It's nothing more humiliating than this. On my uh, epitaph... It's going to be Curtis Sliwa. He died, he tried, and he put his listeners to sleep. Just ask Juan in Boston and Eileen in Queens. That's a double oofa. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rob. Well, I am not asleep, and I'm waiting to talk to you. Let's get some things out of the way very quickly. Look. People are very complicated, Curtis. We have this argument every year about Christopher Columbus. Should his statues come down? Should it not? I don't want to get into that discussion. Look, uh, Paul Robeson was a giant of a man, artistically and in every other way. He had a, he had an, uh, if you want to say, uh, a political affair with Stalin. Listen, 
How many Russians got killed in World War II? Thank God they were on our side, or we were on their side, however you want to put it. You know, we lost how many men? 400,000 men? They lost 30 million. End of discussion, okay? There was a time when they were the only ones with the Brits that were standing up to the Germans. And uh, yes, uh, Paul Robeson, let me tell you this. Charles Lindbergh is a great American. You want to put up a statue for him? Remember, he stood there in Germany and publicly con- congratulated Hermann Goering. Yes, the same Hermann Goering, World War I fighter ace, who uh, was in charge of the German Luftwaffe, that incidentally, let me remind Americans that there were a lot of people who didn't want to go into World War II or before World War II, America firsters, not liberals, not Democrats, but Republicans and conservatives who supported uh, uh, the America first, Lindbergh. Uh, Lindbergh congratulated Hermann Goering for the magnificent Luftwaffe, the same Luftwaffe that destroyed a town in Spain called Guernica. How many people did the Condor Legion kill in Guernica? 6,000. Maybe if the United States had intervened along with the Brits and the French in Spain, there wouldn't have been a Holocaust. But we'll get that to another discussion. I want to talk about the Merchant Marine in World War II, your grandfather, right? Was a member of the Merchant Marine? No, actually, my daddy, uh, Chester. Okay, Chester. What was the most dangerous convoy run in World War II? Now, he told me uh, Maransk, going up Marans- the North Murmansk. Sea. Right. Murmansk. Not the, not, the, not, not the crossing of the Atlantic to Britain, dangerous as that was, because the uh, convoys had to face in the Black Gap, the Mid-Ocean Gap, they had to face the submarines, the U-boats, the wolf packs. Yes. When they went up along the Arctic Circle to help the Russians, the embattled Russians, after uh, Hitler invaded the Soviet Union in June 1941, this is what they had to face. They had to face the Luftwaffe from their air bases in Norway and Finland. Remember, Finland was a co-belligerent, if you want to say ally of Germany, for various political reasons. They had to face the Luftwaffe. They had to face the U-boats constantly uh, from the Norwegian fjords. And they had to face the German surface ships, the Tirpitz, the Scharnhorst, the Neisnau, uh, not the Bismarck, because the Bismarck had already been sunk by that point. But that was the most dangerous convoy run, so dangerous, in fact, that Winston Churchill had to had to, uh, uh, what's the word, um, uh, suspend them for at least eight months because there was one convoy, uh, PQ-17, I believe it was called, in the summer of 1942, sent 35 ships to relieve the Russians. And of those 35 ships, 24 of them were sunk. Only 11 made it. That's how dangerous it was. Mm. Yep, yep. No, no, no. And plus... If you did get sunk and you went into the water, uh, it was so cold, it was so frigid, you would perish quickly. You would perish in in 20 minutes. Now, it's very interesting. Listen, everybody knows that there were problems, not just between the Russians and the Brits and the Americans. There were problems between the Americans and the Brits. Churchill didn't agree a lot of what Roosevelt wanted. Roosevelt didn't agree a lot what Churchill wanted. There were problems between the Russians and the Americans. But it's very interesting that when American sailors finally got to Murmansk and Archangel. They intermingled with the Russian with, with the Russian peasants. Of course, the KGB was watching all of them. And I, I told you once that when Doolittle made his raid on Germany, uh, Germany, on Japan, in April of 42, 
one of the 16 planes because of the uh, the the dangerous headwinds and tra- the, the 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 tailwinds and the headwinds mo- most uh, mo- uh, the most of those planes bailed out over China. They they, they crash landed. Uh, some of them, some of the crew members were picked up by the Japanese. They were unfortunately executed. But Lou Doolittle and most of his guys, eventually with the help of the Chinese, got to friendly territory. One plane was diverted to Vladivostok, and he was interned for the remainder of the war. They were interned. The crew of five, because the Russians, you see, had a peculiar situation with the Japanese. The Russians had a non-aggression pact with Japan. Uh, one thing that the, uh, the Russians were terribly afraid of was that while they were facing the German panzers in, uh, on the west, you know, out west in the uh, Soviet Union, that the Japanese would attack them in Siberia. So the Russians did everything they could to placate the Japanese. So when the Japanese demanded that the Russians turn over the Doolittle Raider for obvious reasons for punishment, probably for execution, the Russians said no. They used to play a game with them. Uh, the Russians also, at one time, uh, not interned, but they allowed several B-29 flying fortresses to divert to Vladivostok when, when Curtis LeMay was bombing Japan and the end, and, uh, from December of, uh, 44 to, uh, you know, to the dropping of the atomic bombs in August of, uh, July, uh, August of 45. Well, some of those B-29s had to land in Vladivostok. Three of them did. And the Russians took them, and they also took the crews. And they put them in what you'd call confinement. They, they didn't arrest them, but they interned them. But the Russians and the Americans played an interesting game. Are you familiar with the concept of what they call in Mexico, la ley de fuego? Nope. It's the whole idea of keeping the door open to the cell and letting the guy go. Uh, it, 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 if you watch a lot of those old Mexican and American cowboy movies, you see uh, the, the Mexican jails, which were so bad and so primitive. They were like the Turkish prisons, you know. And so the, the guy wanted to escape and he sort of go hush, hush, wink, mush, mush, wink, wink at the Mexican uh, you know, guards. And they would play this game. OK, you can go. Uh, the door's open. I'm turning my back. And that's what's called in Mexico, la ley de fuego, the law of flight. Well, the Russians and the Americans played the American uh, plane crew, the, you know, the, the guys that were flying these planes, kind of slip out. And the Russians looked the other way. They knew that they were escaping. We knew that they were escaping. And it was a game that we played. But the Russians did, uh, you know, uh, they, 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 did, they did this, I mean, to the annoyance of the United States Air Force, because, you know, we, we were allies with them. Now, but, now, question, uh, question here, Robert. Uh, yeah. CNN is going to wall-to-wall coverage on Monday of the victory parade through Red Square. And Vladimir Putin will be at, uh, it's the annual event, uh, that recognizes their victory over the Nazis and their loss right. of 30 million, as you had mentioned. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, is that something that we need to be aware of? Yes, because the Russian, well, well this thing... This started long before the Germans invaded Russia. Stalin used to do this in the 30s, when when uh, you know when uh, when the Russians were building up their military. Uh, uh, by the way, one thing that a lot of Americans don't know, you know, the Germans were forbidden to have a military after for, because of the Treaty of Versailles. Uh, their army was 100,000. Their navy didn't exist because they, the Germans actually practically scuttled their entire surface fleet. Uh, the British said, scuttle it or we'll do it for you. 
the Germans weren't allowed an air force. The way they did it was they uh, they, they they played a game uh, because the Russians at that time were ostracized. No country recognized the Soviet Union after 1918, 1919. You know, there was a civil war, right. and we tried to oust uh, the Bolsheviks. There were even American Americans. Americans don't know this. You know it. I know it. There were American soldiers in Archangel and Murmansk. Uh, they didn't do much fighting, but they were there kind of as a support group. Most of the fighting was done by the Brits, the French, the Poles, the Japanese, uh, you know, the Japanese had troops in Siberia until 1925. They were assisting a Russian white general named Admiral Kolchak uh, to overthrow the, the, the Soviet Union because it was cause, cause, cause the czar, not the czar, but his supporters were the whites. Uh, they had the white cockade or whatever you want to call it. But, the, uh, but Stalin, when he came into power, always had the May 1st. And the whole idea was to show off the Russian military, uh, you know, show off the new weaponry. Uh, so they did this years before, years and years before the German invasion. Since World War II, of course, they've done it every year because they wanted, they wanted to show off to the Americans because, of course, you know, we were their competition after World War II, you know, the Cold War. And they're still doing it, and they'll probably do it in your grandchildren's uh, lifetime. Well, it will be uh, significant. Uh, CNN is going to wall-to-wall coverage uh, on Monday, May 9th. I wonder if our own Frank Morano will be covering the victory parade through uh, Red Square. I remember when I was in Red Square. Uh, you went to Lenin's tomb where he had been embalmed. That was the big attraction. And went to the uh, Onion Domes of the uh, Russian Orthodox uh, Church there. That was disappointing. Boy, was that plain. Not even any good tapestries in there. And then they brought me to the grave of the only American who was built, uh, excuse me, buried in the Kremlin Wall. Who is that, ladies and gentlemen, as a trivia prize? Who is the only American that was actually laid to rest in the Kremlin Wall? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Remember, my job is to keep you rocking and shocking until 6 in the morning. Keep that blood flowing. Not letting you to turn off 77 AM WABC. I'll actually be joining James Golden briefly at the start of his program to give him an update on the travels of the man with swag but no plan to solve the crime problems. Mayor Eric Adams. Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. All about the swag. Anyway, what you just heard was the number one song in Mother Russia. It's number one with a Kalashnikov bullet, top 40. The Vladimir Putin song. And when they play that song at the discos uh, throughout Russia, you are required to get up and start dancing and applauding. Anybody who sits, (laughs) that could be it for you. But it is interesting as uh, CNN promotes. This is like weird to me. The victory parade of Vladimir Putin and all the Russian troops and the aircraft carriers, excuse me, the aircraft and the missile launchers and the tanks. They have the new uh, T-80 tanks replacing the T-72s. But the point is, is that... I remember as a kid, we would see the black and white uh, sort of film clips 
of the annual May Day Parade through Red Square. Nikita Khrushchev and the Politburo was there. And we were told years later that a lot of the missiles that were being dragged through Red Square on those carriers were actually placebos. They were made of cardboard. Uh, But it damn well looked good. And they damn well looked like big missiles. And we said, whoa, (laughs) those Ruskies, they got quite the armada to utilize against us in terms of uh, aircraft, missiles, um, never aircraft carriers. They were never really, Soviets were never big into aircraft carriers. Uh, uh, neither is Mother Russia and Putin is really more like the czar than the uh, communists. Uh, but never really had a lot of aircraft carriers. It's amazing. I always thought, how come they have so few aircraft carriers? Nobody has ever answered that. Our number is one 800 but CNN is doing wall-to-wall coverage of the Victory Parade, which is every May 9th, which celebrates the victory of the old Soviet Union. Uncle Joe Stalin, originally from Georgia, no, not Georgia, uh, in the United States, uh, but the country of Georgia, which was a satellite nation of uh, the old Soviet Union, like uh, uh, Azerbaijan, Armenia. We can go through a whole host of them. And then you go to the Central Republics, uh, Republics, there was Uzbekistan, which is where Tashkent was. A lot of hairstylists, sort of like what Naples was to Italy. A lot of hairstylists come out of Tashkent. Um, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Kazakhstan. Boy, I really know my stance, don't I? one 800 but they're giving wall-to-wall coverage to that parade. I wonder if our own Frank Morano... Uh, we'll be giving wall-to-wall coverage to the victory parade through Red Square, in which Vladimir Putin will be there. And speaking of Vladimir Putin, he supposedly has cancer, right? They said he was going to have an operation, probably a brain operation. He'd have to have the uh, uh, leader of the KGB temporarily in charge while he was put under for the operation. Doesn't look like he's had any operation to me. And then they said he has Parkinson's disease. You know, it's very similar to what Yasser Arafat had before he died, Muhammad Ali, and Janet Reno, the former uh, attorney general under uh, Bill Clinton, who was responsible for the wackos in Waco. You remember that. They had noticeable Parkinson's disease. And then we've been told that uh, Vladimir Putin has a Rasputin-type individual who uh, is having a great effect on him. Except Putin has never met with this guy. I'm trying to figure that one out because I I don't trust anybody's propaganda. And then obviously there's propaganda out there about Zelensky. Uh, Bush 43 was saying that Zelensky is the new Winston Churchill. And yet there are other reports uh, that he has absconded with a lot of money from oligarchs and that he is a coke freak and uses cocaine. And then there are the stories about our president, Joe Biden. I can't say it's propaganda <laughs> like with Zelensky or Putin because we see our president every day stumbling and fumbling. I mean, the classic one was when he reached out his hand to shake somebody's hand there on the stage in North Carolina and nobody was there. Oh, my God, it's getting worse and worse. Thank God the country is strong enough that we can somehow survive. This reminds me of when Woodrow Wilson was president. In the last part of his uh, term in office, 
He was incapacitated. His wife was running the country. His wife. And then we all know with FDR, he was incapacitated. <sighs> Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Uh, will anybody be watching the Victory Parade? They're having live coverage from Moscow at 9 a.m. <laughs> the hell is CNN RT, the Russian TV network? Yeah, pump it up there. Better get up and dance. It's the number one hit in all of Russia. Number one with a bullet from a Kalashnikov rifle. I mean, what the hell? CNN went from being the Clinton National Network to the Cuomo National Network till the Cuomo's turned on them to now what? The Commie National Network? Although they're not commies anymore, they're czarists. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And then, of course, there's the king of all comedy, uh, Frank Morano. Oh, boy, it's cold out. How cold is it? Well, I mean, it's cold out. It's so cold that, um, you know, politicians are sticking their hands into their own pockets. I mean, it's cold. Oh, God. So bad. Uh, Almost 24 hours from now, we're going to be playing some of his lame jokes that he told during the week, along with some of his listeners who told even lamer jokes. I don't don't ever think I've heard a worse hour in all of talk radio. You you can't miss it. By the way, I wouldn't doubt that Frank Morano is going to give massive coverage like CNN to the victory parade through Red Square. You remember that caller early on said he might as well have been a KGB agent, uh, which he's not. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. In the next hour, we're going to be talking about Cuba as a result of those that have been killed at the Hotel Saratoga, that gas explosion there, 22 dead so far. But I'll be able to reminisce. And actually, I'll be giving you my picks for the Kentucky Derby. You want to get a sharpened number two pencil. Uh, it's going to be sloppy, a sloppy track, a muddy track. It's been raining there most of the week. We'll be raining there today. So while you're having your mint juleps and wearing your flowery dresses with your bonnets, uh, your Easter bonnets, gals, it's there. It'll be rough if you're down in Louisville, Kentucky, in Churchill Downs. And for the guys wearing their bowler caps, I mean, what kind of idiots would wear a bowler cap? Oh, it's the tradition. Get out of here. 1-800-848-9222. So you want your number two sharpened pencils with your paper. For 32 years, I've been making picks for the Kentucky Derby, first leg of the Triple Crown at Churchill Downs, and then uh, the Preakness soon after uh, in Baltimore, and then the uh, fi- final uh, leg of the Triple Crown in uh, Belmont Stakes right there in Long Island, Queens. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Billy calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Billy. Hey, Curtis, that American guy buried in the Kremlin, his last name's on the tip of my tongue. I'm pretty sure his first name was Jack. I know they made that, Warren Beatty made that famous movie about him, Reds, years ago. That's right. That the the, uh, the writer who went to, to Moscow to be there for the Bolshevik Revolution of Vladimir Lenin was so impressed was so pumped up uh, because of the energy coming from the Bolsheviks 
that he would come back to the United States and tell Americans about the great Bolshevik uh, revolution against the Tsar. Uh, and because of that, the uh, when he died, the Soviets buried him right in the Kremlin Wall. Yeah, yeah look, that guy Robert, talking about Charles Lindbergh, he's wrong. We sent Lindbergh over there to spy on Germany to find out what this new chancellor named Hitler was up to. And he came back to the U.S. You know, Goebbels did take him all around Germany. And Lindbergh did his job to the U.S. He came back and told the government, you know, our U.S. government here that, uh, yeah, they're bulking up with weapons like crazy. They're going to go on the attack. And everything he predicted, he said, if we go to war with Germany and we take out Germany, we're going to create a superpower with Russia. And it's going to be a big problem for years to come. The guy predicted the uh, Cold War, predicted everything. The guy was like a prophet. And Robert, so quick to send uh, military men over to Germany. I, mean, I guarantee you, he wasn't ever in the military like I was. And I'm sure his grandfather back then wasn't in the military either, like my grandfather was. What say you? Well, oh, you sound like Judge Weinberg. Uh, what say you? Uh, anyway, I've heard both stories about uh, Charles Lindbergh, uh, that he was uh, fascinated by the Luftwaffe, uh, fascinated by the Nazis in Germany. Uh, many people put him in the same league as Joe Kennedy, father of the Kennedy clan, who was the uh, U.S. ambassador to Great Britain and very sympathetic to the Nazis. In fact, that's why uh, Roosevelt uh, brought him back home. Uh, you had the royal family uh, that was sympathetic to the Nazis. You had uh, Father Coughlin, uh preached from Little Flower, a parish uh, outside of Detroit, uh, was very... Uh, uh, pro-Nazis at the time. He had a national broadcast, very powerful broadcast. So you had those that were sympathetic to the Nazis, but I have heard that story that you've told, Billy, about how Lindbergh was actually there to do intel since the Nazis didn't necessarily trust many people, but they idolized Lindbergh, the first guy to cross the Atlantic. He was the first celebrity in this country, and still to this day, the biggest. They say people like us today, we can't even imagine the mag- company and the magnitude of his celebrity back then. That's true. Unbelievable. When he landed outside of Paris, the throngs that came, his uh, parade through the Canyon of Heroes in New York, he was always a soft-spoken guy, you know, uh, per his Midwest roots. When you go to the Minneapolis airport, uh, they have the spirit of St. Louis there. You see the aircraft. You just, uh, it's a totally different feel uh, in the Midwest towards Lindbergh than what we get here on the East Coast in terms of the history that we were taught and such. Uh, so it's almost like it's dependent on uh, what periodical you read about uh, Lindbergh. Everybody, they don't like anyone that didn't want to go to war and work with Germany. And we, it wasn't because of anti-Semitism. I mean, if I told you we got, we got to go to war for the, the Irish in Ireland, my, my homeland country, for my people, would you want to send your son over there to fight in Ireland? I mean, that's, that's what it was like back then. Oh, no. No, no. And remember, if not for the bombing of Pearl Harbor, most Americans yeah. were opposed to the United States getting involved in World War II against the Nazis after Pearl Harbor was bombed by the Japanese, Germany declared war on us four days after. We didn't declare war on Germany. They declared war on us because, obviously, we realized that was all part of the plot. Yeah, but that guy, Lindbergh, I mean, he had his flaws. You know, he, he talked about Jewish people like they were a separate tribe, which was wrong. And he did have his flaws. But this whole thing that, you know, he was 
good best friends with Goebbels, and and he was like a Nazi. That that's not true. That's, that's definitely not true. Yeah, I've I've heard so many different people speak about Charles Lindbergh uh, as a hero, as a heel. Uh, I think my father put it best, uh, Chester from the Midwest. He said, son, uh, there's a certain uh, sensibility when you grow up in the Midwest that a lot of people on the East Coast or the West Coast, they just never get the Charles Lindbergh because he wasn't a dynamic speaker. He wasn't charismatic. He was just known to be the hero who had crossed the Atlantic, first person ever to do that, that people mistook his quiet demeanor for being supportive of the Nazis. And then eventually he served in the United States military. Uh, So I think he risked his life flying missions in the Pacific against the Japanese. So I would say it's safe to say, Billy, it's a split verdict. And you know, when something is split, you can never satisfy everybody. So you end up satisfying nobody. But imagine what it was like living back then. Every other week, somebody would load up an airplane, fill it all with fuel, take off, and head in the direction of Europe. And quite a few of those uh, fly guys never made it. By the way, which uh, airfield did uh, Charles Lindbergh make his historic flight from? Uh, as a courtesy with trivia answer, our numbers one 800 And which field did he land in in Paris or outside of Paris? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Jeff in New Jersey, who apparently has a trivia question for moi, for me. Uh, (laughs) Maybe maybe a layup. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple of clues. Played the role of true story, uh, uh, and killer on Staten Island in 1980s, maybe early 90s, and um, uh, they made a TV movie out of it. And the guy was a, t- a very successful uh, television um, actor already. Played in 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 multiple series. Um, very, he's still alive today. Uh, born and raised in Brooklyn. I'm giving you a lot of clues already. He's, uh, he, but he's a great guy, uh, uh, underrated actor, and he played the role of this killer, a real life killer. And like I said, Curtis, this happened uh, when you and I were both very aware of what was going on in the city uh, around late '80s, early '90s, hmm. and um, it was so, so. They made a TV movie out of it. Uh, they killed the guy. Was a bad guy. He was just a cold-blooded killer. And um, so this actor played the part of that guy, uh, a Staten Island native. Um, mm, I don't know if I got to give you. It was a racial. I think it was a racial killing, uh, possibly. Or it may have just been incidentally that the guy was white and the guy he killed, I believe, was black. But the actor, first rate. And... um, well, you've already you, you've already you've already stumped me. Who who are we talking about, Jeff? Tony Danza. He ah, played the role of, Tony he played the role of this guy on Staten Island that killed that killed somebody in cold blood. Um, you, so so does it come back? Does it come back to you at all? 
No. I, I've known Tony Danza over the years. You know, he came out of East New York legitimately, uh, was a fighter in the ring, a very good fighter. Uh, great actor, dancer, performer. Uh, actually saw him give a performance uh, with the PAL, uh, all those young children and young adults who come to the PAL centers. Uh, uh, that's uh, part of what our owner and operators, John and Marco Casamitidis, do with their lives is they're great uh, sponsors of the PAL, which is a lot different than when we were growing up in kids. They'd have the actual cops there would be volunteering. Uh, that really doesn't happen much any longer. But these uh, these centers that are around the city are like sanctuaries for kids after school to come. They can get remedial training. Uh, they can do arts and crafts. They can do theater. They can do uh, so many things, sports. Uh, but uh, Tony Danza has been part of that especially uh, training kids in the theatrical aspects of what they could eventually do if uh, they determined that's what they wanted to do in their life. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ricky in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rishi. Hello, good morning, The answer to the trivia, who's the only American buried in the Kremlin? John Reeve. Ah, you got it. You got it. Reeve, not a journalist uh, from here. Yes, uh, who was so mesmerized by the Bolshevik Revolution and Vladimir Lenin. Uh, that was the part that uh, Warren Beatty played in Reds as he went back and forth, back and forth, and eventually when he died, the uh, uh, Soviet Politburo, led by uh, Joe Stalin, decided that he was entitled to be buried in the Kremlin wall. Only America to be buried in the Kremlin wall. Uh, you stay on the line because Avery uh, uh, Rishi is entitled to a Curtis Lee Booby Prize. Don't ask, don't tell, because uh, I'm so cheap, I throw nickels around like manhole covers. So I'm dependent on our ownership of Red Apple Media, John and Marco Katsimatidis, to uh, flip the coin to be able to pay for the uh, baseball caps that we'll be sending to you in which you can rock the symbol of WABC, the iconic symbol of WABC, and then also to have attached the name Curtis Sleeper, which will help you if all of a sudden you're surrounded by bat-wielding thugs and you can just flash that cap and say, I know this guy. And they might hit you twice as hard because of that. Then don't blame me. Let's go to Dean in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dean. Curtis, 68 years old, been playing horses for 50 years. Oh. If you watched the Oaks yesterday, the Triple Crown beginning for the Phillies, Steve Asmussen had the second choice, undefeated, 5 for 5. Speed-laden horse goes to the front, nothing else. One of the trainers in the race with a 45-to-1 shot. Said, I'm putting my horse in. He's going to go to the lead, and we're going to take the lead away from you. He did just that. 45 to one shot finish next to last out of 14. Steve Asmussen ran third. Add an incentive for today's race. Steve Asmussen will absolutely win with the three horse. So you you are in complete agreement with me that he's going to break this spell of having lost 23 times in the Kentucky Derby with a horse 
and yet he's had more wins as a trainer than anyone else in the history of thoroughbred racing. You are correct. The added incentive will be epicenter will go to the lead and absolutely destroy the Kentucky Derby field. I like number three, five, and 11. If you box them in the triple and an exacta, you'll make some money. The other two are bombs. Uh, you, like, you like those exotic bets, I see. Well, let me tell you something. I agree with you on epicenter, but get your sharpened number two pencils in the next hour after we talk about Cuba. We're going to talk about my picks for the Kentucky Derby that goes off at 7 o'clock just hours from now. And which uh, the whole world will be watching two hours, excuse me, two minutes of the most exciting moments in sport. Because it's over in just two minutes. Two has not been repealed. The horde is not running across the border from nations where Spanish is the primary language and English is maybe a secondary language. Um, Just to also let you know, this is not uh, Radio Hit. It's not La Mega. It's not Radio Wado. The revolution has not been televised. This is still America, where English is most times... The uh, priority language and Spanish increasingly is spoken more and more and more. But the reason that we're playing this song, pump it up a little bit. Bad Bunny from Puerto Rico and Drake, who claims he's black, he's not, from Toronto. He's a Bucha boy who's uh, studied the Talmud and Torah. But likes to act like he's an African-American. Not. Please. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, the reason we're playing this is uh, I did not have any of my Cuban musical selection. I was very disappointed in uh, here at WABC. So I went with uh, <laughs> I went with Bad Bunny and Drake. But this has to do with uh, one of the main stories today. And it's not that Macron will soon be inaugurated for a second term in France while his grandmother slash wife is standing at his side. I hate Macron. He represents everything in life that's fugazi. Macron. But let's forget Macron for a second. Let's go to the island of Cuba which a few, if any of you, are permitted to go to um, any longer, although for a while there was opening up because it is the pearl of the Caribbean. And when it does open up, when communism eventually is destroyed, you know damn well that people are not going to want to go anywhere else in the Caribbean or West Indies or even parts of Florida for vacation. They're going to want to go to that enigma known as Cuba, from Havana to Santiago. Now, the reason we're talking about Cuba today, they had that devastating gas line explosion in the Hotel Saratoga that I had seen when I was in Havana. It's a 96-room hotel, 22 dead now, maybe others who will die, many more injured. It actually uh, was being reconverted or rehabbed as a five-star hotel. So... 
Upon their visits, Jay-Z and Beyonce had stayed there. Madonna was considered a five-star hotel, originally built in 1880 as a warehouse in Havana, and then in 1933 converted to a hotel. It'll cost you $700 a night. So, you know, that's a high-end hotel there. But it also harkens me back to the time that I visited Cuba a while back. The invitation came from our own uh, John and Margot Katsimatidis, who were bringing over a delegation of the Greek Orthodox on their uh, 727 jet uh, to meet with Fidel and Raul Castro behind the uh, sugarcane curtain there because Castro was uh, allowing for a basilica to be built and to be christened by the archbishop. He wanted to show the world that he was open to religious freedom And as I said to uh, the group that was traveling there, and I uh, benefited from that, how many Greek Orthodox are there in Cuba? I mean, you know, you had Russians that were housed there, many of whom did not leave after the collapse of the old Soviet Union. You had a few Jews uh, because there was an active synagogue, although very few. And uh, there were Catholics. Although not many practicing Catholics because the uh, nature of the country was that you would have to be an atheist or an agnostic. But I had a great opportunity to go to Cuba. I took it. Uh, One of my missions there was to bring a stickball. That's right, stickball to the streets of Havana for the youth. The youth there love to hit anything with a a stick. I mean, they have great hand-eye coordination As you know, Cubanos, they are great baseball fans. They love to play baseball. But they had never been introduced to stickball until uh, I was able to work my way over to Havana with my uh, Spaldines. I had about two dozen Spaldines and about uh, a dozen stickball bats. Tomorrow you should join me because I'm introducing stickball. I am. To the kids of Havana. I was, I was one of the original in Fox Street. Yeah, but you can't beat me. You realize I'm never, the nobody of nah. of the city of I will Havana. not attempt to beat you. I will bring my Geritol for you, and I will give you a Bengay bath in advance because I want this to be a fair square competition. I just want to know what As a commissioner of Stickball, the city of New York, and they're challenging me. Those were not Cubanos. Those were Americans visiting as part of, believe it or not, the Bronx... Democratic Corrupt Party Coalition that were in Cuba. How they got there? Uh, I think like a lot of Americans, in order to beat uh, the embargo on travel to Cuba, they came in off a yacht from Key West where they're going through a controversy as we speak about people taking their clothes off. I do not believe that DeSantis will have them arrested for walking around nude in Key West. But they would rent or lease a a fishing boat, tell their wives they were going marlin fishing for about 10 days to two weeks with their fellow doctors or lawyers or politicians, and then they would sail the 90 miles from the coast of Key West, Florida, to the Hemingway port, which is in Havana. And then they would walk the streets, uh, hook up with the prostitutes that are everywhere at night, or visit their second families. A lot of these characters had second families. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but I saw quite a few of them. For me, it'll be hush, hush, mush, mush. But then... Uh, 
I spoke about why I was down in Cuba. Up America, down Cuba. Up America, down Cuba. Yeah. So you can imagine I'm in the square that is called the Museum de la Revolution. There's a T2 tank there from the Tostro had overthrown Batista with his guerrillas. And they have a whole museum there of the revolution. And uh, <laughs> I introduced Stickball to uh, Cuban kids and then was met by a busload of Venezuelan kids when Hugo Chavez was their leader. He uh, had a great relationship with Fidel and Raul Castro behind the sugar cane curtain of Cuba. And uh, I challenged them to stickball. And you heard me saying, in fact, play it one more time. Up America, down Cuba. Up America, down Cuba. Tomorrow you should join me because I'm introducing stickball. I am. To the kids of Havana. I was, City I was one of the original in Fox Street. Yeah, but you can't beat me. You realize I'm never, the nobody has, nah. of the city. I will not attempt to beat you. I will bring my Geritol for you, and I will give you a Bengay bath in advance because I want this to be a fair square competition. I just want to know what Ah, now who is that I was talking to from the Bronx? A former assemblyman. Uh, who actually beat uh, Sean Walsh for his assembly position. Boy, that's, that's a real tough, courtesy with trivia question. He was responsible for filming that. In fact, you can go to YouTube and see uh, Curtis Lee teaching stickball to the kids in Cuba on YouTube, and it will just blow you away. Amazing. You heard me screaming to the kids there from both Venezuela and Cuba, up with America, down with Cuba. And then the piece de resistance, as they talk about death to Castro. Man, George Steinbrenner, check it out now. You could be winning championships into the new millennium with these guys. The moment Fidel Castro kicks the bucket, it's your island. That's what I told the kids. I got uh, detained there while I was there. Caused a lot of nervousness with John and Margot Katsimatidis and the other Greek Orthodox. But I eventually was able to win my uh, freedom as they were all saying, Loco Americano, Loco Americano. This guy's a nut job. Just get him the hell out of our country. I did live broadcasts on WABC at that time. Ron Kuby was my partner in the morning. He had no idea what was going over there. I had a little satellite phone in which... A little radar screen would go up. The hookers were looking at that night at the Central Plaza. Their cops who were wearing gray, uh, gray berets, no radios. They were writing everything in a book. were amazed at that. And I was doing broadcasts advocating death to Castro. The bearded one should die. And I survived to come back and tell that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Well, let me give you an uh, update of what's happening uh, in Cuba. They have the 22 dead at the 96-room hotel in Saratoga that was being rehabbed. And remember, Cuba, uh, Havana itself has a population of about 2 million people. And before the lockdown and pandemic, they have about a million tourists a year, mostly Europeans and Canadians, some Americans. And I'm very interested in talking to any of you who are Americans who have traveled to Cuba illegally 
where you would either fly from Mexico City to Havana and uh, they would not stamp your passport so you get into trouble coming back. Likewise, many who would fly to Toronto, Canada, and then you would catch a connecting flight to Havana and the uh, Immigration and Naturalization Service would not stamp your passport there, indicating that you had gone to Canada. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Boy, it's so magnificent. I love Havana. I love the architecture there, the old Spanish architecture. Now, look, I have guardian angels in Barcelona, Spain. I hate the architecture there. I visited Madrid. I hate the architecture there. Toledo, which was the headquarters for Franco and his fascists against uh, the Republicans. No, 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 no. Not the Republicans of Donald Trump. Uh, the Republicans. Uh, they were the leftists. Uh, they were the, uh, the government at that point. Uh, that was the Spanish Civil War in the late 30s. I love the Havana Cathedral, the Fortress San Carlos. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And then they had a square that was called San Francisco. And, yeah, the government was very similar to the government in San Francisco, except you either do what the government says in Cuba or they'll put a bullet in the back of your head, unlike San Francisco, the city in the United States. Old Havana, the Vedado. Oh, so good. And Miramar, that's, uh, that was the exclusive area. That's where the wealthy lived. That's where the tourists went. And the uh, Malikon, the seawall, not Malikon, the Malikon, uh, the seawall there, which was the main drag, absolutely gorgeous. And then the Hotel Nacional built uh, in the 50s with the Art Deco with George Raft. Uh, used to be a, a greeter there, would shake your hands and greet you. And they have this art deco with all the mobsters on the wall, including Meyer Lansky and others. And that's done to try to teach the Cuban people how bad organized crime is, and yet it attracts tourists to see it. That was the irony of it. Yeah, the Hotel Nacional. And then in a godless country where you're either a atheist or agnostic, your religion is communism, although that's waning. They have a patron saint there, a big statue of San Cristobal, right in the harbor area. Oh, it's magnificent. Loved Havana. And eventually when communism falls there, people lighting their Chabas candles uh, for Shabbat, the ministers of tourism and trade in the, the DR, Puerto Rico, all the West Indian, Caribbean islands, Central America, Mexico, Florida, hoping the communism stays in effect. Because if the embargo on travel is lifted to the United States, everybody's going to want to go to Havana. Everybody's going to want to see the scenes that make it seem like it's in a time warp, like it's back in the 50s, and it really does. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Patty in Ozone Park. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Patty. Yeah. Hi. Uh, good morning. Uh, yeah, I've been to Cuba, and uh, I loved it. In fact, my sister-in-law is from Cuba, and uh, and I've been over there. And I, I tell you, it was just beautiful. They had a, a big plaza where everybody sat out and ate, you know. And then, of course, they had all the old cars. And I, I didn't expect, I don't know, expected it to be dreary, but I stayed at a wonderful hotel. I think it was the Hilton or something like that. <clears throat> and the people were just gorgeous. 
And then I, I took a trip all the way up and uh, the other part of Cuba and had a beautiful church up there, gorgeous, you know, Catholic church. And, and it was just gorgeous, and they had a lot of stores. And I didn't expect this. And a lot of stores, a shopping, a lot of places to eat, so on and so forth. It was just a beautiful country. And that was the time when they, they opened, they allowed people to go over there. And uh, and I went on a tour. And it was just a, just a wonderful area. Yeah, well, it's ridiculous that it's not open wide up. If you want to change uh, the country, you open it up. And the influence of the United States was so close, 90 miles away, will eventually overwhelm the communist that's in, uh, communism that's in place there as a government. Uh, I remember, Patty, walking around in the streets of Havana. You had stores for the tourists that were packed with everything that you could possibly ever want. But the locals, they had to go to stores in which you had uh, coupons, you know, because you, uh, you, you had limited rations. And you might go there with a plastic bag and they would give you one chicken leg and that was your ration. Or they give you uh, X number of rice, uh, you know, uh, ounces of rice, X number of ounces of beans. So if you were a local, you were limited in what you can get. But if you were a tourist, you go to those tourist stores, you can get anything there that you could get in the United States or Europe. Yes. yes. And I tell you what fascinated me was that the people, the houses they lived in, uh, I guess they were made out of a, like a cinder block and painted different colors. And all the doors were open. It's just fascinating me. And we sat in a, a nice restaurant. I tell you, the service was great. The food was delicious. I didn't expect that to be the case in Cuba. And then the churches, like I said, when I, 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 I stopped by the Bay of Pigs, it was like, you know, there was nothing there. It was just a little beach, just a couple of people on the beach, and took a drive up to the other part of uh, Cuba. And I guess it was the capital. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, when, uh, when I was there, they still had the billboards, uh, you know, urging revolution against America, supporting uh, uh, communism. Interesting, the image uh, in Cuba is of Che Guevara. It's not a Fidel Castro. You never saw pictures of Fidel Castro. You would see pictures of Che Guevara. In fact, uh, their stadium, because they love baseball, uh, was called Che Stadium, not Che like for the Mets here, Che, C-H-E Stadium. I went into Shea, Che Stadium. It was in better shape than Che Stadium in Flushing was for the Mets. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. It was a magnificent country. And I got to tell you, Patty, when uh, the sugar cane curtain comes down, when the embargo is lifted, when they free themselves of the chains and shackles of communism, wow, it's an enigma. It's going to open up. It'll be the pearl of the Caribbean, the pearl of the West Indies. I remember while I was there meeting the women in white. They wore white dresses. Their husbands had been arrested simply because they had libraries in the front room of their home that had books by Thomas Jefferson or books about democracy. For that, it was considered a capital crime. Uh, their their, their uh, husbands, the fathers of their family, were dragged off and put into the gulag. And they can't find out what happens to them once they're behind the walls of the prison. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Al in Fort Lauderdale. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Good morning, Curtis. I just wanted to give you a little, a few points. Um, uh, the Canadians started traveling to Cuba back when Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the current Trudeau, his father and what and his and his uh, Pierre Elliott's wife, they went to Cuba and met Castro. And after that, it was like open season for Canadians to go to Cuba. Also. Batista's son lived here in Fort Lauderdale. He went to a modeling school on uh, the New River here, and uh, Batista's uh, wife, uh, the ex-president, lived in Palm Beach. And I remember friends of mine going to visit uh, Mrs. Batista in Palm Beach. Did they say? Batista, uh, did they say what she was like? No, no, no. They went on a cigarette boat off the coast uh, to get to the Palm Beach estate. And uh, the last thing was a lot of uh, Cubans uh, our age, yours and mine, uh, when they were going to school, they learned Russian because Russia was very tight with Cuba. Yeah, in fact, when I was there, there was still some Russians there, even though the Soviets had uh, pulled out after their collapse under Gorbachev uh, with Kalashnikov, Perestroika, and then uh, with Yeltsin uh, running the country, uh, the uh, old Russians, uh, uh, some of them were still living there. In fact, uh, many of those Russians had moved off to uh, South Beach, to Miami, uh, and lived there. And it was interesting, Al. Uh, every other week there would be, uh, you know, Cubans uh, in uh, Little Havana and other areas would rush into the streets uh, because they had heard rumors that Castro was dead. Uh, every month or so there would be a rumor at that time before Castro actually died that Castro was dead. And so the Cubans would run out into the streets in uh, Florida, you know, praising death to Castro. Uh, then uh, Bergen Line Avenue in uh, uh, Bergen, uh, excuse me, in Hudson, New Jersey, a big uh, Cuban community. Likewise, that would happen. And I had an angel named Moscow who was in South Beach at the time. Uh, he was Russian, uh, originally from uh, Odessa in the Ukraine. And he told me, he says, oh, this is legit, Curtis. Uh, Castro is dead. They're parading out in the streets. They're celebrating. He's actually absolutely dead. I said, are you sure of that? Oh, he goes, I spoke to Russians there who are still in Havana. Castro hasn't been seen in five days. He's dead. So what do you think I did out that night? I was doing 7 to 10 at night on WABC. I got on at 7 o'clock. I announced that Fidel Castro was dead. I was getting calls from uh, Peter Jennings uh, from uh, the ABC National News. I got a call from Reuters, call from AP. Can you can you verify that he's dead? I said, absolutely. I would swear my life on it. Fidel Castro is dead. You heard it first from Curtis Sliwa here at WABC. Well, it turned out the very next day, Al, he made an appearance. And then all of a sudden, the owners and operators at WABC at that time wanted to string me up and put me on the rack and stretch me and fire me. And luckily, I was uh, hidden by our local management who acted like uh, I was out of sight, out of mind, and I survived that bullet. Can you imagine that, Al? I had predicted 
the death of Fidel Castro. I staked my entire radio broadcasting career to it, and I couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. Well, we're going to forget that particular time. <laughs> <laughs> they had to warehouse me, put me up on the shelf to save me. Now, I, I, now how do you um, how do you know so much about Cuba? Well, um, I uh, was in a nursing home for three years, recovering from a, a surgery, and uh, one of my therapists uh, was Cuban. And he could speak Russian. And he told me when he was in school in Cuba, uh, they learned Russian. And as far as uh, Batista, um, a very good friend of mine was at the same modeling school. And, uh, and I also had a very good friend that lived in the, in the uh, next door condominium building where Batista lived. And I don't know about Mrs. Batista and Palm Beach other than how they got there. I never heard anything about that particular trip. But you have to have a lot of Cuban friends down here. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, now you also have a lot of Venezuelans down there who have fled uh, first Hugo Chavez and now Maduro uh, and uh, have brought with them their wealth, uh, their knowledge. Uh, I mean, remember... The uh, At one time, Venezuela was the pearl of Latin America, the pearl, the most uh, advanced, uh, progressive country in all of South America. And now it's shattered uh, where people uh, have to fight over grains of rice in order to survive. Uh, and it was uh, it's, it's very synergistic with Cuba. So uh, Maduro has a great working relationship with Cuba and likewise uh, they're hooked up uh, with, uh, in some degree, with Vladimir Putin, not like it used to be with the old Soviet Union and with Iran. Uh, so it's amazing how Cuba has been able to hold on. That's why I say, Al, this embargo makes no sense. Let people travel to Cuba. Let's start doing business with Cuba because eventually Cubans will say enough of this communism. They're industrious people. They are, they're hard workers. They're investors. Uh, they're going to want to get rid of the vestiges of communism on the island of Cuba. Well, the Chinese, too. I mean, they're taking over Central America and, and South America. Their influence is major in, in a lot of those countries now. Now, are you originally from Canada? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, which which, which I, part I, of Canada? Quebec. Ah, yeah. Quebec. And what attracted you to Fort Lauderdale? Well, I was, um, I had come down here with a couple friends of mine. We worked at McGill University in Montreal. Oh, sure. And we, we took a vacation down here, and I really liked Fort Lauderdale and driving down the beach. And the next thing you know, I'm driving a car down for a, a wealthy couple in Montreal that wanted their car brought down to Hallandale. And uh, they gave me a week to bring the car down. And uh, it was a Buick uh, Electra 225. And uh, I got it down here in two days and then started uh, going out to all, all the discotheques. <laughs> oh, of which there are many. And by the way, Hallandale, for those that love the track, they always wanted to move to Hollandale. They're right before Hollywood, before you hit uh, North Miami Beach. 
You had the track there. I, I know my uncles and aunts were always there once they vacated New York City and they fled down there. Uh, but I, every time I'm down there, I see a lot of Canadian flags. It's sort of like it's become the, the second place for Canadians to be. Snowbirds, yeah. That's yeah. where the and, snowbirds And, you know, you know, they take over the shuffleboard courts. They knock the Americans off. They're much better playing shuffleboard than the uh, American Althacacus. <laughs> well, I was very lucky. My dad was a Canadian customs officer right on the border of Quebec and Vermont. And when my mom was going to give birth to myself and my brothers and sister, they went to an American hospital. So I got dual citizenship. Well, I must say, when I was in Montreal, I spoke at Concord University. Uh, They were having problems. Uh, Some of the Palestinian students were giving the Jewish kids a hard time, so I spoke there to quell that. But I was given an opportunity to speak at McGill, which is obviously the prestigious uh, university in all of Canada. And the uh, chancellor there said, Ufa to this guy Sliwa with the Red Beret. You can tell the vigilante he's not welcome here at McGill. Wow. Well, it was a very conservative university, and it was one of the few universities that didn't have to worry about the French uh, separatists taking over the government in Quebec. Oh, yeah, I I was there for that, for the Quebecois, René Levesque. Yeah. And uh, they were were screaming at me, how come you have the red beret and the white T-shirt? That's the the colors of Canada. You should turn your colors into blue. What do what they call that symbol there that's the symbol of uh, Quebec? Uh, La Fleur, what do they call that? Fleur de Lis. Yeah, Fleur de Lis. Flower, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they kept screaming at me, you should have the Fleur de Lis there in blue. And I said, we don't change this color for anybody. But do appreciate our conversation, uh, Al. We were on that time machine there. We touched all bases. René Levesque, Quebecois, Trudeau Sr. brought the tanks in to put down... The separatism in uh, Quebec, how many of those Canadians like Americans have fled to Florida, to Hollandale, Hollywood, North Miami Beach? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. When we come back, my picks for the Kentucky Derby in just a few hours. Uh, The gates open up. 7 o'clock tonight, the final race of the day in Churchill Downs. 148th run for the Roses. The most uh, exciting two minutes in all of sports. Sharpen up your number two pencils. Get your pen out. You're going to want to write my picks down. Take a reverse mortgage. Raid the kid or the grandchildren's educational fund. This is a solid, guaranteed victory. That's right, the call on the track. Churchill Downs for the 148th run for the Roses. Two of the most exciting uh, minutes of all of sports. The Gates uh, will release the 20 horses if 20 horses uh, make it to the race. Uh, sometimes they get scratched at the last second. The 20 horses in this race that eventually will lead to the Preakness uh, in Baltimore and then the Belmont Stakes, uh, the finish of the Triple Crown uh, in uh, Long Island, Queens. Half of Belmont track is in Long Island. The other half is in Queens. 
So what we're going to see is uh, a lot of degenerate gamblers. They're already out placing their bets, and I will match wits with any of them. I don't care how many uh, analytics they do, how many racing forms uh, that they uh, read and study and absorb. We saw towards uh, the end of the last hour a guy who identified himself as a degenerate gambler for 50 years actually agreed with my pick for the winner, not the other picks. So I know a lot of you like to do the exotic bets, uh, knock yourself out with the trifecta, superfecta, exacta. But uh, get a pad and a pen, sharpen your number two pencil, get your pen out. And as I said, I guarantee victory. You should uh, take a reverse mortgage. You only have hours left. Raid your kid or your grandchild's college education fund. Take a loan. Look, it'll be worth paying the VIG if you got to go to organized crime. Uh, get a payday loan. Yeah, I know it's extortionary, but th- this is a guarantee sure shot. And at the very same time that the uh, 148th run for the Roses will be taking place at Churchill Downs, I have it on good word earlier uh, in the evening. Uh, make that uh, the wee hours of the morning. We heard from uh, Junior and Rusty who are neighbors uh, of Frank Morano, that he is uh, actually having a Kentucky Derby Churchill Downs party in which he's making the mint juleps. Ladies will be coming with their spring dresses on, their Easter bonnets. And uh, no doubt Frank will be half in the bag by 12 noon, just sucking up those mint juleps. What you got to know is the guy that normally uh, dominates uh Pre-race attention, Bob Baffert. You know, the trainer with the white hair, the tinted glasses. I hate him. I despise him. I loathe him. I've seen him a few times. Ixnay to him. Uh, he he got put on the shelf for drugging horses. Probably giving him milkshakes. You know what a milkshake is? No, 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 no. It's not what you think it is. Uh, they put a, a hose down a horse's nose or his mouth into the stomach, and they pump Arm and hammer, baking soda and water into the uh, into the belly of the uh, horse because it makes them run faster. It's sort of like a Red Bull for them. What was it last year? Medina Spirit won. That was a Bob Batford horse. And eight days later, they had to say, sorry, you were cheating. And it sullied the race. It sullied everything that was going on. So I am predicting that as a result of that, the winner of this Kentucky Derby will be the number three horse, Epicenter. So remember, there's 20 horses, and they go out of the gates. Wow, a lot of them are slamming into each other. But the closer you are to the rail, the better the opportunity, because quite frankly, you're running less acreage than those that are further away from the rail. Although you don't want to be right on the rail because with so many horses in the race, 20, you might get pushed into the rail or denied access to run along the rail. So you want to pick Epicenter, the number three horse, as the winner, and I'll tell you why exactly, as our caller before the top of the hour told us, that the trainer is Steve Asmussen. He has won more thoroughbred races than any other trainer in the history of thoroughbred racing, but not the Kentucky Derby. He's 0 for 23. 0 for 23. It's broken today. That curse is broken. Finishing uh, second will be the number 12 horse, Taliban. Not Taliban, 
Don't turn turn this into ISIS or Al-Qaeda Tal- Taliban. And in third place will be the favorite, Zandon. Zandon goes off at 3-1. to one. Many of the degenerate gamblers are saying, oh, Zandon. Zandon will take it, even if uh, it's uh, a sloppy, wet, muddy track, which it will be because it's been raining there all week, and it's been expected to rain today, race day. Uh, so Zandon will finish third. You want to parlay it, put it into an exactor, a trifecta, a superfecta, knock yourself out. Go ahead and do that. Now, the other experts are saying, oh, Messier, just like the hockey player, Messier, who played for Edmonton and then the New York Rangers, the number six horse, they claim he will win because he's good on a sloppy, wet, muddy track. I disagree. And others will say a long shot, pioneer of Medina. He goes out 30 to 1, the number 11 horse. He'll win. They couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. You got to trust me on this, ladies and gentlemen. I got a winner for you. I'm going to make you moolah schmoolah. I'm going to make you ducats. I'm going to turn your, your piggy bank into big bank. And if you lose, you know what I'm going to say? What are you, a sore loser? What the hell were you even betting for? You're not willing to lose, then don't bet. But I know some of you will be so enticed. Some of you will be so titillated. Some of you will say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll I, make enough money where I can sell my house and then head down to Florida, to Hollandale, that very area he was talking to me about in the track in Hollywood. No, not Hollywood, California. Hollywood in Florida. A lot of Canadians, a lot of Puerto Ricanos, a lot of retirees. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Leah in Newark. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Leah. Hi there. Uh, first of all, it's Bellsburg. Anyway, um, are you aware that uh, Mark Rudd, who you've mentioned a number of times, uh, and who went attended Columbia High School in Maplewood, New Jersey, not affiliated with Columbia University, even though he went there, uh, went on vacations with his father, who's a retired lieutenant colonel of the U.S. Army, to Cuba to meet with Brother Fidel. Wow, I, I, did, I did not know that. So for those who are not aware of what you've been saying, Leah, Mark Rudd, who is the leader of Students for a Democratic Society, they took over Columbia University in the 60s. Uh, there were many of their members that said, no, 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 we're not violent enough. So they uh, created an offshoot, which was the Weather Underground, which he has later merged with the Black Panther Party, which became the Black Liberation Army, and they declared war on the United States. But I had no idea that Mark Rudd had actually visited Cuba uh, with his father at the time, who was active military. Yes, his father was a retired lieutenant colonel. U.S. Army. Now, how did they they achieve that? Because, boy, there was a real lockdown and embargo on uh, any kind of uh, travel to uh, Cuba, even if you had family members there. That I don't know. Hmm. But I do know that they took vacations in Cuba with Brother Fidel. Okay, number two. Uh, An organization that I belong to was supposed to have a trip to Cuba. Not a, a, um, a vacation or a tour, but a, like a help trip for the Jewish communities. 
We were given lists of things to bring with us, such as aspirin or bandages, no medications, uh, and things of Jewish nature, prayer shawls and prayer books. And I can't tell you how much stuff was given to me, was take with me. Uh, did, go- did, did you bring it over to Cuba? Hey, a week before the trip was supposed to take place, I got a call from someone in the group that the trip was canceled. Why? There was no reason. Uh, I later found out that the leader of the group was found in his kitchen. Huh. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, We were having some problems initially in getting to Cuba on the 727 that was owned and operated by John and Margot Casamitidis. Uh, we had to uh, stop, I believe it was in Tampa, St. Pete, and get clearance from Fidel himself. Uh, and then uh, there were two congressmen at that time who were friendly with Fidel Castro, Charlie Rangel and Jose Serrano of the South Bronx. And they did an intervention, uh, and our flight then uh, continued on to Cuba as a result of that. Let's go to Franklin uh, in Patterson, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Franklin. Eastside Park section of Patterson. I know you visit Patterson regularly. You know a lot about Patterson. Oh, I do. I do. And recently, whenever you see uh, the new version, the Spielberg version of uh, West Side Story, a lot of it was shot in Patterson. I actually saw them when they were filming there before the lockdown and pandemic. I remember that. I want to give you a perspective I have. I, my and my family visited Havana in 1957 and 1958. I was 16 and 17 years of age. I can give you some contrast between that. And when I and my wife visited, she's Puerto Rican, we visited in 2014. 46 years difference in perspective. Mm. Joe, yeah, yeah, tell tell us, what was it like? That was when Batista was in charge, correct? Gencio Batista, yes, it was pre-Castro. The reason we didn't go in 1959 was Castro had taken over. But now uh, what was interesting, I thought, was we would fly from Key West on the international airline. It took 30 minutes to go 90 miles on a propeller-driven plane, and it cost $20 round trip. Wow. And what do you remember of your visit there? We stayed then at the Hotel Nacional de Cuba both years. It was in the spring. And uh, things I remember, the El Encanto department uh, uh, store was absolutely outstanding. The um, Tropicana nightclub had next to it Lefty Clark's Casino, all enclosed in glass. He was a monster from Chicago. Uh, magnificent casino. My sister and I, she was four years younger than I. I was 16. If our parents were with us, we could go into the casino, no restrictions. We used silver dollars in the slot machines because silver dollars everybody had, okay? Um, uh, You didn't mention the cemetery. They've got an unbelievably magnificent cemetery in Havana. Uh, the San Susi was a nightclub very prominent outside of Havana. And uh, there was Joe's American Bar where Hemingway went regularly. Uh, unfortunately, when I went back 46 years later, I don't. you didn't say what year you were there. 
Uh, actually, it was, I think, about 2002, but I'll double-check that for you. I think it was 2002. Right. Well, then maybe the, maybe the Hotel Nacional was still holding up rather well. Yeah. No, no. When I, when I went to the Hotel Nacional, they had this huge uh, mosaic uh, on the... Uh, uh, the roof of one of the rooms, uh, the ceiling of one of the rooms, really well done with all the mobsters, all the mobsters on there led by Meyer Lansky. And it was like a lesson to the Cubans why they didn't ever want to get involved in organized crime again. But it was so well done. It was fascinating to look at the linkage. Uh, and quite frankly, Cubans themselves were not going into the Hotel Nacional. It was for the tourists. So the tourists actually liked it. Uh, it, it it, it didn't achieve its intended purpose. Well, in 2014, when we were there, there were two different uh, denominations of, of the peso. One was only for the tourists to use, and one was for the locals. That was a big difference. And uh, furthermore, the, to me, my perspective now, 46 years difference, Hotel Nasty and I was completely run down. It was sad for me to see. Uh, and, and, and we stayed at the hotel Cohiba, right on the Malacom. By the way, the Malacom was was structured and laid out by the United States Army Corps of Engineers. See, I, I did not know that, but it's magnificent. You, right? You know everything else, Curtis. You're magnificent. You're encyclopedic on everything. You're just absolutely astonishing. Well, thank you, thank you, uh, Franklin. In fact, I'm putting out a call. As I know that some of you out there must have been members of the Venceremos Brigade. Volunteers who went over there to cut the sugarcane for Fidel and Raul Castro behind the sugarcane of Cuba. I know that one Ruth Meshuggah, the messenger, who actually ran against Rudy Giuliani the second time to become mayor of the city of New York. Thank God uh, people did not elect her mayor. But she had joined the Venceremos Brigade uh, in her early years, I think when she had graduated college. And the whole idea of the leftists then was to go to Cuba to help cut the sugarcane to help Fidel and Che in their revolution that was taking place throughout the Americas and then eventually the world. By the way, the answer to the trivia I threw out there, who was the Democratic Assemblyman who at that time was chairman of the crooked Democratic uh, Party apparatus in the Bronx? who filmed uh, me and my visit to Cuba. It was Jose Rivera. Jose Rivera. He films everything. Doesn't matter. It could be a tsetse fly flying in the air off an orange. He films it. This guy, you know, there's some people that got to film everything with their iPhone, smartphone, with their... uh, uh, with their uh, technology, uh, he would always walk around with a whole camera and gear and still does to this day. But if not for Jose Rivera of the Bronx, who beat Sean Walsh to win that uh, assemblymanic seat, I think it was in uh, 1980, there would have been no record of me having been in Cuba and if you go to YouTube and you punch in Curtis Sliwa in Cuba teaching stickball, you would say, oh, that didn't exist. That's impossible. And then you hear me calling for the death of Fidel and Raul Castro. You say, there's no way they let him off the island of Cuba. Well, remember, they were calling me loco americano, loco americano. 
Anyway, let's go to the phones. It is uh, Joanne who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joanne. Hi, Curtis. I'm going to skip the first part of my question because we're coming to the end of the show. But were you there uh, when Secretariat won the Belmont? Was I there when Secretariat won the Belmont? I, I don't even think I was birth I, I don't think i was born no i was not at the uh, uh, uh i thought no i thought you were you know probably only in your late teens or whatever no 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 okay, i was whatever. i would i'll tell you i'm i'm not a better um uh, i i i go there only to watch you know you watch the people especially when they uh, turn the uh three quarters uh pole and you get everybody jumping out of their seats, yelling at their horse that they bet on. Hook him, hook him, Daniel, hook him, hook him. And it's like, that's why a lot of the horses wear blinders. It isn't so much to keep the mud out of their eyes. It's to keep them from getting spoofed by the crowd because when they come around that three-quarter turn, you know, all of a sudden the crowd is up, they're animated, they're cursing at the horse if it's falling behind, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're hollering. So I like the pageantry of it, but I, I'm, I'm not a gambling man. I just gamble with my life. So what do you think about White Aborio? Oh, so wow, you're 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 a player here. White Aborio, I say, will finish fourth. That's the fifteenth uh, horse. Uh, so you could you could combine them in a trifecta, superfecta. You know your exotic bets. Uh, do you like White Aborio? I like him, and I'm like uh, Taba. Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I picked that uh, horse, uh, number twelve horse, uh, second. But you got to look at the fact that boy, that's got to be one hell of a sloppy, wet, muddy track today because it's been raining there at Churchill Downs, uh, Kentucky Derby, all week, all week. So they had the uh, Friday race, which was the Kentucky Oaks, which our previous uh, caller alluded to. And then today, they're going to have the uh, Old Forester Stakes earlier in the day. And then they finish up with the Kentucky Derby at 7 o'clock uh, East Coast time. Well, Tabor only he only raced twice, I think, right? I'm not sure of that. I think uh, twice or three times. But, you know, horses have uh, run only one or two races before the Derby and have come out of nowhere to win it. So I think it, it really it's all going to be about once the the gates open up, they all bump. You know, that's the problem when you have 20 horses. They bump into one another. It's going to be a sloppy track, so it could get really dangerous, you know, if one horse goes down and the others topple into it. So they're going to have to go a lot slower than they normally go. But if a, a horse, uh, they have the right caulkers on, which are the shoes you have to uh, shoe the horse with when it's a muddy track, uh, they may be able to negotiate that sloppy, wet, muddy track. But uh, I would say Epicenter, if it's going to win, it's got to jump out front. It's gotta, just got to keep running. Just uh, There's no time to think you're going to be able to catch up in these kind of conditions. Okay, Curtis. All right. We'll see what happens. And remember, to all of you who've written down my choices, who do as exactly I say, take a reverse mortgage, raid the kid or the grandkids' college education, take your 401k, turn it into a 201k, put everything on my choices. But if it turns out that you lose, because I don't bet, don't be a sore loser. Remember, if you can't lose, don't bet. 
the sign of a good gambler is you never know if he or she has lost a bet or won a bet. They're, they're good gamblers. Those that are moaning and groaning when they lose, they shouldn't be betting. Those that are cheering and going uh, crazy and jumping all over the place, they shouldn't be betting. Because for every one time you win, notice how many times you're going to lose. It's just the tail of the tape. But I know I feel it in the marrow of my bones, right down to my toes. Again, for you, if you're writing it down. Because Steve Asmussen, the trainer of Epicenter, has won more races than any other trainer in the history of thoroughbred racing, but in 23 tries has never won the Kentucky Derby. I believe he will break that 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 blockade. And his horse, number three, Epicenter, will win the race. Taliba, the number 12 horse, will finish second. Zandon is the favorite of most. He's running off at 3-1. to one. He's the 10 horse. I believe he'll finish third. And then the 15 horse, White Abario, will finish fourth. So you want to play your exacta, box it in, your superfecta, your trifecta, your exotic bets. Knock yourself out. But I know by the time I return in less than 24 hours, there are a lot of people who will be saying, because of you, Curtis, I can buy a new car. I can buy a house in Florida or Georgia or North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia or Texas, Tennessee or parts unknown. And if somehow you lose, don't blame me. Don't be a sore loser. But I know you'll never accept responsibility. So I'll be here same time, same place. And remember, I joined Anthony Weiner in just a few hours. This game of letting the... He's on two to three by himself, and then I'm with him from three to four right here at WABC.